Welcome to the Hawk's Nest live stream show. My name is Brandon Kane, and I do appreciate you as ever for tuning on in here on a fine Tuesday afternoon, a rare Tuesday show here for you. A little bit of a makeup show we couldn't get around on Sunday. So wanted to get out here on Tuesday here and uh, talk a little bit of football with you guys. Keep things going fairly consistent as we can. And I had some things on my mind that I wanted to discuss as I start to turn over a little bit of this team in my own mind and contemplate what they're going to be this upcoming NFL year and how they're going to get the job done, how we can hope uh, and aspire for bigger dreams than what we had last year, simply maybe maybe making the playoffs, but actually maybe getting up into competing for a division title. And dare I say, dare I say more, dare I hope for more. And as I've thought that through, and the pathway to getting to that place, it does, I think, begin with, it doesn't end with this, but a beginning place to getting that place of being uh, what would be considered a dominant or elite squad if they can get there. And I've, I have already made my uh, voice heard on this one in the regards to there being a little bit of a reticence on my tar- part to believe that necessarily next year is going to be that year that the throttle goes fully down for this team. You have so many rookies and second-year guys that are going to be making up a lot of this lineup, both from a starter standpoint, rotational standpoint, just taking up a lot of snaps on this team, as you are basically still in year two of the rebuild. So I think that there is still somewhat of a, a long long view look to this as far as I see it, and as far as waiting and being patient for you know the, the culmination of all this talent to fully bloom. And if that doesn't quite happen next year, that's going to be perfectly fine for me because I'll trust a lot of this process absent it just looking like a complete horror show out there on the football field because young teams are going to take time. It's hard to slingshot your way back around through a rebuild this fast, no matter how good the returns really were last year. And don't make no mistake about it. They were absolutely awesome. We couldn't have, I think, asked for more for such a young team and for being so deep behind the salary cap as they were as far as the dead money was concerned, at least. But the place that I've come to in my mind in starting to kind of open up my own little imagination on the possibility of them getting to that place a little bit quicker is the thought process of the offense. And it's easy, it's very much shorthand to say, yeah, you just create a super offense. That's all we got to do next year. We create that super offense and that's the key. No doubt about it. Simple, easy, done. They just score a bazillion points and it's all good. But let's let's go a little bit deeper into that and what that really means and how that process comes to play uh, and to bear if it does. Because indeed the defense is looking improved, but are they going to be improved off of being one of the league worst units last year? We'll have to see about that. That's a discussion for another time. Today we're going to start and look at the, the offense. And if you say, I want you to create a, a dominant offense for it, I mean, where does it begin? Well, most people are going to start with, give me the Hall of Fame quarterback. Give me a Patrick Mahomes. Give me a Dan Marino. Give me an A.J. Burrow. Give me a guy that can just sling the rock all around the football field as that gunslinger type who can kind of just carry the day even if he doesn't have the best talent up in front of him or maybe the best pass catchers to throw to um, or one or the other. And that's all well and good, but if you don't necessarily have that, those are hard to find, I would say. There's only a couple in the league at any given time. Is Is there another pathway to creating a dominant offense? And then the answer to this would be, okay, yeah, sure there is. Just have dominant players all across the board, absent maybe your quarterback who's just merely good. (laughs) Which, Again, this is a, yeah, that'd be great to have kind of thing, but that's kind of hard to actually create, right? It's great in theory, great to put that down onto paper, but that's not exactly, I would say, 
realistic in a way of creating a dominant defense. You might come to find that you've created an offense that's just that way, but it's a lot of things breaking right in your favor more than it being about a strategic approach or a tactical approach that's bringing you to that success, something that you're doing specifically. And when I've come down to it, as this pertains to the Hawks, is the way they've done it is, I believe, created, as I've titled it in this thumbnail, the amoeba offense, the offense that can take any form that's required. Because if you're talking about creating a dominant offense, like I said, it's hard to get that quarterback, hard to create dominant parts all across the board. But if you can create really good parts across the board with dominant areas, if you can create the good depth, and if you can create personnel groupings that can be problematic for the opposition, this is to me the pathway to getting to a dominant offense as well. There are many different ways to cut this particular tree down. It's not just one method that needs to be applied. And when you look at the Seahawks and the way that they have rounded out the places in this offense through the draft, through free agency, okay, you brought your slot guy in, you got that, you got your backup running backs in there, you've rounded out, you've, you've kind of taken care of some things that were the small little bit of issues last year on this offense. And make no mistake, this offense was basically right around a top 10, top 12-ish offense, depending on what metric you want to use. They were 12th in total yards, 12th in passing, or uh, yeah, 12th in passing, 18, 18th in rushing, and then they were 9th in scoring. So, you know, top 12-ish offense. But for a lot of the year, they weren't a top 12-ish offense, were they? They were a top five offense. And while the schedule helped us out a little bit with that, what also helped them out with that throughout the course of the year was a little bit of this ability, I think, to be very flexible in how they came at you. That it wasn't just like the Rams were doing in 2000, I think it was uh, 19, where they're just running the 11 personnel out 24-7 and teams just couldn't stop it. You could do the two, three tight ends, the three wide receiver packages, even go to four wide, and you could, you could really mix it up without having to lean on anyone. You could go back to base personnel type situations. And you had an offense at that time that had running backs with Rashad Penny at first, who, though he did go down with a really bad injury once again, he was being pretty productive before he went down to that injury. Walker steps in, and he's instantaneously being really productive at that point in time as well, really shining, helping the offense out in that respect. But then Walker wears down as the year goes along. Your running back room gets beat up. You don't have a running back you can bring out, and now your running game isn't quite as lethal. Likewise, with the passing attack, Marquise Goodwin came in, and after a couple games, kind of solidified himself as that slot guy after Eskridge once again wasn't able to carry the water. And just as Goodwin was getting going, just as you were feeling really good about what he was bringing to you from the slot, he goes down to a season-ending injury. And so now you have almost nothing that you're getting out of the slot because Eskridge isn't coming forward. He's injured. Goodwin's injured. Dariq Young is very young to try to slide out there. Penny Hart wasn't the answer. And so then you've got the two combinations at that point last year where you had a top five, top five offense before this running back situation kind of doomed you a bit and your slot situation kind of doomed you a bit to where you had to lean too often now probably in on those two tight end sets, which though they've been really good, this is about mixing this up. Because why I say this is about being almost amoeba-like in the way that you operate offensively is because when you go up against a given defense week in and week out, what do you want to do? Do you want to go at their strengths? Do you want to go into the teeth of the defense? Or do you want to go after those vulnerabilities? That soft underbelly right? Like the Lord of the Rings, the Hobbit, where he's got the one scale he's missing and he's just got to find the one scale. It's a bit like that. Trying to find that vulnerability. Why go uphill, go downhill. And you have an offense constructed to be able to go downhill against any given defense. And every defense is going to have a weakness. This is the beauty of the salary cap era. This is the beauty of the player mobility era. 
is that every team is going to have some place on their, their squad defensively that they're trying to protect around. And if you offensively can drive them into pulling them out of that protection, forcing them into that weakness, forcing that weakness onto their football field time and time again, then you as an offense have that much better of an ability to, to take advantage of them. And last year when Seattle lost those two parts, being really the third wide receiver and the, the running backs just being beaten up, um, even Walker when he was still coming back by the end of the year wasn't 100%. When you had those two things go down, the offense really started to drift downwards as well. And I think it's going to drift back upwards with these guys added back into the mix. But not only have you added these guys in the mix, you've added guys in, for instance, Jackson Smith and Jigba, who's going to be a tremendous upgrade over what you had last year. You're going to have in, in Charbonnet and Walker, theoretically, a much bigger upgrade than what you had over the course of the whole season from the number RB1 to RB2. Because RB2 was always kind of suffering a bit. RB1 was always in pretty good shape throughout the year, whether it was Penny or whether it was Walker. But RB2 was always kind of, it was, it was a bit of a struggle for the most part. You've hemmed those things up and maintained your strengths. Your young, your young rookie tackles are coming back in on second year returns. Damian Lewis has solidified himself. I don't know if center or right guard will be better, but I think you've gotten more talent into those positions this year, or, or at least equivalent, if not moderately better, if we're just going to be super uh, you know, realistic and try to keep this above board with that. But you're going to be able to every week, if this it maintains like I think it's going to maintain, to go after those weaknesses of those teams. And this is the vital import, important part to me because... There isn't really a team that's going to have some kind of defense that they can't go at some kind of weakness. If you've got a base personnel, if you go to three linebackers and you don't have that third linebacker you can really trust, you're going, man, this isn't, this isn't good. We don't want to be in those situations. Well, here comes the two tight end sets that week. If you're a team that when you go into nickel situations, let's say you've got a slot corner who's your main slot corner's down, and you're now you're bringing your backup in there, and you're like, boy, we're going to just have to hope that, hope that team goes into a lot of four wide receiver sets or that we can just kind of protect them around that. It's not going to be any protecting though when you got Jackson Smith and Jigba down there. And this isn't even about now getting the, these teams into the, the secondary part of this, which is the, okay, what do you do now when you like to double team Tyler and DK so often in those cover two looks? How are you going to run it now if Jackson Smith and Jigba is operating with so much space underneath because there's not as much of that safety traffic coming down underneath. There's no Cam Chancellor lurking down underneath for Jackson. He's just running free and wild underneath there. What do you do then as a defense as your counter? I'm not even getting into this as far as the X's and O's standpoint. That stuff will play itself out, but just on a merely driving defenses into personnel groupings that they don't like, that they feel uncomfortable in, and you force them to do so. If I put two tight ends out on the football field, you may be really feeling like you're great in nickel. Like we got a, a nickel corner who can tackle, our two linebackers feel real good, but you still don't feel awesome about the two tight ends out there then with that nickel on the field as well. And you go, I don't know. Say nothing of if they go to three tight ends and you're wanting to in that situation go to nickel, but they're, they're forcing you a little bit to get into the more of a base. They're forcing you to get that extra linebacker out on the football field. I think this team is going to be tremendous offensively next year because they're just as good as they were last year. They've cleaned up the things that failed on them last year, which caused a top five offense to just fall back just a little bit. And cleaning those things up, health abiding, of course, that always being a big part of this, then they're going to be able to attack whoever they want to attack, however they want to attack them. You have your three tight ends coming back. All of them were really productive last year. All of them to my eye test, and I'm sure your eye test looked good, solid players on the field. And PFF, well graded by PFF as well. All of, the, all of them can block, all of them can catch. And so where is the weakness on this team? Maybe within the interior of the offensive line, but what happens if you get that Oluwatimi who comes in and he's instantly ready to start? Even if he's giving you league average play next year, 
just gives you league average play. Where Evan Brown comes in and gives you league average play from the center position. They just gave you that. That would be such a huge upgrade over the top of what you got from the position last year. And the same is true about the right guard spot as well. I, th- I feel like, as Carol has said, you're going to see the second-year returns come from these, these guys that were rookies last year. That's when pros tend to make their biggest leap as professionals. That's when their game rises the most on average. So you're going to see that, I think, across the board automatically. But the ability here, the ability to, to go at these teams in whatever manner that you can, and every team every week is going to have that weakness. I mean, how many years have we watched Tom Brady the last 10 years, 15 years? Where you, you go out as that defense, you see him out against that defense, and the announcers will say, well, they've got this seventh-round rookie kid out there in the slot on Edelman today. Uh, no doubt Tom's going to make it a long day for them. And then Tom just goes out there, and he's just unmerciless. Just unmerciless going after the kid, knowing it's open all day long. It, doesn't, it can be complicated, this sport. It can be X's and O's and 4D chess. And now this coach trying to outguess that coach is trying to outguess this coach. It can be all that other stuff, but it can get simple really, really quick when you're able to draw mismatches. When I watch football week in and week out beyond records, which do impact things is you're, you're a seven, eight, nine and three team going against a two and seven team. That's definitely going to be the reality of that. If we're better, we're more talented. This is more of our year than it is your year, but also football is really driven by matchups. It's, uh, to me, even above what your record is or whatever, it's, it's the matchups. And sometimes even a bad team can be a bad matchup for a really good team. And you're now able going to be able to drive these matchups however you want to drive it this year, no matter whichever opponent that you're going up against. It's, one, it's the place to me that is the beginning key if we're going to start into this offseason out looking at this team. And last year, I made an argument through the offseason where I was trying to, to tell my fellow Seahawks faithful fans, Look, I'm not trying to be a, a, a pie-in-the-sky guy. I'm not trying to gas you guys up. I think this team can be a playoff contending team next year. I don't think they can be elite, is what I said last year. I said, I think they can get to a playoff contending status of things. And I, I, um, I really do have faith this year they can take maybe that next step in that same way I said, if, if last year I said, if everything goes right in this manner, A, B, C, D, and E happen, we could be a playoff team. And most of those things kind of played out in that way last year. I didn't, wasn't predicting it was going to happen. I said, if it does happen, this, 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 and this have to happen and occur. And where I'm sort of beginning this year off, we're going to be looking with eyes a little bit further off into a horizon where it's going to be more this year about, okay, how do we get to being an elite team even this year? I'm not saying it's going to happen. I think right now we're more in a team that's in that, again, not yet to a bloom stage, but you're growing. You're getting, it's, it's, it's breaking the soil. You can see the leaves coming out. Certainly we're in that process. But how we would have to get there, in my opinion, to begin things, in addition to some other things, but in the beginning of things, is this offense is going to have to be elite. This offense is going to have to be top five. Even if the defense can round itself into shape, into much better shape than what they were last year, it's hard to see the upside quite where we stand right now as this defense turning itself into a top 10, top five unit. So to get to elite, you've got to lean on some kind of strength or another. And that, to me, the quickest path on this one is the offense. They've got to also, within this, expand out that playbook. The lucky part here is I think they finally now have that place to open it up. That slot receiver, their Cooper Cup of this offense, because we are the Rams offense coming over from McVay, and that has been a place that's been missing in this offense 
since Shane Waldron has taken over. They drafted Dwayne Eskridge specifically to be within this role. He was taken to be Cooper Cup. He wasn't as big as Cooper, but they thought he plays bigger than his size and he'll be able to operate in there just fine and no problem. And he's not been able to stay healthy and I don't think he's developed his game far enough along to be that guy in that way. So you get Jackson Smith and Jigba to be more like a guy who's a little bit closer in size to Cooper Cup. I don't think he's quite as strong with the ball in his hands. Maybe he's a little more... Uh, twitchier in his ability to to lose you in the open field with his moves. But um, he's certainly a guy who should be able to pull off all the things you need to have pulled off in this offense as far as the fly sweep, bubble screen game, just working the ball to him in space, as we've seen the Rams so often do with Cooper Cup. It's not really about Cooper Cup always running brilliant routes. He's a very good route runner. He's a great route runner. He's got great hands. But it's sometimes just about them working him into the space against a particular formation. We saw so often with the Rams working us that it, a lot of times it's just them utilizing flood zone concepts. So imagine a play where you have Lock and DK and they're running parallel routes essentially to one side of the field. And then you're running in behind there, Jackson Smith and Jigba. So you're essentially having Tyler and DK run the flood concepts where they're running the zone defenders out of the zone. And then Jackson runs right behind it and he's wide open. How many times have we seen that with Cooper Cup and our Seahawks over the years? And you pulled your hair out and you said, how is it that we're not getting this guy covered? How is it that, and this is what the bind that this puts you into, especially when you got the guys that are lethal on the outside to get it done. For a lot of the time here with the Rams, they've had the Robert Woods and a Brandon Brandon Cooks over on the outside edition. It hasn't just been just the Cooper Cup. Even the Super Bowl year, you had Odell Beckham in there doing his thing for a little bit of time and being pretty productive as well. And so now that you have that, you also have insurance here across the board. You have the development of Derek Young, who can play one, two, or three. He's a backup guy there for you now, also in the slot for that fly sweep game. That's what he did going back into college. They didn't feature him a lot with it last year, but to me, they just seem to kind of tear a lot of that out of the playbook a little bit over the last couple of years coming over from the Rams. It's such a normal process of what they do in their offense. Look, Go back to last year and look at the games that the Rams played against us and our Hawks. How many fly sweeps did you see? I mean, there must have been seven, eight every game just about it felt like that they were going to. And from the Hawks, you probably saw four or five fly sweeps, something like that over the course of maybe the entire season. That's that's at least what it felt like. But now you have that built in there. You can go to him. There's always Eskridge potentially lurking there. My prediction is Eskridge is going to have a hard time making this roster with a couple of the UDFA receivers that the Seahawks are bringing in. But then we also have McIntosh. So you've got your insurance. You've got your secondary insurance. You got your maybe quasi third insurance, then you got your fourth insurance who absolutely can do that. And if you need McIntosh now slide over there, Kenny McIntosh from Georgia, the seventh round running back, he can do the fly sweep stuff. He can do the bubble screen stuff. So there shouldn't be the impediment into this offense now going forward next year that we ran into last year of, well, we ho- we really hoped Eskridge could get done. We kind of lucked out now that we have Marquise Goodwin, who we signed as kind of a flyer guy and hoped maybe there was a little bit of couple left left drops left in his career that we can squeeze out, but then we don't have anything behind that. Now you got the one, two, three, four deep at one of the most vital positions to this particular offense in order to make this offense fully work, fully run. Now this is on top of making those steps forward as they have on the offensive line over the last few years to start to transition more to the mobile-based offensive line unit, those guys that can move in space, and now we can get back to adding pages back into the playbook rather than taking pages out of the playbook. So this is the pathway to me for our Seahawks to get to being a dominant offense beyond the who's the opponent we play and how we catch who and uh, who's who's better in the X's and O's, which coach is one more step ahead than the other coaches. This is where you can supersede that, in my opinion. If I've got a, if I can get into your weakness and I can attack your weakness, it's what they say about offensive lines. Your offensive line is only as good 
as your weakest link. Well, defensively, you're only as good defensively as your weakest link. And if I can go after that, if there's nowhere to run, if there's nowhere to hide, if your only way to hide is that you force yourself into a different personnel grouping that does not match up well to the personnel grouping offensively I'm countering you with, right? Picture going into a, a base 4-3 in Madden against a three-wide receiver set or trying to stay in nickel against a four-wide receiver set. And sometimes the difficulties that can just you know, bring to bear on its own. You know, you want to match A for A, B for B. But sometimes teams don't have the talent out there to get it done. They don't have as well a stacked up unit as the Seahawks have now stacked up offensively. It's going to be exciting to see if Waldron can get the most out of it. I'm hopeful he can. I think he's going to his last year. He really showed a lot more imagination working with what he got. He didn't have the third wide receiver last year. So what he do? He leaned into not only the two tight end sets, but then he really, really amped up the three, three tight end sets and made that a real common denominator of this offense. I would, I would love to see more of this as we go forward. Just continue to get as creative as you want. Go crazy, Shane, but be multiple, but beyond all else. Every single week, whoever your opponent is, identify where the weaknesses are, the given star of the week, and you attack those weaknesses because you actually have the talent to do so. Some team's going to have some underbelly spot you can hit. Hit that spot, don't overthink it, and force them to constantly work the whole game from their back foot, from that place they don't want to operate on. And I'll tell you what, if our offense is doing that and Waldron's doing that, you should have a dominant offense. You should have a top five offense. We'll see if they can bring it to bear. I'm hopeful. The talent is there to do so. I don't know if we've had as talented as an offense in Seahawks history, at least on paper with how it's looking going in. You have right now Tyler Lockett in the middle of four straight thousand yard seasons. DK Metcalf right there with them. Kenneth Walker just missed this much by being the offensive rookie of the year. Certainly, Abraham Lucas and Charles Cross could have been in that discussion as well if they actually considered offensive linemen for rookie of the year, not just position players, as it seems to be. Damian Lewis settling in at left guard as he is. Had a really good year last year all around. There's reason to be hopeful here. It's not blind hope. It's something that is rooted in the fact that this team just might be that good offensively. And if they're going to be great next year, the pathway will be first and foremost through this offense. I appreciate you guys watching today. We'll be doing a semi-quick show here as we've got the Kraken. I think we have the Mariner playing, Mariners playing later on today. So uh, we just want to bop in here and do a little bit of uh, you know, discussion with you guys on this team, the state of team, and where you guys think they're at, where you guys think this offense is at. I'd be interested to kind of probe your guys' uh, you know, minds as far as what you're thinking on that because I think that there's a lot of reason to be optimistic here. Certainly, we're seeing a lot of optimism online based on what I'm reading from folks in regards to this offense, and you should be. It's very hard to put this complete of an offense together. How hard is it for you to see teams even find a one bell count back or two receivers that work or two receivers and one tight end that work? To have three tight ends that are workable, to have the three receivers that are workable, to be four deep at your running back position and to have a quarterback in Geno Smith who showed you last year <coughs> with that 70% completion percentage that he can find where the hole is going to be in the defense. He's not going to force stuff in. He'll go to where the weakness is, and he will attack it. He showed himself off to be very smart pre-snap and post-snap with what he wanted to do with the football. And I think if you give him that, that easier open gate here, he's not going to force it through the closed gate. He's not going to say, I got to get that 50-yard bomb to DK. Go, oh, I'll take Jackson here for 13 catches all day, gay. If you're just going to keep and decide to stay in double teams on DK and Tyler, I'll do this all day, guys. Just Eventually, you're going to have to pull those double teams off. I don't know when, but... Until you do, yeah, another one, Jackson. Here you go. Yeah, 
I know, man, they're just not covering you, bro. I don't, I don't get it either. That's what you could very well see here if it all comes together beautifully and wonderfully. I hope so. Uh, I do hope you guys are having a great uh, evening out there. Thank you to all the new subscribers. Want to thank you to everybody as well. We've got a great uh, little mini an announcement here as far as for the channel. We absolutely obliterated the 12,000 mark. We just rounded past it like nothing else as far as 12,000 subscribers go. So thank you very much to all of the new subscribers, all the folks. We wanted to get through this kind of draft period and get through that point. I did it. We hit that spot. It's wonderful to see the growth here again just is tremendous every year we get it just goes faster and bigger and more and more and more and you guys are absolutely wonderful for all the support you guys supply and and all you do in that realm of things hitting that like button as you guys do i really do appreciate it the the returns are there this you can definitely feel it um because you guys are doing that on your end and how much you're watching and uh i, I really do appreciate it. it feels good to cross that mark it's a nice number that 12 mark for us 12s so uh, it feels very, very, very good. We've got uh, two days from now on Thursday, I'm going to be coming back with a B&B show and me and Brendan are going to be doing a live reaction, live reaction, neither him, me nor him are going to look at the schedule and then we're going to just live react to the unveiling of the schedule and give a little bit of an early prediction perhaps here of what we see goes on in those games based on how the schedule is kind of setting up. It'll be kind of fun to see how that all boils down, but uh, we'll be back at seven o'clock Pacific Standard Time as well with the b, &B show over here on my channel too. Uh, please do hit that like button, you guys, if you do like what you're listening to. I do appreciate it if you could. Uh, DVN, how you doing? Potentious Cameron, hello. Nicholas Newton, William Leonard, good to see you guys. Uh, to Stoner Television, if we decide to do double blitz from the single, from the secondary and play one single high, remove one linebacker, should we play Mike Jackson at nickel and press similar to how Witherspoon and Woolen play and press? Uh, it's Stoner Television, you don't tend to want to press slots the reason is is that the slots usually have a free release because they don't have to be on the line of scrimmage from the slot um so you know you've seen the guys stoner at the line of scrimmage receivers will go over and they'll point over at the uh, the referee pre-snap those guys are on the outside doing that because you have to have a certain number of players on the line of scrimmage and so what that does allow the offenses to do is they have the nickel then who doesn't have to be on the line of scrimmage he can be a step behind so you can put the guy up there to press but the receiver's number one, not in an immobile stationary position. The slot is often going to be moving pre-snap, especially in the modern age. But then he's also going to be a yard away from the guy. So he can be pressing and he's just going to be pressing to air. He's not actually going to clip a guy if he does that. Um, this is the difficulty of guarding guys in the slot. That free release, that inability to lean on press like you can lean on the outside, that inability to lean on the sideline like you can lean on the outside. It's one of the reasons I think that slot, as many people says, one of the early... Uh, one of the hardest positions to play out in the National Football League. Join Squitter, uh, yo, early stream. It is, yeah. I was figuring there was going to be a lot of people. I was going to do this later, but I figured there was going to be a lot of people checking out the Kraken. And so uh, I felt like, well, if we're going to have, uh, if probably the whole audience is going to be wanting to check out the Kraken, then we'll just, uh, we'll do it a little early. I think at the Mariners game going on at the same time too, if I'm not mistaken. So I said, let's just, uh, let's just go on a little early. Let's get out ahead of it a little bit. Drunk says, JSN, still crazy. We selected him at 20. If he can be the player that a lot of people feel like he can be, and I do like him a, a lot. I do think that he is, my comp for him coming out was Amon St. Brown. And while some might be like, well, only Amon St. Brown at the 20th pivot. Man, if you get Amon St. Brown into this offense and that level of productivity into this offense, uh, yeah, I, I think that that's going to help to take this offense into a place that's, if you're talking about going from 12 to 5 overall in general terms uh, offensively, 
that could be easily something that I could see helps take you there almost in itself. Because uh, look what it did for the Lions last year. You know, the Lions had the most third down completions in all of football. And certainly they put up a lot of points in addition to that as well. Uh, Tired Canadian, it all starts with the line. Definitely that's a big part of it, man. And they've started, they've taken some steps now. You guys saw with hopefully my Olawatimi video this past week. And uh, we'll see if it, how it rounds out with Phil Haynes and Bradford and uh, Evan Brown, if it's, a, you know, and where he sits and on this. But I do think it's at least marginally better from where they were last year. I don't think Gabe Jackson was particularly good for you last year. Haynes was okay. And I do think that the center position was a big negative all the way around last year. Started out okay, but it went downhill quick. DVN says the only thing that sucks about the dominant quarterbacks is that they get shipped to the worst organization possible. If we add that two, if we add that two pick, it's probably because we were bad. Yeah, it is. Good point, man. Good point. You know, and it's I think it's one one that is noteworthy. And I also think that this I'm I'm a guy that's leaning more and more into that the NFL has gotten very, uh, you know, lazy a little bit in its view of of. You got to get the quarterback. Got to get the quarterback. They're like parrots, you know. You ever get a parrot that got the word they say? It's like need the franchise quarterback. Need the franchise quarterback. It's like, well, is this the only method to go out there and build a dominant team? Is this the only way to go out there and win a Lombardi? I know that it's a it is a way. I know that it's even maybe a way that most teams choose. But maybe there's another alternate path here, you know, to get there. Especially being that we were a team that got down that path, had success taking this alternative path, got a Lombardi in the last basically decade, in the last 11 years. Why not Why not see if we can, you know, go down that same track again, which to me, the EVN comes down to, if it takes, you got to go back and take a quarterback later on after Gino or even just rolling with Gino, that's not that guy, that's okay because you've built the rest of the team out so solidly. That's the the kind of the inverse to it. If you don't get the quarterback, then build the team. And build it great and build it right and build it thorough and build it deep. You take all those steps, I think you can build a Super Bowl capable team. Greg says the 2024 class seems better for the D-line, both free agency and draft. We need another offseason to truly build a contending team. And I think the timing of everything is perfect for that. Super Bowl 59, baby. There we go. There we go. Well, and that's going to be a place with this where I'm going to have optimism for this upcoming season. I think some people are going to be wanting me to be hitting in that spot where I say, 13 wins. We're going to blow the Niners away. 2-0 against the Niners. 6-0 against the division. Go on a run. You know, just light the league on fire. People are going to want me to say that. I'm not going to land at that spot for this upcoming year. You, You basically retained... From three years ago, seven kind of key spot players of that team. Two of those guys were special teamers. And now you've had to return this whole thing over in the last couple of seasons. It's very hard to get to being an elite team, a Super Bowl contending team, when so many of your players are rookies or in year one of their career. It's possible. We won a Super Bowl, I think, as the youngest roster in Super Bowl history when we did. But you also didn't have Earl Thomas only in his rookie year, right? I think he was in by that point, year three. I think um, Chancer was like year three or four by that point. You know, those guys had had a little bit more time in their maturation process to be ready to go. But the talent's there. Talent's definitely there. Young Bido Game, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Stoner says, if they decided to double blitz to safeties out the edge, you play uh, Mike Press, uh, outside corner and run. I'm definitely down to run the press on the outside stoner with that, but you just, you won't be able to run, run with press on Mike to the slot because of those other aforementioned reasons. 
Uh, Drunk Squitters says, Derek Hall gives me Chris Clemens vibes. I could see that a little bit. I, I feel like uh, there's the slight differences would be that I think there's more pure power from Hall. I think Clemens had a little more of the first step quickness to him. Um, but they've got some of that. They've got kind of a similar build to them and just how they're made up. And they play with that kind of angry aggression as well. How you doing, Herbicide? Grug says, Jamal might actually be able to give us a healthy season. Think about it. He's had all the time to heal his fingers and shoulders. I'm hoping so. I'm hoping that he has a chance and maybe that extra time that you talk about gives him that chance to allow that stuff to happen. Broken fingers and broken bones. I mean, I broke my, uh, what did I break back? Yeah, I broke, broke my hand back in the day and that thing for freaking years took some time to finally fully feel okay. And Lord knows he's had his share of stuff. So it might be very well the case. And if he's able to be healthy, I think it does take this defense up another notch. How substantial that is, we'll see. It is going to take it a notch up, though, from where it would be if he's not on the field all the time. I, I, I do feel that way. Fun pieces, hey, Hawks Nest. Can Bradford and Lucas be a force in the run game similar to Jones and Hutchinson? My feeling on this would be that in the case of Bradford, he's potentially a guy that could, he's got maybe the potential of getting into a spot, Fun P, where he could be dominant in the run game from a run blocking standpoint. I think fun, he's always going to have some issues in pass protection to some degree. Um, that's just going to be kind of what you have to deal with uh, with him. There, there's just kind of no way around it a little bit. Um, not that he can't be at least workable as a pass protector, but it's just is what it is on the inside. So he could give you a little bit more of that Hutchinson-like force. Lucas is on the opposite end, though, to me. Lucas is a better pass protector than he's going to be as a run blocker in this league when it's all said and done. I still think he's going to be a good all-around player, which is part of his star potential. But I don't know if he'd be to that pure dominance level that Walter Jones was at from a run-blocking standpoint to, to draw that kind of type of comparison. Um, but very good, nonetheless. They would be, they'd be plus run-blockers, both of them, um, as far as league, league average is concerned. So, Shurg uh, Patel, Surge Patel, I feel like Pete's been trying to remake the Thunder and Lightning combo of Bush and White from USC. Now he has Walker and Charbonnet. Indeed, that was uh, something that you could understand why it would fix in his mind. He went out there and got himself national title with uh, running the, having those two running backs going that way. And we saw last year that when you do have the Lightning but no Thunder, there's times that you feel the Thunder missing. You know, you, you see the crack, but you don't hear the roar. And that is the case where it comes to those short yardage situations, goal line situations, where you need the guy that maybe has an extra 15, 20 pounds on his back to be able to ride those defenders into the end zone. And Charbonnet now does give you that. So it's a bit of it to me that you just have to have the right kind of knife for the right situation. And uh, not all not all times is it going to be the the quick, easy blade. Sometimes you need the big blade, you know. I mean, the big, bring out the big guns. Um, so it's going to provide a, a helpful, useful element here to this offense surge, um, especially in that short yards spot. But also, too, because you're going to be able to work in Charbonnet a lot, I think, is that third down back where he's now catching a lot of passes out of the backfield. He's in there blocking in that realm of things. Another place that's not exactly the strength of Kenneth Walker's game. So he, a lot of what he does is what Walker doesn't do well. That's how we get that thunder and lightning. You know, peanut butter and jelly. Yeah. Fun peeing if McIntosh is no slouch. You'll have some carries in there too. 
Uh, Red Ace, what's up, Hawks Nest? I believe good things are coming the Seahawks way. They're doing things well so far, planting a lot of good seeds. Have you talked about the schedule yet? I haven't talked about the schedule yet. We're going to be mainly, I probably won't dive into too much of the schedule, Red Ace, because we've got a whole show centered around it on Thursday when the when the schedule releases. But um, uh, we'll be getting into it as soon as that schedule releases. We'll be diving into the ins and outs of it, you know, looking at the uh, how, how it lines up for us. Is uh, Fun P is Njigba as fast as Cup? I think Cooper Cup had a pretty... Checking Cooper Cup's combine. Did Cup go to the combine? He went to the combine, right? Yeah, so Cup, Cup ran a 4.62. He had a 1.55 10-yard split, which was really nice, but only Cooper Cup only did a 31-inch broad, uh, 31-inch vertical leap. He did nine nine eight on the broad, which is very short, and he did a six seven five cone in a four eight four zero eight twenty yard shuttle. So let me get Jackson Smith times. So Jackson Smith ran a four four eight at Ohio State's pro day, which is not the laser timed four six two that, of course. Um, uh, the other guy had to run there that Cooper Cup had to run. I'm checking out. Let's see. I'm trying to get to his numbers here because I wanted to show off what, what his pro day. There needs to be a site that I like. I always want to just create a site for looking at. Um, all right. Looking at pro day numbers because you have to kind of look around through it. So his 20-yard shuttle was 4.05. Cooper Cup ran a 4.08. And that's an extremely fast 20-yard shuttle for Cooper Cup. And uh, Jackson Smith had him even beat a little bit on that one. Uh, he also did 38.5 inches on the vertical leap to Jackson Smith, which is far beyond the 31 inches that Cooper Cup. He did 10.6 on the broad versus Cooper Cup's 9.8. And then I was trying to find what his three cone was because his three cone was ridiculous. So he had a six, five, seven, three cone and Cooper cup had a six, seven, five, three cone. So that just, I mean, and cup didn't have the elite numbers of the four, six, two, but the one, five, five, 10 yard split, the six, seven, five, three cone and the four, oh, eight, 20 was probably a lot of what got the Rams liking him a little bit more. I would say. If I was to, if I was to guess, but Jackson's got him beat, and especially especially beat in the three cone drill. I mean that's that's a stark difference between the two of them at that spot. Nicholas, Nicholas says, "Please, no more glass Eskridge, Glassridge, Glassridge." I like that nickname. I think he's going to have a hard time. Jake Bobo and the kid out of Arkansas are going to really push that kid on the roster. Uh, Fabian Frank, what's the name of the cat? Name of the cat is Pumpkin. She is the uh, the Hawks Nest unofficial mascot. Drunk Squitter, does Zach Charbonnet our third down back or goal line option now? Yes. <laughs> yes, on both, Drunk. Yes, uh, yes, definitely on both. Um. Zach can absolutely uh, handle those duties well. He's a great pass pro. Showed up. I was rewatching his tape when I was doing the video a couple a week and a half ago, a week ago. Uh, you saw that again from him. 
And then, yeah, he's got really good hands out of the backfield. He's not your Jameer Gibbs or Kenny McIntosh-like guy out of the backfield as far as he's going to go run routes. And probably he's going to share a little bit of this load with Kenny McIntosh. But he's got that in his game to do those things. And you can't, yeah, Serge, there's always DJ Dallas in the mix too. You're four deep. Fabio Vera, I love the cat grooming itself live. Hey, it's, it's also a cat channel, man. It's a, it's a football slash cat channel. Serge, I think they go 50-50 on goal line to keep the defense honest. I do too. I think it depends on as, as well, Serge, if you're in short. You know, I think if you get into that situation where you're really in deep and, I mean, what about doing this? You're in goal line. You bring out Zach, you bring out Kenneth Walker, you run Kenneth Walker as the tailback, you run Charbonnet as the fullback. Seahawks used this a little bit last year with Kenneth Walker and Rashad Penny before Penny went down injured. But you're really putting the defense in a bit of a pickle now as far as what they're trying to judge who's going to get it. But you could then just give it to Charbonnet as that fullback. He's got the build enough to do it there inside and he can run behind his pads well enough where that's going to be really tough for defenses. I also think there's a little bit of this too we got to think about in the short yardage stuff that the NFL did not outlaw the Eagles push play, right? The quarterback push play. You're going to see again a lot of that in the NFL now and I'd have to think the Seahawks are going to look to implement that too. Tommy says, uh, D. Eskridge needs a desk job, though I will say, let's squeeze as much out of him as we can before he crumbles into pieces. Maybe he doesn't make the team, though. How much would we say? How much would we save? Anything? You're not really going to save more than a couple hundred thousand dollars on that kind of deal at that point. It's not going to be substantial um, because he's just not. He doesn't make that much as a player versus the player you have to bring in to replace him. So it is a couple hundred thousand dollars. Uh, make it out what you will with that. Um, and I do think that that will be a factor, Tommy. You know, if it comes down to being even between him and Jake Bobo or the Arkansas kid Landers, well, if you're saving a couple hundred thousand dollars and it's all even, especially in the case of a guy like Landers, you know who can probably play on the outside. And Eskridge is only an inside cat at that point. That might be enough to kind of push him off the roster. And that's why I'm predicting it will be. Why it's going to be hard for Eskridge to make this roster. He's not carved out a role on special teams at all. He's not really advanced himself as a slot receiver. He can only play slotted as it is with his build and his makeup. It's kind of, he's, he's a little bit behind the eight ball, I think, as it stands right now. Chris says, instead of drafting to stop the run, they drafted a no-fly zone. Indeed, they did. Tommy Eden, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Mr. K, my brother from another mother. How you doing? It's good to see you in the house as well. Fun P. Cooper ran a 4.62. Ninja, uh, Ninja, I'm just going to call him Ninja now. Uh, Ninja can be Cup Plus, I think. I think Ninja can too. Yeah, Ninja. I'm just going Ninja. I just made this call on the fly. Mark Hoppercorn, B, bone to pick. 12, uh, 12 and 2.30 a.m. video drop. Uh, notice it, notification going off. Uh, oh. <laughs> My bad, man. My bad. <laughs> It's tough. I get very jacked up, Mark, about getting these videos out. So it's like having to wait until the morning time is just, you know, tough to wait and put that out there. But um, I'll try not to do the uh, the late night ones if I can avoid it. I'll try to get around those notes. My bad. Uh, Hang with Lee. How you doing, man? It's good to see you. Henry Mars. Thank you for the $2 donation. Appreciate you, Hang Woo. Hen- Henry Mars. Thank- I just got two names combined there. Uh, Henry, thank you for the $2 donation. He says 75% Geno completion rate plus Jackson Smith and Jigba yak equals 4,500 yards. 
Indeed, I would certainly make the projection, and I'm going to make the prediction this year, that Geno Smith is going to throw for over 4,500 yards this year. I think even though the team is going to remain balanced offensively, I think the defense is still going to give up a share of points, which means that you're not going to be just boat racing teams right and left and then leaning on the run from the midway point through the third quarter onward as you're just trying to bleed out clock. No, you're not going to be doing that. So I see them needing to throw the ball. I see them throwing the ball a lot. And yeah, I think I think 4,500 yards plus is very, very feasible for Geno this upcoming year. It's tough to get to 75%, Henry. I mean, it's hard to hit 70% as a quarterback. That's been uh, just kind of insane realms for them to hit. But I will say, you know, if he stays on that route where he could stay where he was through those first 12 games last year, because through the first 12 games, Geno had, without a doubt, played either good to great football in every single one of those games leading up to that point. And I want to say at that where he was, his completion percentage around that time was, I think, around 73-ish percent. So uh, if you can keep him in that pocket for a full year, and Jackson Smith is a big-time upgrade over anything they had last year within the slot, there's a lot of reason to believe that he might be able to get to that place. If he's in 75% of his passes, that's going to be in a very, very efficient offense. I'll tell you that, Henry. Thank you, though, for the $2 donation. I do appreciate you. Sorry, it took a little while to acknowledge. Ed Armitage, we need to pick up some defensive tackle depth. There is some quality defensive tackle still available, some starter-worthy. Uh, I indeed think they're going to do something else here, Ed. They probably right now are a little bit behind the ball because of the uh, salary cap situation and needing to clear up a little bit of space. But I do think that there's still another move to be made on that defensive line. I don't think that they're just done, done. Tommy Eden says, people think Pumpkin might be a Seahawks scout. She is, man. She helps me out psych psychically in her scouting. Yeah. We're going to see in a second here, dude. The schedule drops on Thursday. I'm going to be doing my my cat prediction video where I put the Seahawks schedule at one end of the hallway, hold the cat at one end of the hallway, and then she's psychically, by her choice of which treat she goes for on which team, will decide our Seahawks schedule fate. It's going to be all in the hands of this sleeping animal here to my left, our Seahawks season right now. Everything's riding on her. Fun pieces, uh, Nadamakan Sue from Portland, Oregon. I could see him coming home to the Pacific Northwest. They may look to call on him if they wanted to bring kind of a veteran guy on in in that way. It's it's possible with Al Woods gone now, you could fill kind of the Al Woods role. Uh, he's definitely up there in age, and the man has played a lot of football, and he picks his spots now. Uh, but um, there's not a lot out there as it stands right now. So, you know, you got to kind of take what, what may be available. Hongwu Lee, are we the one of the best offenses right now? I think we're one of the best offenses. I don't think that we're the best offense. I don't think that we're top three right now. But I think we have the potential to slide into a top five mark for the year with the team we've set up. Herbert says, I think our offense is better than the Niners. Ooh, bold statement there. Um, maybe, maybe depending on where their quarterback position is, right? I mean, if they're, if they're playing with Sam Darnold and he's playing like Sam Darnold played for the majority of his career, then it's hard to say that that's a better offense than ours at that point almost, isn't it? I mean, that, that becomes a little bit of the difference maker in itself. But uh, they've also got some questions to me from when you talk about center, a little bit of the guard, you know, nothing's quite right. They right tackle, which Mike McGlinchey moved on. Trent Williams is getting very, very old. He's into that magical age of 35 years plus of age where you got your Whitworth types that have been able to continue to play well beyond that spot. But then you have your other types like your, your Dwayne Browns and your Jason Peters, where it starts to kind of fall away. They, they keep playing, but they're not playing at the same level of what they were prior. 
Mr. Keynes, a semi-quick show means we're, uh, we're, we're talking about seven hours, laughing out loud. Kidding, kidding. <laughs> exactly, man. I always say it's a, that's my death now as I say short show and then it just, I blink and seven hours have gone by. Uh, Chris Beck says, maybe some of the running backs can be a special teams returner. I hope somebody can slide into that role, Chris. Yeah, I, we indeed need somebody in there in that spot. It'd be nice to find... It would be nice to to get somebody to fill out, especially a punt returner, Chris. I don't want to watch any more DJ Dallas back there. And Tyler just doesn't look all that interested in doing it anymore. Chris says, uh, or a fun piece says, do the crack and play tonight? Yep, the crack and play tonight at 6.30 Pacific Standard Time. Paul says, big hopes for our later rounds, four and five picks, four rounds, four and five round picks. Uh, Bradford, Young, uh, Morris, Oluwatimi. Uh, Michigan, my favorite draft picks for the Hawks. Oh, indeed. I loved, uh, I'm big on the fifth round. I'm not as big Paul for me on the fourth. I'm still struggling with that just a tiny bit, but uh, I love myself on the fifth round. These two guys, I'm working on the Mike Morris video right now, which I hope to have out in about the next day or so. And uh, that's, you know, he's continues to look impressive. Stands out to me too. When you talk about Mike Morris is he got his last year's production, 23 tackles, 11 tackles for loss, seven sacks, a strong production. And he did it on the back of only 362 snaps. To put this in perspective, go take a look at a guy like Will Anderson last year who himself put up some really good production. 10 sacks. Uh, I think he had like 18 tackles for loss, right? Right, 50, 50 tackles in total. But he played 762 snaps to get that same, well, get that moderately more bit of production coming off the edge. I'm not saying that Morris is on an equivalent point. More to just illustrate how efficient Morris was in his production and, and, and how he got it. Tony Wright, Brandon, Abraham Lucas is a monster beast. He is one of the top three steals from the 2022 draft. I love it, Tony. And I know you were calling that one for a while on it. So you've been definitely consistent in that one. I would, uh, I'd, I'd echo your uh, thought process on it. You know, I loved him too, man. I had a late first round grade on Abraham. So picking him up in that third round was tremendous. Hungwoo, I think we are okay with defense right now as long as offense is consistent. Now, good offense can help the defense, no doubt. Playing keep away, draining the clock, moving the chains, keeping the defense fresh, allowing the defense room for error so they can take some risks. Henry says, can Gino, oh, oh sorry, I just answered that one. Uh, I see Lucas making an all pro, says Herbicide. It's, I could see it as well. I could see it as well. You might have to wait a couple of years because with some of that stuff, it's reputational based. But uh, with the first season that he had and the upside that he has to his game, I could see it. Joe says, very optimistic B. Feels like a tougher road travel schedule this year with more East time zone games. Uh, and yeah, I'm very optimistic for sure, Joe. And this is, but this is where that, and this is going to be the hard part we get into Joe for sure. Cause I know that there's going to be people come on my comment section that can't quite get the nuance I'm trying to speak with on it. But you know, that's going to be the place that I'm going to be trying to get across with folks. Um, as much as just to tap the brakes on the patients, as much to kind of get across why I trust where the process goes right now, because I'm not expecting the immediate returns next year. You're one real remove from moving on from Russell and being $44 million of dead money and having to get all these picks in here now to return this whole thing over. You know, you, it's going to take a couple of years to get that done. And so there's going to be a patience factor involved. And I think you bring up a good point here, Joe, about the schedule. To me, the two things that are what we call regression to the mean this year. That means if I take eight, recent years of Seahawks history, given that we have the same general manager, have the same coach, have the same kind of conditions that created the results we got of those past seven or eight years in certain given areas and categories. 
Well, if we look at last year's schedule, the one thing that usually we can walk away from is in the last six, seven years, the schedule has been much tougher of what we've had to deal with. So that's right out the gate, something that's going to regress to the mean. It's going to regress more to probably what's likely to occur, which is what's happened over the last six and seven years of the schedule being tougher. A tougher schedule means maybe the Hawks aren't, even if they are more improved as a team, able to get out more wins and losses because the schedule just isn't quite as weak. The other factor for me, Joe, is the injury situation. Past six, seven years, injuries have played a big part in the team and, and kind of upending the success of the team. We've been one of the most injured teams linked throughout that time. This has led to a lot of Ivan the Terrible strength and conditioning coaches jokes, you know, about him being the whatever. Last year, you weren't quite as bad. You got to kind of skim underneath that line a little bit. And those combinations did help you out last year to get to the results you got to. And they may not be as prevalent this year. It's hard to predict. This is a little bit of a, you know, predicting towards the what happens normally. Maybe you'll have another outlier, outlier year in that respect. And that the schedule does ease up again for a second consecutive year. And that the injuries, because Ivan the Terribles figured it out on his end of how to train these guys right without breaking them. Almost break you that he gets them into the right stage. They're ready to go for a full season again, a little bit like last year for the most part. But we'll see, Joe. His schedule will be tougher. There is no doubt about that. Um, I don't know, Stoner. Let me know if you heard my answer on that too with the Mike Jackson thing. I said it right, right there at the top, but you might've missed it with it. Josie says, congratulations on 12K. Thank you, man. Appreciate your fun pee on that as well. Feels good. AI says, Jax is going to have 90 catches. I could see it. You eat a, you'd up, eat up a lot of catches in that slot. There's a lot of a lot of touches for to be out in that slot, especially when you have two guys on the outside demanding the kind of double teams and and more specifically beyond the double teams, the two high looks. Because what you're going to what you draw teams into if you're the Seahawks right now is okay, you got to keep both your two safeties back and they're both going to have to be in their little cloud cushion each takes their side of the field and then brackets up over the top with the corner there. You know, that's essentially what cover two does is you have your corner running trail behind the receiver where he's right on his footsteps for any in-cutting stop routes. And then you have the safety over the top um, to kind of pincher them a little bit. Herbicide says, cool, 12K, feels good, Herbicide. We're making progress this off season. Hogwarts says, I think Cross will make the biggest, uh, biggest leap. Very well could. He was a 21-year-old kid last year, so, you know, he's just he's just getting into his grown man strength. Little Dallas Cowboys says, hey, Brandon, Cowboys are number one right here, saying great show, and thank you. Congrats on the success. Well, Little Dallas Cowboy, thank you so much. I do really appreciate it, man, and uh, it's always good to see folks from other fans jump on in and say hello. So I thought your uh, I thought your Cowboys had a pretty strong draft. I thought they did a good job of drafting a little bit at times with a guy like Mozzie Smith, is, hey, we got to have to stop the running against this Eagle team first and foremost in this, within this division. And this is the team that stands in our way most within this division. And beyond that, maybe within all of the NFC, absent your Niner, are, are the Niners and our potentially maybe Seahawks. So uh, I, I liked overall the way your Dallas team did uh, their draft for the most part. And uh, I think you guys are going to be well positioned with this offseason to be that team right there with the Eagles to compete this next year. So I tell you what, though, little Dallas, the Eagles had a... That was a real good draft. That was a, it's hard to pick that Eagles draft apart. On paper, it looks, I know it's just paper, but ooh-wee, it looks good.
Mr. Kane says the Seahawks receiver core is savage as F. Oh, they are, man. You got nowhere to run. Nowhere to run. And especially knowing that you, you draw those double teams. Team, that's been the team's answer since 2020. Because prior to 2020, teams weren't running as much cover two against us because there was more of a, let's bring down the safety into the box to help out in the run game against Chris Carson. Because the Seahawks want to run so often. And then 2020, it was the fireworks, right? Every game was the 4th of July. And then teams went, oh my God. You know, we can't leave neither Tyler nor DK singled up. Both these guys are cooking our guys on the outside. And so the transition by defenses against our Seahawks at that time was to then go to the cover two looks, the cover two shell. And then, of course, that gave Russell Fitz through the second half of the season, and you really didn't have a lot of answers for it. I think Gino had answers for it last year in the way he was able to utilize the tight end position a little bit more than we had prior, and then the way he was able early on to utilize it with the slot, with Goodwin. But then when Goodwin went down injured, he didn't have another guy he could trust in that same manner down there because a lot of it is reading you know, option routes, reading zone defenses, sitting down in the soft spots of the zone defense. It's a little bit of a requirement of a little bit of a more of a cerebral approach at times from the wide receiver position in that slot. Um, one of the reasons why I think Eskridge has sometimes struggled a little bit is that that part of his game is not exactly, I think, as advanced. Who will be the Niners quarterback? They're, I can already see them just, they're, they're already, they're doing the thing. They're doing that thing teams do. It's they're, they're already trying to talk themselves into Sam Darnold. They're already like, look what he did last year in Carolina. And the, 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 he's, he's finally it's coming together for the kid. You know, you just get him away from Adam Gase and, you know, you just get him out of Carolina. And now we got him into the, we got him in the secret spot. We got him, we got him with the quarterback guru now. So now he'll be good. Now he'll be amazing. We'll see. We'll, we'll see on that one. I feel very good about our chances if Sandor Donald's going to be the quarterback. I think I saw some quote. Somebody was like, he throws the ball better than any Niner quarterback we've ever seen. Like, oh my goodness. I got a, a lot of copium going on over there right now for having a top three first round bust pick happen. You can already see him going, yeah, but we got Purdy though, so it's going to be okay. Uh, Cody says, uh, Hey man, we appreciate you being professional. Another content creator wants to just beef with everyone who disagrees with him and then puts them on blast at the beginning of his videos. Childish. <clears throat> and, yeah, indeed. I saw that there was some, some heat going on yesterday out there in the internet sphere. And, uh, yeah, no, I'm not beefing. Uh, Brandon loves everybody. <laughs> I'm too old. I'm Danny Glover on that stuff. I'm Danny Glover, Lethal 3 on that stuff. Lethal Weapon 3, you know. I'm too old for this. <laughs> Way too old. Tommy says, uh, three tight end. Uh, but thank you, Cody. I do appreciate it, man. Very kind of you. Well, Tommy says, three tight end slet, uh, slot reverses with JSN or Kenny Mack. That's what I'm saying. You just got to commit to it, though, right, Tommy? This is the problem is that we just... Go back, look last year, folks. And what you do is go to the stat column and then go look at the individual rushing stats for your Seattle Seahawks. And what you'll notice is that there's a very few amount of rushing stats for Eskridge, Goodwin, Penny Hart, Derek Young. You know, take the totality of all those guys' carries. It's very, very few. I mean, you can almost take the totality of all their carries and that's one game of the Rams as far as their use of the fly sweep game. And it's so much an important part because it's almost a little bit of a, a foundational point in this offense. Pre-snap motion is, is a lot of what makes the three wide receiver sets really work within this particular Sean McVay Ram offense. And what he's doing pre-snap, of course, is getting those linebackers 
to just move a step out of their gap. But the way you get them to move out of their gap is that they really do feel fully like that guy could potentially be getting the ball in the fly sweep. The quarterback could hike the ball and quickly turn around and hand that player that ball. And if he's quick and that linebacker knows he's quick, he might want to be cheating that extra step laterally to get over to a spot so he can deal with that ball carrier and not miss the tackle. But if he doesn't trust, if he sees Tyler Lockett going in motion, he can say, well, I, I can get, I got enough time to get back over there to Tyler Lockett. I'll take a half step. I'll, I'll, I'll lean. I won't even fully step. I'll just kind of lean in that direction. But that's what you want to have happen is once you get those linebackers to vacate their, vacate their uh, natural gaps, then you attack into the vacated gaps with the running game underneath. And now you have the, you, you know, now you have this little guessing game going on between the linebackers and the offense as to where a play goes, but you always have them kind of on edge about not trusting their pre-snap indicators and not trusting exactly where they're going so that they, they play a little bit slower when they're playing your style and your brand of offense. But if you don't have that fly sweep part really in there is this normal part of the offense. We're going to see that once every seven or eight plays, this thing's going to come through. We got to be aware of it. Teams aren't going to be as apt to sit there and really sit on it or lean to it. They're just going to hold up on your A gap runs up the middle and they're like, yeah, you're not getting us to move out of it with that weak stuff. Hung Wu is pretty broken. Well, he's not broken, but he just had Tommy John surgery. So he's not going to be spending this offseason throwing the football or I imagine lifting at least any kind of upper body weights, maybe lower body weights. But the fact that he's just going to bounce back and be ready to go for me day one after that kind of surgery is to me a little bit questionable. Maybe modern science is coming really far forward, but even if he is able to get back on the field, back from that major surgery, is he really going to be playing at prime Brock territory? And even prime Brock territory, what is that really? Is that a guy with arm strength and arm ability to really get it done? And this is where we come back to why I think Sam Darnold wins the job. Is He's not had that offseason to work. He's not going to have anywhere near the arm strength of, of Darnold. And I just think that uh, even though even though Purdy had the success last year, Shanahan's going to lean on those, those natural gifts a little bit of Darnold, I think. Jack says, JSN was my number one receiver. I think the kid's going to be a star. I'm hopeful. I'm hopeful. And I do think that the kid's going to be mightily productive. And I, and I think, Jack, there's a few, some even mentioned above, that are in that same place you are, that you know, love this kid, see stardom in his future. I um, think he might have been the best Ohio State receiver to come through that program. You know, I have seen that post post out there quite a few times and I hope it's correct and I hope it's right. I couldn't quite get there in my evaluation of him and what I saw with him on tape. I liked a lot of his tape. I, I can see and understand as a player of why he's going to be um, productive, uh, immediately productive out of the slot the next level. I, I do still land in that place of I don't quite see of him playing on the outside at any kind of um, any kind of normal way myself. But as a slot guy, yeah. I think he's going to be really good in that area and maybe even that potential to be a star. And if you got yourself a star slot in this draft to now pair, if that's what his conclusion is, that's who he's going to become as a player and become that, I think, probably pretty quickly. Whew. The sky's the limit on this offense. It will know no bounds. Fun pieces. I love St. Brown. He's a great player. Nothing to shake a stick at. Ed Armitage, this offense reminds me of the 05 offense, except with better wide receivers and tight ends. O-line might be worse. Geno and Hasselbeck are similar in a lot of ways. I agree, Ed. I agree. I, I never really thought about how much they are kind of similar, but I think you could find a lot between their games that does kind of add up in that way. Um, I think Geno's got a little more mobility and maybe a little more um, 
deeper arm strength to him than Matt did. But I still love the comp. That's great. Uh, yeah, I'm with you. I think that that's, you could say the offensive line was a little stronger there in those days. I think the tight end position's much stronger now at this point, Ed. Um, Fant's a better talent than Stevens, and then you didn't have two tight ends. <laughs> you had, even your second tight end was like Moliaki or something, Moyaki or something like that was the backup there. So you're way better there. And your receiver position was always in kind of this weird fluctuating state. Jervicious gave you the one great year in 05. And then you had Bobby Ingram, obviously, in the slot. And so you have some comparable there. But the other guy being, whether it was Jackson or whoever at the other place, was always kind of rotating through a little bit um, in that other place. So I think, yeah, I mean, even a running back position, though Alexander was good. He's the combination of Alexander and Mike Morris better than Kenneth Walker, Zach Charbonnet, DJ Dallas, and Kenny McIntosh? Mm, prob probably not. I'm not a big... I, I like Alexander, though, but... I mean, so I, I like it, Ed. I like the comp. And this one might even have a little bit of an edge on that, that offense. And that offense was whew, unstoppable at times. Daniel Berry, how you doing, man? Megan, my lady from Dananda. How are you doing? It's good to see you as well. This is the Hawks Nest. Greetings, 12s and B. Waiting for the cracking game, so I'm not sure how long I'll be here for. We're going to be going uh, right up until the start of the cracking game here, probably, Megan. So we'll be hitting this up to about 6.30 here my time. So I kind of try to plan that ahead of this a little bit if I could. Uh, Sam, uh, oh, sorry, I'm behind on my donos here. Let me catch you up here. Kevin Mullen, thank you for the $2 donation. I do appreciate it, Kevin. It's good to see you in the chat. I love we can go three wide, three tight end, or wildcat with three running backs. You can do anything, and that's why I call it the amoeba, because it's shapeless, it's formless. It is everything, and it is nothing. It can be all, it can be nothing. <laughs> it's, it's either or. Uh, but I love that ability to be able to change to what your opponent has a weakness, to what your opponent's having to deal with from an injury standpoint that's making them now maybe suddenly weak. Maybe it's making them suddenly weak in a place that they were once strong. But you have that ability to do that. It's one thing to have the just the roster guys that'll fill out a roster that can get it. But when you put a Colby Parkinson out on the field as your third tight end, you're putting a guy out there that can both block and can catch. That he's a, he's a problem in both of those two elements for defenses. He's not just another guy that you're throwing out there. He's, he's a guy that's got some skill to him, that's got some ability to him. And that's the key here with it. Any team can just fill the roster out with the positions, but to fill them out with a level of quality where this guy's a functional player on the football field, you've got to pay attention to him. You can't just lock in on this guy here and that guy there and say, okay, we've shut their offense down now effectively. No, you do that, we're going to hit you in that open weakness. And the more that you commit to putting extra players to one player, the more you're going to widen out and open up that weakness, in my opinion. Drew Branley says, thoughts on Derek Hall? He looks to have really heavy hands and can set the edge well despite his size. I think your, uh, your first two points, I think, are the, are the big ones. As I, as I referenced him in my uh, breakdown of the draft video, Drew, you know, he's got the whole cans. Where when he gets his initial punch up on the offensive tackle, you can feel the offensive tackle almost like a car crash a little bit get dropped, throttled backwards just a little bit. And it's very important to take note of that because when you really watch most of these matchups off of the edge throughout college football, you're going to have guys more often than not just get up to that point where it's just a, a, a neutral standoff, essentially. Neither one's gained a, a yard forward or back. And so the fact that he does that snap in and snap out to me tells me that that's 
probably especially a guy doing it in the SEC, Drew, and that he's doing this against a lot of times guys that are going to be tackles at the NFL level, even if just backups, that it's going to translate, that that power is not something that's going to suddenly be lost now as he goes to the pro level, as it was with LJ Collier, who just did not have that same kind of level of, of just strength that he was operating off the edge, even despite the fact LJ was a little bit, I think, of a bigger guy than Derek. Um, he plays bigger than his size to me, Drew. This is also why Auburn was so willing at times to move him inside on the tape when he was good inside off of the tape. But I do think that he gives you right out the gate, like you talked about, the heavy hands and the strength to set the edge well. So now you have early run. Let's if, let's look at it like this, where we've got early run defenders now, where we could put Boye Mafe and we could put uh, we could put Derek Hall down as our two edges early down, and those guys will be absolutely immovable pillars on the edges of your defense. And now we can we can kind of now move the rest of the defense around to like, okay, our defensive tackles are a little weakened. How can we reinforce that? Okay, how do we get to the guys around the edge now? Because those guys are going to widen any outside runs and their ability to set that edge. That's going to give us an extra longer beat to get to the outside runs, so maybe we can commit some more resources here to the inside. So I think that it opens things up having these guys, before we get to what he is as a pass rusher, Drew, having him there as that ability to set that run and set it really well on the early downs. And I think Seattle's done this kind of with a purposeful approach. You now can take more of Uchenna and Daryl Taylor to me and slide them more in pass rushing roles. Uchenna can play the run fine, so he's good in that realm too. It's, it's not that he's a negative in that, but just now you can get more of a pure plus player and keep everybody really fresh in the rotations and I think that's the early spot much like we saw with Boye Mafe Drew where I think Boye Mafe now starts to develop more in his role as a pass rusher this year but now we get Derek Hall taking on that Boye Mafe role of last year where you're an early rundown defender you're setting the edge you're playing you're playing with a lot of effort uh, high intensity and you're just uh, 100 miles an hour because you know we're going to be able to keep you fresh and rotated through so you don't have to save anything on the tank from play to play as a pass rusher he does still need to me Drew to you know get some refinement I don't think that he necessarily gives you dip and bend or that you you know something that you would look for normally I think for pass rushers is one of those really valued skills I do think he's got some initial quickness and explosion off the line which is at least nice for him in that to have in that respect of things. I know he only ran like a one six four, but I think he was a little quicker on tape than the testing times um, as far as his ten yard split goes. As for, especially in the first like three steps off the line of scrimmage, not lightning quick, but fairly quick, quick enough. Um, but the power is where he's going to get it done, and he does have some drew some secondary moves. He works off of the power, so he goes from power to um, he's got a kind of a long arm bull rush when he's not just doing the power bull rush. He'll go long arm, then he gets the tackles leaning, and then he can jab step outside and counter back in. And he's going to bring that right out the gate, which would give even NFL offensive tackles issues because they're going to have to mount up on his strength. They're going to have to really get ready for him and really get ready to kind of try to anchor down. And the fact he's got kind of two moves with the outside long arm and then the jab step inside that's now going to get him into a place where he can start to get some of the tackles guessing a little bit. And uh, that's where he's going to get some wins when he catches them guessing wrong. But I do like his upside. I like him better as a player th than Daryl Taylor. I probably like him on a pretty similar spot, in my opinion, to where I saw Boye Mafe as a prospect. So definitely some legitimate upside to him. Is it star level upside? Maybe not quite there. But you've got a guy out there that could play, be a plus run defender who gives you 10 plus sacks a year in both Boye and this guy on the outside. That's that. We can work work that, you know. We can build upon that. Uh, Hongwu says, I agree. Gino and Hasselbeck being similar. Gino's uh, better physically, but all quarterbacks nowadays are compared to 2005. It's a great point. It's a great way to put it. Gino's like the new age Matt, This, you know. Um, maybe a little more mobile than Matt. 
Because Matt wasn't Matt was very immobile even for back in the day. As Mike Holmgren called him, he's Mike once said, you know, Matt's a is a giraffe on skates uh, when he when he's moving around in the open field. But uh, Gino's a little bit better than that. But there's there's more probably similar to them, especially when you build in the 20 years of difference of time. Herbicide says this draft is growing on me. I still would have did things different, but oh well. I'm thinking we might have drafted five starters this year, so that's good. Oh, you're speaking Henry Mars on that. It's good to hear Herbicide. Glad to hear you're kind of coming around a little bit on it. A drunk says, yo, Brandon, you think Noah Fant is still on the trade block or do we keep him another year and maybe sign him to another contract, maybe more spread out that, that Denver contract to save cap space? You could do that, drunk. Certainly is a, a possibility of, of going in that direction with it. Um, there's been no indications that they're going to do a, a contract extension here, so that makes me a little reticent to believe that they want to do so. I think that he is a little bit of a fallback of being a potential guy they trade, but we've not heard that he's really on the market to be moved. We've all just kind of logically deduced that you've got to create cap space somewhere, and here's a place where you can create $6 million of cap space instantaneously, so why not do this? Uh, we'll see if it does go down that way with it. I, I'm a little unsure at this point, but I would say it's much more likely drunk that he gets traded than it is that he gets um, given a contract extension. Tommy says, man, how lucky was Stroud to have JSN and Marvis Harrison and, and good O-line. Well, Tommy, don't forget. Uh, don't forget last year he had... Uh, uh, what we Garrett Wilson, Chris Olave, Abu, Abuka. Don't forget Abuka this year too, Tommy. Right? Abuka's probably going to get drafted in this league somewhere. And then also we had the tight end last year that was drafted, I think, in the third or fourth round. So yeah, certainly Stroud was working off of a, a fairly good amount of riches there in Ohio State. Sam Fisher, thank you for the five dollar donation. I do appreciate it, Sam. I hope you're having a good night. Says low ceiling is five to seven wins. Floor, win loss, eight to 10 wins. Ceiling, uh, so low ceiling would be five to seven wins. Our floor would be eight to 10 wins. Our ceiling would be 11 to 14 wins. None of these three would shock me, mostly due to healthy OFC. NFC, I think is what you meant on that. You might've said a I think you meant NFC, mostly due to a healthy NFC. Uh, Sam, I agree with your outlook on this. I think that there is some variance and there is some wide variance at that to your potentialities of this given year because there are a couple of factors at play. Does the schedule and injury regression to the mean factor in? Um, you know, does uh, where is your division going to be at? Where is the NFC conference in general going to be at? Can the young guys step forward quicker than sometimes young guys are able to step forward? And, and that is a real possibility with the way that Coach Carroll is able to really uh, do well with younger players. He gets the most out, it would seem at times, from younger players. So I would agree with you. I think that there's a variance here. Uh, to me, I, I do think that the low ceiling on the floor here, Sam, for me is seven wins. I, I do feel like Coach Carroll just has that ability as a coach somehow or another to get you to the floor place as a team. It may not be a year that he's able to get you to an elite status or get you to the 12-13 win mark, but that Carroll does at least, to me, to the degree, give you the seven wins as that base bo bottom dollar minimum spot that he'll at least get to. And I do think that they would at least get there next this next year. But uh, eight to 10 wins, absolutely is possible there um, as, as, far as, that, as far as that, to me, realistic kind of flourish point at the ceiling of 11 to 14 wins. If it comes together, as you say, it wouldn't shock me. It wouldn't shock me either. If any of those outcomes came out the way they did, because there is a lot kind of at play here 
you know, that, that brings in more of that variance. Um, but if it came together that fast, that quickly, that would be an amazing thing, Sam. And it'd be an amazing thing, but well put, man. Well put, well, uh, put out there in that way. I agree hundred percent, man. Strange too. Most teams, I think, Sam, you can lock into kind of like, well, I think they're right around this three, this three, four game mark is about their variance. But this team, indeed, you got anywhere from seven to 14 wins, anywhere from six to 14 wins. It, uh, it's just kind of going to, it's one of those things. It's a little bit harder to predict. It's the beauty of the, beauty of the NFL too, though. And that's why we got a lot of different every, difference every year with how many playoff teams go in and how many playoff teams don't. Thank you, though, Sam. Appreciate you. Kevin with another $5 donation. Thank you, Kevin. Uh, you surprised the front office went 50-50 for, for offense-defense this draft? Knowing what you knew before the draft, what percentage were you leaning to each side of the ball? I thought 70-30. Yeah, I would have probably thought coming into this draft that overall you would land at a spot of being more 70-30 in, in the way you drafted and how you drafted. Um so it did, it was, it was surprising to me that the front office went this direction. It probably shouldn't have been surprising to me, Kevin. This probably should have been something that I probably should have given more thought to of being a possibility because let's operate from where this all comes from. And that is that I think that the team is allowing value to drive their board. And if value is driving your board, that means you're taking the best player at the top of your board when your pick comes up. And that's absent what you need. That's absent how you want to lean your particular draft by the number of picks you want to apply to one side of the ball or the other, right? Because if you come into a draft and you say 70% of our picks have to be on the defensive side of the ball, that is the opposite of drafting for value at that point. That is firmly fixed right in the need category of how you are running your drafts. And that is something that I've, of course, really bristled and pushed back against wanting to see the team do. I don't want you to go to need. I don't want you to just come into a draft and say, I've got to put 70% of my picks to the defensive side of the ball just because arbitrarily. No, let's trust the value of our board and what it's telling us and what it's saying. And I think that they did. And whether I agree with where their value is at is irrelevant. Just, I want, beyond the team doing what I want, I just want the team to operate smartly. And I, I really feel as much firmly about this as any opinion I have in football. And that is that when it comes to the draft, those teams that lean to value as much as humanly possible are the teams that are going to build elite teams into the future. And those teams that, that fit to need, those teams that <clears throat> are constantly just concentrating on what today is the thing that they need to fix, the whack-a-mole kind of process to building their football teams, those are the teams that end up in between. Pretty good, just not quite good enough. Good enough to get the playoffs, not good enough to make much noise in it. And I, I do trust in that. I do believe in that. But thank you, Kevin. Appreciate the, 50, uh, appreciate the $5 donation. And, and uh, some great comments from you guys too on the donos. Uh, appreciate where you guys are coming from because I agree 100%. Nicholas Newton, thank you for the $5 dono. Says, Our new defense is controlling the clock on offense. Our new defense is controlling the clock on offense. <laughs> Our new defense is controlling the clock on offense. Choices, choices, choices. I'm loving it. There have been many, many, many a porous defense, many a defense that is hanging on for dear life that sees itself elevated to a higher plane of existence in a given NFL season because they have an offense on the other side of the ball that is so electric, that is so explosive, that can put so many points on the board. And that when you have an offense that's doing that, moving chains, oh, we're going to win the time of possession war every single week. Oh, I got a defensive coordinator who knows that if I run a casino blitz 15 times a game, 
and I happen to give up a couple of long touchdowns over the top on running those casino blitzes, so be it. Maybe I'll get a couple of turnovers and sacks on the other side of it. I know my offense is going to score enough points to overcome it. That's why the, that's why, as Nicholas puts it, the, the new defense is essentially controlling that, controlling the ball, being great offensively, because this is a pathway that has been successful for teams in the past. It may seem like, oh no, you got to build them both up legitimately in that place. Not necessarily. Not necessarily. And I'm going to be doing a show that's going to be centric and a lot like this offensive-centric show is going to be a defensive-centric show of how these two things can kind of pair together in just this fashion I'm talking about. How you can look at this from a philosophy standpoint and go, this is how we're going to do this specifically. It's not how every other defense or every other team or every other way that they construct and how they play is going to do it, but it's how we could do it to find our best success for the year of 2023. And I think that there's something that's really opened up here where you have a, a defense that set the stage to allow itself to run man concepts. And if it wants to run a little bit more of the blitz heavy stuff and be a little bit more pressure based in its packages, take some more risks because it knows on the back end, if it's unsuccessful and gets hit, it's got the offense that can carry the water that can make up for that. I would love to see the defense take that kind of, take that kind of choice with it. But yeah, uh, make no mistake, it's not just an empty talk. An offense that's moving the chains, and this is an offense that's constructed to move the chains, is going to eat clock. An offense that's eating clock is going to protect its defense, is going to keep that defense fresher, faster. And a faster, fresher defense is going to be a defense that's going to be able to stay at prime level throughout the whole course of a game that's not going to get worn down. We'll see. But I can see the plan for that. I can see how that could play out in that fashion. Drug says, also, why did Levis fall to the second round? Is it really that bad of a prospect? I thought he had flashed at least to be a top 25 pick. I can only guess. I I, I think, um, as Hung Woo says below there on his comment, there's a little bit of talk maybe about the interviews didn't go the greatest, right? That he, he might have rubbed some people a little bit weirdly in the interviews to a degree. I don't, these are always things that you guess on and you don't really know. But the fact that to me that the talent did flash enough on tape that you would think that that would draw him to be somebody would pick him in the in the first round remember drunk teams will take a flyer on a quarterback at the end of a first round even if they don't think he's first round value just to get that fifth year option on him and the fact that no team was willing to do that was a little bit strange to me i don't think the cost was going to be that exorbitant for a team like the titans to move up into the first round if they wanted to get him there but no team was willing to do it and then there's got to be an explanation for it he also had a miserable final year Let's also acknowledge that. He played against a tough conference. He had no supporting cast. I think there's a lot of explanations for why he didn't play as good um, as people were kind of hoping for him to play. But that was not a good year last year. And even at times where there were some throws and situations where you should look better, you should look, you got a clean pocket now. You should step, you know, step this little bit up in the pocket, show some subtlety of the position. And he didn't flash that. He's a little bit of a, you know, hammer quarterback where every throw is a nail. You know, where, where's the layered throws? Where's the sense of touch? Do you have that in your bag? I, don't know. I still do trust that Levis is going to be able to turn around to a decent degree when it's all said and done. I think he's going to a great environment there with Vrabel. But I think the question marks were probably real with him too.
Uh, Tony Wright says, hello, Brandon. Congrats as your squad has two straight very good drafts. Our squad had nice drafts too the last two seasons, but this season we spent the most. Um, I love what you guys are doing, Tony. I, I like that there's a sense there with Atlanta right now of, um, you know, going out and, and let's, this division's open next year. Nobody's got a stranglehold on this thing. And why not us to be a team that can look to go out there and, and be that team to go grab that point? And I, I know Desmond Ritter didn't look great last year, but now he comes back into the flow as a second-year guy. He was, I thought, pro-ready on the tape coming out of Cincinnati. Slides into that spot. He's got a little bit more to work with now, I feel like, on the outside with you guys and where you've set things up uh, on your team. Bijan Robinson coming in is going to be a great running back for you. And uh, there's no there's no better best friend to a quarterback than a running back like Bijan. Not only what he can do carrying the rock, but as a as a pass catcher. So I I think the the Falcons had a real underrated off season. It's they're not talked a lot about there, Tony. But I do know you made some signings. You did some. You you were active out there. I like that they took more of the the bull by the horns a little bit and looked at okay, Tom's gone. New Orleans is starting to look like a little bit of a tra- a dumpster fire with Peyton out, and Carolina's kind of young and still maybe a little bit of a way. Why not us? Why not us to be that team to slide in there? And especially the NFC, Tony, where if you can get in the playoffs in this conference, it's all opened up, you know? I'm glad you guys did it. I like seeing some aggressiveness there. You know about me, Tony, I hate seeing those teams caught in between that always never take that shot, never really go for it on that. And there's a little bit more of a kind of feel of going for it here from these Falcons this year. It's good. But yeah, we're feeling pretty good about ours too here. Feeling mighty fine. Chad Hart says the NFL better not screw us like last year. We should be on less four. We should be on at least four primetime games. I have a feeling we will be, Chad. Partly because I think if you look at it, I mean, you're going to obviously doesn't got a lot of teams that are going to be big draws. It <laughs> does it. You know, no more Rodgers in Green Bay. No more Tampa, Tampa Dom. It's it's who's who's going to be the big draw? Who's exciting? You know, we got DK, we got Tyler, maybe out of Jamal, Tariq Woolen. All the young players are bringing in. Kenneth Walker. The NFL is going to be pulled to put us on quite a few primetime games at that point. I think four is a good number. That feels about right to me. And just all I'm asking, Chad, is no no 10 a.m. games. Or just, how about just one? Just one 10 a.m. Can that be it? You know? Tony Wright says Seattle and Atlanta may meet in the playoffs in 2023. Stay tuned. You guys might end up being my prediction. I, I'm going to be drawn towards Carolina to probably give the division, you know, my my prediction on who wins that division. I'll probably be pulled a little bit towards saying Carolina, but there is going to be a draw on me to maybe at the end of the day when I study this and look at your guys' team, Tony, to give Atlanta the teams, hey, this team's going to win this division. So yeah, I could see it, man. I could see it. Partly by how aggressive they've been and partly by, I think, how how well you guys have drafted. Ebiketti coming back into his second year there off the edge. Drake London, working his way back in now. Yeah, I like it. Uh, Miss Ken, I know some don't like TB, but I really appreciate the man's football knowledge, but maybe that's just me. I feel I feel it, Mr. Ken, like I said with it, it's just, I, I, I you know, I, I think there's sometimes a feeling on this stuff, we do this, that there's only so many, you know, there's only like so many bites of a particular slice of steak or something, but I think there's room enough for everybody to eat. And, uh, you know, but 
I, yeah, it was interesting watching it boil down yesterday. I was, I was kind of like, whoa, this, this, that escalated quickly. Yeah. <laughs> like, whew. <laughs> oh, but I, you know, everybody, I'll, I'll say the thing with both these two guys that are in this, in this little bit of this beef going on, you know, every, they're, they both work really hard at what they do. I think both try to put out really good content. Uh, both care about what they do. You know, and that's the most you can ask for, I think, for any content creator out there um, on it. But uh, yeah, I'm, I'm definitely, I will not be for, I will not be jumping into those waters. <laughs> Tony says the Seahawks and the Falcons have the best young dynamic duo running backs in football as last season, Kenneth Walker and Tyler Algier were the only two rookie back rookie running backs to go over a thousand yards. Indeed. Tyler and uh, Bijan are going to be a nice little mix between the two of those guys. And uh, I feel like the one thing that the head coach does really good there, Arthur, the Arthur guy, you guys, Tony is, he's a very good run, run game coordinator, especially. seems like that's something he can really scheme up really well. I mean, hell, he's turned Cordell Patterson into elite back. JDM says, shout out to Bain. The big man doesn't get enough love or recognition for his contribution to making the Legion of Boom go. Stopping the run or pass starts at the line 100%. I agree it does as well. And yeah, shout out to Brandon Mabain. Um, and a little bit of a guess that you do see a little bit of that revisionist history when it comes to the Legion of Boom, where it's well, the secondary made that defense go. Like, well, secondary is the part that gets talked about. The Legion of Boom's reference towards them them specifically, but it was the front seven as well. Casey Wright talked about this, uh, I think, on the recent show that he did uh, with G. Scott this week about confirming just this. You, know, you need the front seven. You need you know everybody to have that role in that front seven. You know, Brandon McBain to be kind of your all-around guy, but early run defender. Red Bryan is your five tech on early downs. Clint McDonald is your three tech in the NASCAR package. Brandon Michael Bennett operating from outside in, from rundowns to pass downs. You know, everybody slid into their particular role in that defense. Rogue Jason is going to be a blessing to our passing offense. Finally, pressure will be taken off of DK. I'm predicting 1,500 yards and 11 touchdowns for DK. Go Hawks. The second the DK can get some of the double teams peeled off at let's just say half the rate of what they've been, DK Metcalf will get to 1,500 yards. Easy peasy. But that is to me the single force, that is the single inhibiting factor to DK getting to that spot where he could be true, true into true superstar numbers. Uh, but that is what he gets doubled as much as any receiver on the outside in football. That's the reality of it. And no better way to pull off a double team than... First, you get a legitimate receiver to the other side of the guy. We got that. Teams are just deciding to double both of them at times. But then now get the slot guy that can just absolutely eat up all that open space now that's going to be there underneath. Mr. Isaac says, hey, uh, what's up, Brando? Good to have you back, man. Work has been a grind. This is a nice way to get my mind off of it. Well, thank you, Mr. Isaac. Don't be working too hard out there. We got summer on the horizon here. It's time for laxing. You know, it's time for cold drinks with umbrellas in the top of them. Sitting back, watching the sunshine. Herbicide, I'm not sold on Devin Bush, nor should you, nor should you be. <laughs> we don't, we here at the Ox Nest and you either on this herbicide, we don't do blind, blind uh, optimism on players if they haven't shown it and they've been in the league for a while, do we? And uh, nor would we do that here with Devin Bush. I'm hopeful he can eventually tap back into this first round ability that he once flashed or once had enough to be drafted 10th overall or whatever he was in the first round, but 
He is not a guy that as of yet has shown it with the Steelers and not a guy that they were altogether all that sad to see go somewhere else. A guy that they didn't activate the fifth year option on. And there's a reason for that. It's going to be a good battle, Tony. Walker and Charbonnet, Tyler Algill, B. John Robinson. Good little combo. Not much better out there, I think. Eagles will have a pretty good combo, I think, routine. If Rashad Penny can stay healthy with DeAndre Swift, they might be pretty, pretty tight, too. Paul Sissia says, Jackson at 20 was a gamble receiver, is a high rate of bust position. He is coming off an injury, but a lot of professional scouts had him as a best at his position. We're going to find out if he can play. Indeed we are. Indeed we are. It is a high rate, does have a high rate of bust. There is no doubt about that. I think it will help him out a little bit on the bust rate, Paul. That gives me a little bit more comfort with him than I might normally have with a receiver taken in the first round. I take Quentin Johnson, Paul, you know, Quentin Johnson's got a, who was the pick after Jackson Smith by the Chargers. I got to get his route running figured out. I got to get his hands figured out. I got to see if he can work off of press coverage on the outside. I got to hope that he's going to have enough speed to take, get the top off of a, a defender out on that outside. Whereas with the slot, I got those free releases inside. I got a lot of it where I can be kind of schemed up to create his touches and his catches so that even if he's not necessarily a, high-level impact player, he's at least being a productive player in there. He's giving you those touches and those catches, which you might not get from the outside first-round receiver who's got to win against a number one cornerback, sometimes drawing the toughest uh, the toughest draw in that respect of things. So there's a little bit to me that gives me a little more of that hope to Jackson versus other receivers that might be taken in that spot. Even a guy like last year, uh, Traylon Burks, Paul, uh, that was taken by the Titans. Similar kind of thing, where this guy's got to win on the outside, rough route running, hands, eh. you got you got to work through all that stuff to start to get around to the production part of his game. I don't think that we're going to have to do the same thing here with Jackson, but the bust rate's the bust rate. It's the reality of uh, the nature of taking one in the first round. Johnny says, uh, Tommy says, it's not all about measurables though. Both Cooper and JSN are excellent route runners. Combine that with good athletics and you get something special. Amen. Amen. And no, it is not all about the metrics, that's for sure. Hungwu, yeah, Gino's likely to get his bonuses. <laughs> he's, 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 it's kind of money in the bank as it's looking right now. Uh, Henry, also remember that Zach can catch and break tackles. Another target for Yak, for Gino. Another one, absolutely. Swing, swing routes especially. You don't want Zach coming at you in the swing route. He did so much of it at UCLA, and you could just feel defenders. He swings out. Catches it, and he's got five yards build-up speed to come downhill on a defensive back. And you see these defensive backs, poor guys going, Ugh. you know, you got to give me with some, you got the 220 with, with Bill, you know, he's already up to full speed, running behind his pads. You know, I, ugh. he was hard to bring down the open field in that realm. A lot of guys making business decisions at that time on his tape. AI says Eskridge is done in Seattle. Stick a fork in him. Amen. Amen. Cam Ward, Michael Penix would be great, Greg. Two guys that may be very much on the Seahawks radar next year. 
Angu, you got uh, JSN for 850 yards this year. That sounds about right. I'd probably land right around that place. Probably go like 55 catches, 60 catches, 800 yards, 750 yards, something like that. I don't think you'll get to uh, the magic magic spot. Kay says, how's the book going? What's up, Kay? Oh, Kelly, by the way, big thank you to you out there. Huge thank you. You put a review out on the book. I saw I got posted. Sometimes Amazon's book reviews make you jump through a gauntlet of stuff to get the reviews posted. But uh, thank you for getting that posted up over on the deal. And uh, the book's been doing pretty good. We've got a good number of sales. So I'm just working on right now, Kelly, getting the um, hard copy and the paperbacks put together. And we'll get those posted out. But uh, I'm very, very happy so far with what I'm seeing on it. And it's, uh, it's good to see. Good to see. We've got some Hawks Nesters reading out in the book. And I'm, I'm glad it, uh, it seems to have read well. So I, from a couple of people, they've been really happy with what they read. And it's, uh, it was good because I was, of course, releasing that a little bit blind, Kelly, where I was like, I don't know if this is going to, this might be bad. You know, you never know if nobody's actually had a chance to really check it out and read it. But uh, I'm really proud of it. And I'm really happy. It seems to be doing really good. And it's been... Uh, it makes me feel good that I finally got out. So I got that thing posted. But thank you. Thank you so much for posting that review. You were awesome. Uh, Kelly says, do we have the best secondary in the league? I think you have the potential for the best secondary in the league, Kelly. Uh, you don't know if you're going to have Jamal Adams for a full year. It's hard to count quite on his health. you got to see what you get with Devin Witherspoon when he's walking in the door and what he can kind of round into being. And if he can be a... a somewhat of an even kind of dominant player just right from the jump if he's got that in his bag to do that. Um, if, if those two factors come into play, Kelly, where you can count on both of those to happen, Jamal's health and Witherspoon's potential, even not full dominance where he's like a number top five corner or something, but he could be a top 15, top 10 guy, then yeah, you can round this secondary into being one of the best in the league, I think, at that point. But it would be relying on those two main factors, I would say. Rick Astley says, so many weapons for Gino. He's got so many, Rick. He can go wherever he wants to go. He can read his, he can read his pre-snap stuff pure. And you say, okay, I got them leaning this way, leaning that way. I've got underneath here. I'm gonna hit my I'm gonna hit my third tight end on this option route to the side. And he knows Colby Parkinson's gonna catch it. I'm not gonna go to DK. I'm not gonna go to Tyler. I'm gonna come back underneath to Jackson because I know Jackson's gonna be in the right spot at the right time, wide open and he's going to catch it. I can flip this out to Zach Charbonnet in the flat, and he's going to catch that ball, and then he's going to be a threat to go do something with it in his hands after the catch. I can count on all these things, and that confidence is just lets you play the position purely, and if he's able to play the position purely, he's able to just go after those very same weaknesses that I mentioned at the top of the show, Rick, that is what, to me, is the staple and hallmarks of what you usually see in a dominant offense. Uh, Chad Hart says, smash that, smash that like button like my cat Russell said so. Please do do that, folks, and thank you for reminding me on that. If you guys do like what you're listening to here, please do hit that like button. Please do get subbed on up here to the channel. I would really appreciate it. We just passed by 12,000 subscribers here on the channel, feeling real good in that respective thing. So please do join, join the crew here at the Hawks Nest. Fun P, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate it. Well, let me make sure I didn't miss Nicholas. 
Oh, no, I got you, Nicholas. Fumpy, thank you for the $5 donation. I do appreciate you, man. And I do hope you're having a good night as well. He says, if Oluwatimi can win the center spot and Bradford wins the right guard spot, is Damian Lewis good enough to hold off Evan Brown and Haynes as left guard? Great question, Fumpy. Thank you for the $5 donation. Well, I do think that Damian Lewis has done what we sometimes, and I'm definitely guilty uh, myself of not allowing for this to happen at times, which is the patience to allow for guys to develop and get better and improve. And when it comes to uh, Damian Lewis, you know, we thought with him moving to left guard, we'd all just kind of decided, well, he's moving to left guard. His natural position is right guard. He's going to suck at left guard. And so why are they doing this? Just move him back to right guard. And I've been very consistent in saying, just move him back to right guard. I don't think that's the pathway to take at this point. He posted a 71 grade by PFF standards last year. This is on top of the tape looking really good from him. The only thing he was really missing for last year when you you saw the, the, the problems that raised up in his game that could be problematic for us even this year is that he just doesn't move well in space and he's not going to get better at moving in space anytime soon. But he got much better in pass protection. That's the place you worried about most with him going to left guard and going against those three techs more often than not. And he really held up. It was actually his strength last year was this pass blocking more than it was his run blocking. And so with his development as a player and sliding into that left guard spot and getting so comfortable there, I don't think Evan Brown's going to be able to overtake him over at that spot. I think Evan probably is going to be your your backup. Um, he'll push probably Phil Haynes a little bit right guard, but I think Phil Haynes is kind of starting, is going to at least give them a, I don't know, it'll be a good battle. Fun P, I'm not sure on who's going to win that one, to be honest with you. Because uh, Haynes didn't exactly, he didn't solidify himself in that spot. He was marginally better than Gabe Jackson was when he was coming in playing for him. Uh, Evan Brown, I think, based on what I was seeing and reading off of him initially, was he was better at guard last year than he was necessarily at center. So we'll see how that that plays out. I do think that the bottom line of it will be, though, Fun P, is that we will get better play out of both center and right guard this year overall throughout the course of the year than we got out of the position last year. And that should help to make the offense better on top of having a more well-rounded running back room, having Jackson Smith and Jigba out as a slot, and having some depth behind him as well. So you're not just riding on one player, and if he goes down, now you just have to go to two tight end sets and two wide receiver sets, and that's all you can kind of roll. So I'd see it playing out like kind of like that. But I do think Oluwatimi is going to, if he doesn't push to start at center initially right out the gate, I think he's starting before the end of the year. Coaching staff is going to be very impressed with this kid, especially with him on the neck up stuff. Everything up to do with upstairs, he's going to know what he needs to do. He's going to take on probably all the line calls very easily. Uh, the kid's ready to roll, I think, fun. I think I, I did that video I did this week was uh, again not to gas anybody up. I truly do believe in this kid's upside, Oluwatimi, a guy that is I'm as excited about him as any guy that we drafted in this draft uh, and what he can do because he is such a pure fit for this scheme and his skill set. Thank you, though, Fun. I do appreciate the $5 donation. Uh, Fat Daddy, let me get some coffee and I'll come back and get your dono here. So, one second. Fat Daddy Stacks with the $10 donation. How you doing, Fat Daddy? 
And I do appreciate that $10 dono to the channel. He says, hey, bro, FYI, wild pig is as good as a mofo. <laughs> well, maybe I'm, uh, I'm trying to maybe plan a trip here, Fat Daddy, to Maui in late June here. So I'm, I'm starting to kind of maybe look at that being a time when I go over there and check it out. Maybe I'll have to go see if I can land me some, uh, some wild poi out there. Give me a little bit of that wild pig. Uh, I don't know, man. I don't know, unless it's bacon. Unless, unless you're talking about them slicing off some bacon for me on that. I, that's going to be a tough sell for me. Uh, he says, I feel that the Hawks will make some moves that will make them better than they are. Either way, it will be a good season. Oh, well put. I love the optimism as well, Fat Daddy. Thank you for that $10 donation again. I share your feeling on this. I don't think that the team is quite done. I understand that we are a little bit behind the eight ball as far as our salary cap situation is currently set. But I don't think that that means that they have to necessarily now sit on these moves and there's nothing else that they can do to better accommodate that cap space situation. And so something else to me does, is going to come down the track here. I don't know if it's a big home run type swing, Fad Daddy, but they'll, make, they'll, be, they'll, be, they'll be moves to improve the team. They'll make them better than what they are now. And specifically, I think the defensive tackle is the one position that really does stand out where you can address. It's not like we got a wide variety of things we have to go out there and still deal with, right? We feel great about our safety position. We got some, some strength on the front line. We got some depth. We feel great about the cornerback position. We got some front line. We got some depth. Um, we feel okay about the middle linebacker position, right? We got Brooks coming back into the fold there at some point. You'd like to feel maybe a little bit better but you do have at least your, your frontline starters kind of in place. Your edges, you feel fine there. Your offensive line, great. Receivers, awesome. Running backs, fantastic. Tight ends, beautiful. Even quarterbacks, you're too deep on. The one spot on the team you could take to look to address is that defensive tackle, which to me then makes it that much easier to address because you can kind of laser in on that part of the team and go, this is what we got to get at. This is the part that we got to get go in, in, and take care of. Um, so I think that they will. And I also referenced last week on this fad daddy. It's that look at the history of the Seahawks and how many moves they've made around training camps of different years. Sheldon Richardson, one year, Jadavian Clowney, one year, Jamal Adams, one year. This team is absolutely going to be willing to make moves. If there's a weakness there that they see that they have to address, they don't just sit there on a weakness and go, well, it's a weakness. Let's just look beyond it. And we'll go through this year and we'll just deal with it. They will try to do something to address it. And if that move doesn't come in training camp, you still then have the trade deadline deals that happen, Right. Quandre Diggs one year, Carlos Dunlap one year. They've certainly been willing to be active in that respect to bring guys on. So I think the team's going to take some more steps here to make themselves better at this point. I don't think that we're just simply done on the defensive line. There's something else to happen. It does feel like it'll be, if it's not a full splash move, a kind of a sub-splash move, Fat Daddy, right? Where it's like you're getting a solid guy. You're not maybe getting a, a difference maker, but you're getting a solid guy that just makes everybody feel a little bit more warm and fuzzy and helps everybody sleep a little bit more thoroughly at night uh, because you've dealt with it. Thank you, though, for the $10 donation, man. I really do appreciate it. And I will, uh, if I got some pig put in front of me when I go to Hawaii next, I'll eat it. And I'll say, Fat Daddy said you got to do this. He said it was delicious. If it's gamey, though, man, I'm going to be, I'm coming back blaming you on the stream. I'll be like, you didn't tell me about the gaminess. No gaminess. Tommy says, I don't know how you can even call plays in our offense now. Do we run? Do we pass? Does it go to the tight ends or one of our three to four top wide receivers? We might have a lot of delay of games. Just in kidding. <laughs> Pick your poison, Johnny. Pick your poison, man. And uh, I think that that's where 
you say that's where you come back, I think, and say, okay, your pre-snap Gino, uh, who do I got to go, go to the ball with on this? Well, that's where trust those pre-snap reads. And you know now if there's already a built-in weakness on a defense, and every defense has a weakness. Every defensive call has a weakness. There is no perfect defense out there that exists that covers every part up on the football field. Something is exposed. Some place is vulnerable. You as a quarterback have to just determine pre-snap where that exists. And if you have that natural vulnerability that exists, and then you have the player who's a, who is a plus player who can attack specifically those vulnerabilities, that to me is where you start to take the, the top off of defenses. That's where you get an explosive offense. That to me, Tommy, is how you get yourself to a top offensive state. And uh, it's going to be an embarrassment of riches. And maybe there are some of those confusions that occur from time to time where it's like, I don't, Coach Carroll, I got too much here. I'm a kid in the candy store and I just ate five chocolate bars. What do you want me to do? Tired, can, tired Canadian. It's, uh, it's cute, y'all, cracking fans with all your new shiny bright hopes for the future. I hope you make it and don't get crushed under the drought of over 50 years like us Leaf fans. <laughs> I, I've been feeling for the Toronto Leaf fans, man. Tired Canadian. I have because you guys have already had to watch over the last 30 years the hockey teams that have taken hold in America and how many hockey teams down the South where it's like, these kids didn't grow up on rinks. You know, like nobody's, half of them didn't even know what hockey is. We just got a hockey team a couple of years ago. If we go and win the, the, the Stanley Cup <laughs> and meanwhile, you got the Toronto Maple Leafs that's been since like 70, since you guys won. You got, if you're born in 73 as a, a Toronto Maple Leafs fan, you've lived your whole life without a Stanley Cup. Your whole life. Meanwhile, now you got to watch the Seattle team go out there and raise one up. Oh, the D, the town's digging it though. Tired. I'll tell you this is making the, it's making the city embrace this team all that much faster. Embrace hockey all that much faster. You can feel it. Seattle wait, wait, Seattle wait, wait, since 2005, we had the bend, the young bend, but don't break D. Indeed you did. Indeed you did. Yeah. It seemed like at that time it was a lot of, Seemed like at that time, it was a lot of cover too. You did a lot of blitzing with Leroy Hill and Lofa Tatupu. Um, it was a lot of manufactured stuff, you know? A lot of like, you know, coaches getting the most out of everybody across the line a bit. Um, yeah, Grant Winstrom in there being kind of your one force down there off the edge. I, I like that. Yeah, I'm with it. Tommy says, I used to play basketball with Jeremy Stevens when we were young. Still can't believe that fool made it to the NFL laughing out loud. I heard a lot of stories about Jeremy Stevens when I was growing up about some of the, the rep coming out of his school days out of, out of that. And some very uh, colorful tales in regards to Jeremy Stevens. <laughs> uh, Hungwoo, we should run the ball first and set up for the passing game. Mm, maybe Hungwoo. I do like when you're running, when you're operating to me, a West coast offense, I, I do like leaning more into that. The pass opens up the run thing. Teams will tend to first lean into stopping that run. And, and you just, you take advantage of that. And then they start catching them leaning and you lean back the other way. Or hell, we could even run it where we have just Gino running, hurry up. And he just reads it on the fly. If he sees a too high safety, look, it's a run. He sees the safety come down the box. If he's got a heavy box, go back to the pass. Rick says, uh, did you see Curse and Baldwin at the Kraken game? Doug looked high. <laughs> we can blame him, man. He's, in, he's retired. Stay where it's legal. Good for Doug. 
Barry Templin says, what was the beef between top billing and the other Seahawk YouTuber? Um, yeah, there's a beef between right now, Seahawks draft blog, Rob Stanton and top billing. Uh, I have not checked on it today, but both of them have had uh, uh, reaction videos to the other. So it's been a little entertaining. It's a little fun for us here in the off season. Get some content creators going at it, I guess. Uh, the issue stems from Rob Stanton made a video where he was talking about a lot of these uh, content creators on YouTube that aren't necessarily Seahawk fans that are gassing up Seahawk fans with these videos of the the greatness of Seahawks. You know, you guys have seen these videos, I'm sure, in your feed with, you know, Seahawks are destroying the, that's unfair what the Seahawks just did. Da, ba, 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 you know, uh, a lot of those kind of videos, which, you know, Rob's not wrong. There's a lot of those kind of videos being out there promulgated, you know, which aren't necessarily being super honest in their outlook. They're just, they know that there's a lot of um, Hawk fans out there online that are going to watch if they put that kind of title out there. Uh, and so Stan was kind of trying to illustrate this and showing some of the titles in a video he created. And one of those titles he created was Top Billings. And then Top Billing saw the, uh, had, had either saw it or one of his, one of his people, sub people told him, hey, this guy's talking about you in this video, blah, blah, blah. And then he sent Rob a DM and then Rob did a reaction video to that DMs. And then Top Billing did a deep reaction to that reaction and... I guess that's where we're at right now. So it's, I, you know, it's a little bit of, that's where the beef comes from is, you know, essentially Rob saying, well, you're, you're putting these videos up, but you don't really believe this stuff. You're just doing it to, because you know, it draws clicks and whatnot. It's dishonest. And I think where Rob, there's a, to me, what's really more interesting in the, the beef beyond that, I, I'm, cause I'm not really interested in the beef. Um, but what is interesting to it is I think criticism and criticism about the team. And I think a place that is probably rising from with Rob and it's a place that all of us, content creators struggle with that are fans of these teams is where do you, where's the line at exist as far as how deeply you can criticize the team? Because there are so many fans that bristle so hard if they hear you start to, you know, go against that. And if you are a commentator, that's, that's even anyway, even a small degree speaking up about that stuff, you have a very large contingent you're going up against all line where online where it's all beautiful all the time. And uh, so I feel for him on that respect of things, but that's to me more of the interesting discussion that could have been had from this a bit of that. But uh, that's, as I understand it, where the beef lies and hopefully it probably dies down at this point. Both those guys do their, uh, do good work. They work hard, you know, it, it'll probably hopefully calm down, but it was, it was exciting yesterday. You know, you wonder if Top Dome was going to take a flight out to England. If we're going to get some UFC action going on. Mighty interesting there for a few minutes. John Stillwell, thank you for the $20 donation. I appreciate you, John. And I hope you're doing well out there tonight. Thank you as ever for your support, my man. You're awesome. He says, hey, Brandon, how are you doing now that the dust has cleared? I'm doing great, man. I, I feel very good about this draft. I, I think that I definitely can see where as I go into the future, there's going to be, and this is what we're talking about with the criticism of the team, where it's like, you're not being criticizing, but if you're not just saying everything's beautiful, wonderful, awesome, and magical, you know, uh, where I say, okay, the next, I think I love this last draft. I think this last draft was absolutely based in value. I think the Seattle Seahawks over the last two drafts have taken a different approach, John, in the way they've applied these drafts and their off seasons. And I think that they've they've taken the the right rebuild point here 
and the proper rebuild point that will eventually get us to the best returns for all of this draft capital that we've gotten. It's just that we might have to wait a little bit of time, not years and years, but just one little extra year to get to, I think, that elite stage of things. The team has a, a way that it could break right for them next year where things can go in a right fashion to get elite. If, if young guys develop faster than they normally traditionally do, you get there quicker. But at the end of the day, I like what the team's done this offseason. I like their approach here, and the stage is set. You know, you don't have really any bad contracts. If you do have any bad contracts after this year, you're going to be able to get out from under them. You're going to be able to really set the stage into 2024 to make that a, a real true go-for type year um, if the team continue to take the steps forward that I'm expecting them to take. But they did a great job in this draft, John, of leaning into that value. And I think it's a hard thing for teams to do. You saw John Schneider after day one, after day two, He's getting hammered by the local media. John, what about the defensive line? John, when are you going to get the defensive line? John, is it just pure not malpractice that you've not drafted a defensive tackle in the first two rounds? It's like, that's, that's where you get these teams going to need, is that pressure is there to go do that. The pressure is there to go do the thing that is unintelligent, that is the thing that causes teams to move into draft failure, not draft success. So I come away from a John and saying, I don't care if it's, I agree with every player or I'm super happy as much about this player being picked here. I can see where they trusted the value of their board first and foremost. And if they're doing that, if they're operating intelligently, if they're operating smartly, doesn't equal out that you're definitely going to get a Lombardi if you're being smart and intelligent. There's a lot of smart organizations where things will fail on them, despite the fact that they made the right choices, that they went in the right direction. But you can only control what you can control. And the Seahawks this offseason have controlled the things that they needed to in the right fashion to take this team to the next level into this future. We'll see if it's this year, though, John. I'm, that's the one part I'm just not quite sure if they'll quite get there this fast. But I do think long-term, they will absolutely get there. Thank you, though, man, for the $20 donation. I hope you're having a good night, man. It's good to see you in the chat. Fat Daddy Stacks coming down with another $20 donation. Thank you for the double dono, Fat Daddy. I appreciate you on that, man. He says, uh, I didn't notice any gamey taste on the pig, but was grown up as a hunter. So I will take notice if I taste any game in the tenderloin that I will eat soon. I currently have eight wild pigs next to the cabin that I feed to fatten up. <laughs> you have eight wild pigs next to the cabin that I feed to fatten up. Oh, are they roaming wild, Fat Daddy? You can just post in the comments. You don't have to donate it, but you just got them roaming wild. So you got them like near you. Just You're just kind of feeding them and eventually you'll get them. That's pretty cool. Don't even need any of the dogs or anything at that point then, huh? Or you got them penned up. Is that what you meant? You got like some wild, wild that you've penned up and you're just feeding them in that way. That's a smart way to do it too. There you don't have to hunt, hunt as well. I hear those Hawaiian hunts can be uh, pretty intense going out there and trying to track them down. Those, those Hawaiian pigs don't mess around, you know? They'll get you. They'll get you. But yeah, you know, Fede, you know, you, you, you sons of hunters, you guys have grown up, you know, eating cartilage off the kneecaps of small game animal. You know, nothing is gamey to you guys. It's all a fillet to you. You're like, mm, you feel how smooth it is. It just like melts in your mouth. I'm over there going, <laughs> I've been with a couple of you hunters out in that way, fat daddy. Like, here, no, have some of this lean, have some of this lean thing here. This will taste so good. Oh, it's lean? Yeah, it's so lean. <laughs> real lean <sighs> <laughs> I do gotta try some of that Hawaiian pig though 
It's out in all the, the luau's. It's a staple dish out there. They've got to have found some techniques and ways to make it, make it delicious. I just come back to the bacon though. Why isn't there not more of that just pure wild pork bacon that you get out there? It's all got to be that like hammy kind of, you know, gristly thing. <laughs> uh, thank you, Fat Daddy. I'm going to try it this time. My God, I promise you, man, I'll try it and tell you what I think. But do let me know about the tenderloin because that will speak the tale of that pig. Uh, not for sale. Thank you for the $2 donation. So, sup, B? Uh, Jackson Smith and Jigbo will be a top five slot wide receiver by year two IMO. I agree 100%, not for sale. I mean, I can see him slide, sliding in. This is part of why I like this kid and his returns. This is part of why I like this draft is this draft gives you a lot of long-term returns and a lot of immediate returns. Zach Charbonnet is going to get touches next year. He might have 150 touches next year. Jackson Smith and Jigba might get you anywhere from 50 to 70 catches next year operating out of the slot year one. You're going to get these returns very quickly from these guys in addition to that long term. I think Devin Witherspoon is going to be a starter day one for you out there on the edge that he will be better than what you have in-house right now. So uh, yeah, I agree with you, man. I could see it happen absolutely by year two, if not by year one even. I think he's going to be very ready to go in that slot. And with all with having so much attention dedicated to DK and Tyler on the outside, I mean, he has, he has put in no better position to flourish in this league and no better spot in this league absent going to a team that has a, you know, going to a team like McVay and just being featured 100% of the time, getting 130 touches his first year. Thank you, though. Not for sale. The $2 donation, I appreciate you. Fat Daddy, you're awesome as well. Triple double donos. John, thank you, man. Okay, says, what can we do to fix the D-line at this point? I think it does come down to a trade somewhere, okay? Uh, there's, there's a couple places to get this done. There's training camp. I don't know if there's a deal to be had right now as we stand. You might have to wait for training camp to happen and teams to kind of figure things out and where they're at a little bit. So there's a, maybe a training camp deal that you could look to be made. I, I think that you try to find, you know, a guy that maybe he's not a star level player, but a guy that can give you, you know, a plus player at the position. I mean, if they created some cap space here, Kay, rework a couple of contracts, you go out and you sign a Shelby Harris, Maybe you go find another player via trade. We feel a lot better about this defensive line overall. So though it looks in in the shape, it does not look in the greatest of shape right now, and rightfully so. I think a couple of quick little moves, and it starts to look a lot better. If you do just those two things right there. And let's remember with this, we do have that second, third round pick in next year's draft as maybe a carrot that we can utilize to throw out there to get that quality player returned back. The key here really is not whether or not we have the draft capital to make the move, Kelly, or whether we have the impetus to want to make the move. It's whether or not we can create the cap space to accommodate another player when we're already sitting on kind of that negative $3 million of de facto space as we sort of stand right now. Um, but th that's the shoe that's got to drop here is we got to figure out where does the other, wh what's the move that's going to be made to create the cap space to then allow us to go get that other player. And I don't know that guy and who that player is going to necessarily be um, as it stands right now because... They haven't dealt with the cap. We still haven't cut anybody. We haven't traded anybody. We've not reworked any other contract. Um, but that's what's going to have to happen for the second thing to happen. But I just don't think K was, they're going to stand right now as it is with where we're at with the depth on that D-line and say, yeah, we're good. We got enough. This is good enough right here. I think there's, there is something more they're going to do. And I, thought that, I think they probably thought, K, they were going to be able to somehow maybe address a little bit more in the draft than they were able to. And so now they pivot now to the second Okay, option A didn't work for us. Let's go more. We got Cameron Young. Let's go option B to go get this other guy in here. Tommy says, I wonder with all this speed and depth on offense if we go more up-tempo now. I could see it, Tommy. 
I could see it. I was wondering a bit the same thing. You, you saw last year with Geno Smith that there was not a downtick from Russell Wilson to Geno Smith in your utilization of up-tempo. Uh, not necessarily pure hurry-up, but just an up-tempo offense. And people were asking a little bit above of uh, how do they decide on what they do? What is the, how do you, how do you figure out, you know, um, what to run if you're Waldron? Cause you have so many, an embarrassment of riches to operate off of. But one thing that could simplify that really quickly is if you're running up tempo and letting Gino just read it on the fly, Gino, are you seeing it too high? Or are you seeing the safety come down? Are you seeing press coverage on the outside? Are you seeing the, the defenders on the edge leaning into the a gap or leaning a little bit wide? And then you can call your play at the line of scrimmage to fit whatever you're seeing against the opposition to go after the weakness of what they're showing on their hand. Um, that's a way to go about it in that up-tempo point. And we know that up-tempo does create in defenses more of a simplification where they can't be as uh, complex as they can when they've got the full ability to flip in and out the personnel groupings to fit a particular play they might want to run against an offense. Well said, though. I think uh, up-tempo is going to... I think it's going to be a part of this team for sure. P money says the key is, is the key is to make defenses to play us. Honestly, that opens up the playbook. That's right. Exactly what I'm saying. Make them play it. Honestly, if they play it, honestly, there's a way to attack that. There's no defense. There's no defensive scheme. There's no defensive coverage. There's no defense uh, at all that exists that has no weaknesses whatsoever. Everyone does. For instance, the coach Carroll four, three cover three Legion of boom defense. What was the weakness of that defense? As we learned here through the back half of the 2010s, right? It was the short dump offs. It was the short passes. It was those teams that could be patient and not force a ball eventually down the field into the teeth of the defense. Every single defense has got a weakness in that way. Just finding a way to take advantage of it. But what if the Legion of Boom is now the offense and defense is as good at defense as a good defense at minimum? If all the players on offense play at their level, that would be elite. It would be. They've got an, they've got an upside that can get there, Thomas. I agree. I, I mean, I absolutely see a top five potential offense there. Maybe they even have more of a, hop, a top end point beyond that. They have star power. They've got depth. Um, they're not just going to be a one note, you know, so again, relating back to that McVay team, that great offense of the Rams, I think it was 2019, the one that played the, the Patriots. I might be off on my year on that. I can't remember if it was 18 or 19. The years just fly by, but I think it was 19. And that was the year that they just ran 11 personnel, three wide receivers all year long. That was what they were doing, playing a play. Now you don't have to do it that way. You can come at teams however you want to come at it. You can attack in every any which manner that you want to attack with it. Um, and that does give you the potential to be elite. Especially as you say, Thomas, if players play up to what their, you know, what their le- their level should be, what you would expect them to be on on paper. Hogwarts says, I think it's before training camp. We need the cap, right? We have a lot of time. I think technically you got to get under it by June 1st. I think Hung Wu. So I think June 1st is the magic time that you got to get inside of it at least. But they could, one move, they could get that done on a restructure. Sean Hines says, Hawksness, do I think Alton Robinson makes the team? I think the odds are a little bit long for him, Hung Wu. I do. 
it probably depends on if you're going to choose to carry one more edge at the expense of one less defensive tackle. And if that's the case, that opens it up a little bit. But as it stands right now, you've got Boye Mafe, Shannon Uosu, Daryl Taylor, and uh, Derek Hall as your four stack. I don't know if they're going to necessarily carry a fifth. And maybe some of that's determined by how good Alton is at this point. Is he healthy and fully recovered? Is he rounding really well as a player and really developing and coming on to the place where he makes it impossible for them to cut him? Because they're just like, man, he's playing too good. We have to keep this guy on the, on the team. And uh, that's going to depend on how he looks, I think, a little bit more in training camp. But there is a little bit of a, the outside-in thing here a little bit maybe. And some of it just is a bit of the numbers game. If you're talking about him being the fifth guy on the roster as an edge, he's got a good chance of getting there. His only competition is the Tyreek Smith kid out of Ohio State from last year who's got his own injury situations that he's dealing with. So it may be down to between those two guys as a battle as to who wins or not. But I do think he's a little bit on the outside looking in. Uh, Michael Myers is skeptical range, 10 to 7. Still think we'll make the playoffs. Congrats on 12K. Thank you, Michael. And I'm glad to actually hear you're in kind of the range. I've, I've had a tiny bit of pushback from some folks as I've said, look, I think we're going to kind of be around the same record we were last year and we'll be a better team. Um, it doesn't mean that I'm down on the team or not thinking the team can maybe even potentially get above that just on a general prediction point and looking at things, regression to the mean, all that stuff factoring in. But uh, I, I don't think it's skeptical, Michael. I think it's being kind of just realistic in your outlook a little bit in, the, in where we are and understanding of the team of being in year two of a rebuild and that it's not often that a team is in year two of a rebuild and they're raising Lombardi trophies in that year two. It tends to take, even in this NFL that goes very fast and you can spin through that turn cycle very quickly, it tends to take at least a little bit longer than that. But uh, thank you as well and the congrats on the 12K, man. It's been awesome. It was the goal here this year to get over through 15,000 by the end of the year, which would be February, which is our induction date is February. So that's my year point. And we are cruising, cruising along. So it's uh, the growth has been amazing this off season, especially as we've been usually in these periods that I would call quote unquote the dead periods of the off season. But it's been live and it's been vibrant with the Seahawks faithful. It just tells you about how excited this the, the, the fans are for the team that is coming, but also for where the channel's at. And it's great to see. Um, Fat Daddy Stacks with a $5 donation says, they are totally wild and free range. Even hand feed them. They are very fast to earn trust. I walk right up to them. Have, uh, ha have pet one after one week. Oh, wow. It's, it, it's got to get hard for you then though because then eventually you got to take the gun out there and pick, pick one of them, right? So <laughs> does like one give you attitude on a day and you're like, oh, buddy. I, I know which one I know which one I'm uh, I know which one's going next. <laughs> it's that old cattle thing, you know. Like you, you get attached to one of the cattle and you can't. It's time for the slaughterhouse, and you're just like, yeah, gonna be tough. But that's cool, man. You're you're ahead of the game on that, Fat Daddy. You don't need to have the dogs where it's like we're gonna lose one of the dogs on the hunt to get one of these guys. You know, I, I know there's some of those wine guys seem like that where they're like, oh. If a dog gets run through, but I get my hog, that's just, uh, that's the way it goes at times. <laughs> like, geez. But uh, you got them, you're, you're a bit of a head of the, head of the curve on that one. You know, you just got them walking right outside your place. Just, here we go. You decide you want to eat that night. It's just walk 15 paces out with the gun. It's pretty bad. That's pretty badass. I like that, man. I like that. They're definitely a friendly animal though. We've, we have, uh, we certainly have, what is it? Domesticated them to a major degree, even when they're back out to being wild, Fat Daddy. Thank you, though, man, for the donation. You are awesome. 
Uh, also a $2 donation on top of that. He says, they're, they are growing on me, kind of dog-like. Man, how are you going to, how are you going to then, uh, you're going to get to that point, buddy. You're not going to be able to put them down. <laughs> I don't know though. I guess pig does reach such a delicious point where the, uh, the love that they endear towards you becomes overridden by the, by the pure taste of that smoked, smoked pork. <laughs> it is tasty. What are you going to do though? You're going to get connected, man. You're going to have a little hog farm there eventually. Like, you're not going to be able to take any amount. Like, they all got their different personalities, man. I just, you know. Uh, three Hour, thank you for subscribing to the channel. Welcome aboard uh, the Hawk's Nest, man. Appreciate you coming on aboard and become, becoming a subscriber of the channel. Michael says, best thing is I'm not stressed watching me play anymore. Football is more fun. Watching me play anymore? Oh, I see what you're saying, <laughs> Russell. I got that. It is more fun. It's being run more purely. We got to, uh, the games last year were more entertaining. There was less of that clunky where you felt like we're gonna have to watch three quarters of crap to get to one quarter of beauty. It was more of some consistentness going on throughout the course of the game, especially offensively speaking. I agree with you, Michael. It's, it, it's more fun football to watch this way. It seems more football-like when you're watching these games. Relax. I was stressed watching Wilson last year. Needed that high pick. It was stressful watching him, especially when you started to realize we could be getting to a top top five, top ten pick. You started getting greedy. You're like, suck, suck. You're like the guys in Spaceballs. Suck, suck, suck. Every week. Oh, will you don't think the Ravens will be good? I don't know. I think the Ravens will be pretty good. Especially holding on to Lamar. Why do I moderate NFL teams behind in score are now, are now encouraged to do the most efficient thing they could? Pass more. Teams giving up a record number of 17-point comebacks, even 35. Seattle has the secondary to counter that. They do. And you're right. Teams as much as ever, why do I are leaning into the pass? Running game still has its place in this league. But when you're talking about being down like you're talking about, that's a spot that historically, whether it's in this modern era or whether it's in the old era, you know, you get into that position, you've got to lean away from the run. And even more so, I think, today than it was in that older era where you might even started to try to stick with the run a little bit longer. Teams are just kind of almost looking for that excuse to bail on it. You know, they've got their analytic folks talking to them, why do I saying, hey, you know, it's more efficient to pass than it is to run. You really should pass. I mean, you're already down by points anyways. Just go ahead and pass. Pass some more. Good point. And you've got that secondary now that can match up. Seattle Wade Wade says Rams are going to be better with Donald healthy too. They might. I think they're going to, well, they'll be tougher to deal with. That's for sure. Seattle Wade Wade. You can't just mark it down as an instant W. That roster is in a pretty, pretty bad state though. I mean, they've, they've taken this down to the studs. They're in their rebuild mode at this point. We'll see where Stafford is from a health standpoint. That, that definitely will determine a lot about how good or bad they're going to be next year. But as well, where is Aaron Donald at? He's played a lot of football. You know, he's not a young player anymore. He's been in this league for over 10 years now, I believe. So there's not a lot of defensive tackles playing elite. You know, once they're past that year 10 mark at this spot, it's more about now kind of getting them into more of a rotational role. They can still have an effect. They can still be impactful. Or are you going to run them out there 60, 70, 75% of the snaps like you might have in their heyday? No, you probably won't. We see this with, a little bit with Fletcher Cox right now, who's starting to get older as well. And the Eagles are starting to try to control a little bit more of his snaps uh, in that way. 
Uh, Thet M says, by midseason, the defense could be formidable. The secondary will at least be giving the defensive line more time to get to the quarterback. They will be giving them that, no doubt about that. And it's possible the defense can get to a formidable state. I'll be doing a, a show a little bit about how they can get to that place, uh, Thet M. But uh, it's going to take a couple things going right for them to pull to that spot. But it's possible. And if you have a team that is offensively giving the defense room for error, if you have a team offensively that's giving the defense leads in games consistently, that's going to lead the way to helping that defense take those steps forward to turning themselves around. Um, I hope you're right on that. It's it's not many defenses that can go from being one of the league worst in a given year to turning themselves around to becoming formidable. But the talent's there to do so. I will say that, absent maybe the defensive line, the talent is there to do so. Donnie uh, Pearson says that the hawk's nest, so be it. Those words are what the, those three words are what the word amen means. There we go. I like, I like, so be it. I like amen too, though. I will, Ravens won't be horrible or anything. Just different system can be a question mark. Lamar hasn't shown his passing ability on the outside. It's a good point. I think they are trying to go to more, turning him into a little more traditional of a passer within this new offense. We'll see how it works. They're just a team to me that's stacked, you know, so much talent, so much talent. And they were a lot better last year once they had Roquan Smith in on that defense. Riverside's got Bradford at right guard. Yep. Sean Hines, do you think Bradford works better next to Cross or Lucas? I think he's a pure right guard, Sean. You can't put him at a left guard. You know, I just don't think he's, he would, he would get absolutely eviscerated by three techs. Because it's the twi- the quicker, twitchier, bendier guys from the inside that are going to give him issues. And that's a steady dose of what you're going to get from three techs in this league. So keep him over on that right side where he gets more of the one tech, zero techs. He gets a little more of the double team help and pass pro. I like that a little bit more. Della Key says, I see Mike Morris is the big defensive end opposite Draymond Jones. Cameron Jones is the nose tackle. I think there's definitely some times they're going to run that formation, Dell. Yeah. Agreed. So you'd have uh, Morris would be your strong side defensive end in the 3-4. Like you said, you'd have then Draymond as your weak side guy. And uh, yeah, Cameron is your, I guess, main zero tech at that point. Boom shakalaka is Jamal Adams on track to play opening day. That's what I'm hearing. So he's going to be out there. Herbicide running back. Uh, did they get rid of their running back? Um, the Vikings? No, I think the Vikings got, they kept their, their guy. Dalvin Cook's still there. There were some flirtations with them maybe getting rid of him, but he, they didn't do it. Abel Gurma, will Pete still be a run heavy with the great receivers we have? 
No, I, I tend to think we'll be probably balanced more than anything else, Abel. Um, there was a lot, though, last year where, where Coach Carroll left really what was his, his whole process traditionally, where very early on last season, the Seahawks embraced passing the ball more than they ran the ball. From game number one with Denver, they were very willing to put the ball in Geno Smith's hands and let him throw at a very high rate. I don't think they're trying to get to a place where they're going to try to pass 55% of the time and run 45% of the time. They're, I think balance is, is definitely the uh, the goal here. But you're, I think you've last year proved that Coach Carroll's willing, and certainly even 2020 proved this. There, there's times now that Coach Carroll is being willing to expand a little bit beyond where he had been historically speaking, where I'm, only, I'm going to run and I want to run heavy, and we're just going to pass almost at a, a minimal amount. And when we throw, it's going to be just to take the deep shots down the football field. A lot more of working into the West Coast offense and working off the tenets of the West Coast offense, which is at the f- foremost, first and foremost, is setting up, setting up the run by passing first rather than the traditional approach of setting up the pass by running first. Okay, says, do you think Lockett, DK, and Jessen can all get to 1,000 yards? I think the only way for that to happen, Kelly, is actually something that would have to do with the other side of the football, being that the defense would have to be pretty bad at that point where the offense has to just be in that situation where it's like the Detroit game from last year, where they couldn't punt once over the course of that entire game, or Detroit's going to win that football game. So I think that that's what that would probably take to get to a point where just those guys have 3,000 yards between them, because if they do at that point, K, Geno's probably thrown for near 5,000 yards to get to that spot. I just don't think that they're going to throw enough to get all of those guys to that, to that quite area of things. You'll get probably, to me, DK gets his year where he gets a bit better year than he's had throughout his career. He sets high water marks to me of like 1,300 yards, 10, 11, 12 touchdowns. I then see a guy like Tyler Lockett maybe dip just below 1,000 yards, you know, like 800 while still being really effective. And then you get JSN in that kind of 700 to 800 yard area as well. So like, you know, cumulatively maybe 400 yards off of 3,000 yards total, right? Not that far off from where you're talking about, but not quite as well on that mark of a thousand all the way across the line either. Uh, Tyler Toucan says no more EU games either. Yeah, Tyler. How about, how about they don't ask the team that has to fly more than any other team in the NFL every single year by a tremendous mark. Don't ask that team to have to then fly halfway across the world mid season. That might be just a little bit too much, right? That thing that, I mean, that's right where our year started to go a little bit sideways last year. For sure. Hung Wu, Gino's the best quarterback in the NFC at the end of the year. Ooh, bold take by Hung Wu. I like it. Uh, Megan says, Hoxton has a crime river. Due to being 17 hours ahead of you, what time am I getting up for a 10 a.m. game at? 2 a.m. No, I'm not, Megan. I'm not crying. I'm not decrying me getting up early. It's not that. Uh, I just don't like the, I don't, it's the whole thing we go back to, Megan, with this in the playing at your peak performance at 10 in the morning as a professional athlete. And it's all the studies that show that you just don't do that. That's, I know Carol's done better in recent years of getting ahead on this 10 a.m. time and getting the team prepared for it. But it's more of that that I lean into where I just don't like that you have players that we know aren't able to play at their physical best at a given time in the game. And then they give us four or five of those games in a given season. That's the part that I just, I'm, that's the part I take umbrage with. Ron Chandler's his top villain, always arguing with somebody. Yeah, he's, he gets, Bristly, he's definitely, I've, I've, you know, he, he definitely has, you know, some ties with it, but everyone's got their style on this, you know, there's room for every kind of style on YouTube. There's room for all of us to eat. There's room for everybody to do what they do. And, you know, 
work hard at it, you'll be good at it. At least you got successful at it. Yeah. Uh, Sean Hawk says, which teams will get the lucky schedule of multiple Thursday night games? Ooh. Uh, Kansas City. Cincinnati. <laughs> yeah, we'll go Cincinnati. Uh, Philly, San Fran. That'd probably be about it. Maybe a San Diego Buffalo in there. But those would be the main teams. I think your top four teams from last year are still going to be very hot items um, coming into this year. I hope it's not us. Tommy says, all I know is I really love our roster now. We got exciting young players all over the place. Preach, man. Preach, brother. 100%. John knows either triggered than a blue-haired college kid. Says Lethal Lance. <laughs> oh goodness. Yeah, I got respect for both content creators. I'm not trying to shade anybody. I'm definitely not trying to get any beefs. <laughs> Absolutely not. It's hard enough doing these channels without going that wrong. Uh, see, Pimpin says, I don't know Top Bell personally, so I can't come anything, but the info he puts out, it's uh, spot on. Yeah, I think he works really hard at what he does, and he's had some things that he has had he has been right on over the last, uh, over the few years. Um, I think there's also a big Seahawk contingent here that likes both the camps that are kind of beefing on this, which puts them into a bit of a weird territory, I think, when you when it happens on that. Um, this is where I always say, again, too, it's, it's just, you can like multiple different content creators, and everyone's got their different style. And I think that the more that you have that you bring into into your realm of kind of taking in the better and some guys are going to be for some people others are going to be not for others and that's that's what's great about youtube is you can find any kind of style that fits to the way you you want to take in you know the information and be entertained you know Maybe get on Bill in to discuss the beef. I don't got no beef, Bruce Griffin. I it wasn't me with no beef, so I'm I'm beefless in this. <laughs> I got some beef, but it ain't in this discussion. <laughs> you know what I mean? Um, so yeah, I um, but it'll settle down. Sometimes people get up in their. Sometimes things get a little hot. Um. <laughs> Nasir says I've been looking at Malik Willis have any of you seen him yet Malik Wills you mean Malik Willis the Titans quarterback Oh, no, Siri, he'd be great behind Gino. 
You might take they might take a look at him this year. You're thinking the Titans might be willing to move him because they've got Levis in there now. Um, and that may be a possibility in this year. I kind of wonder if they're looking at maybe moving on from Tannehill and then just running with those two guys. But um, I also think this year they're not, with bringing Drew Locke back, there's not really a place now that they're going to look to get three, they're not going to run with three quarterbacks, I would say. So you, you probably just run with Locke and Geno at this point um, rather than adding a third. Are we being connected to him? Is that what this is? I think, because I'm seeing a couple people mention it. Um, Willis, is there some trade rumors with Willis on this, Nicholas? I mean, if they cut him, I guess I'm not down for I'm okay with it. I wouldn't be against it. I don't want to give up any assets for him, though. That's for sure. I don't trust that kid's, I don't trust that kid's upside at all. At all. At all. Uh, Mark Harbicorn, thank you for mentioning that, man. Do me a favor if you guys like what you're listening to here. Hit that like button and do please get subscribed up if you haven't already. I would really, really appreciate it. We're going to go for about another uh, 45 minutes here as we're going to be leading in right into the Kraken game. Fat Daddy Stacks, thank you for another $5 donation. I appreciate all the donos tonight, Fat Daddy. He says, when it comes to farming, don't name those you plan to eat. Sure, it's wise to save the ones that can change the culture. Ooh. Oh, I like it. Doing a little, doing a little, uh, doing a little overarching godly genetic modification out there on the islands, Fat Daddy. You playing God out there? This hog shall live. This hog shall die. He is going to carry forth the personality I like in these beasts. <laughs> yeah, you can't name them, man. It's impossible to, to name something and then eventually eat it. That goes against all of mankind's, uh, everything we're built by, you know? So yeah, that's, that's wise. That is wise. That's tough though, man. I got those friendly faces too. You got to meet them out of your hand and then eventually be like, yeah, you're going to be dinner here. Just another couple of weeks, big guy. <laughs> I'm going to get you. I'm going to get you. <laughs> I got to try some pig, though, next time I go to Maui. I've always kind of avoided it just because I'm like, it's just going to be that chewy, gristly, gamey. It doesn't help when nobody describes it. Like, how was the luau? It was great. How was the pig? It was a little gamey. Oh, I'm not going to eat that. But it's on all the menus over there. It's like everything's got some pig in it. Pig, 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 boy, pig, boy. Thank you, Fat Daddy. Appreciate the $5 dono. Uh, Nicholas Newton. I'm picturing your place, by the way, Fat Daddy, like out in the middle of like the, the one of those like pure jungle areas of Maui. And you've got like one of those shack homes put up out there, just like put right in the middle of the jungle and these pigs walking up to you in your place. That's what I see in my mind. Uh, Nicholas, uh, thank you for the $5 donation. Uh, says, Brandon, uh, Brandon, thoughts on the trade rumors with Willis? I'm off. I'm only on board of the Titans cut him. I don't think he's got it. Let me do a quick Google search here. Because if these rumors are happening, then they've got to be... I didn't see anything about it before I went live. Let's take a look. Seahawks are hot on to Malik Willis trade. Uh, according to... Uh, we'll be surprised if Malik is Malik's second quarterback. We'll be surprised if Malik. Yeah, I mean, I see. Um, 
I see Seahawks Chat Sports has posted something. Are, are we operating off of that? Because if we're operating on the chat sports thing, like. Yeah. I'm not seeing anything that actively connects it to the Seahawks here. I, I, I'm seeing definitely the chat sports posted something on YouTube, but they, they throw spaghetti up at the wall every day, all day, all the time, sometimes three videos a day. It's just pure spaghetti tossing, though. There, there is nothing that they base anything off of as far as rumors go. Um, and all I'm seeing is just a connection from chat sports on this. So I, 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 I don't think, and thank you for the $5 donation, I, I just don't think that the Seattle Seahawks are going to be in a position right now to want to carry three quarterbacks on the roster. It, it, carrying three quarterbacks on the roster is like carrying four tight ends you know, or an additional offensive lineman. It has to then come at the expense of, of another roster place. And so with feeling as good as you do about Drew Locke in reserve, why bring on that third quarterback? And I go, I understand there's the, well, he's the quarterback of the future at that point, but you'd only really, to me, be making that kind of move if you had locked in Geno Smith and then you weren't paying Drew Locke the money you're paying him. Because if you do bring in Malik Willis on top of that, let's not forget that then that's another million and a half, $2 million that we've got to now find in cap space when we're already sitting in a position right now where we don't have cap space. So I, I can't think of how that, that adds up to me. I think that this, this is chat sports throwing some stuff out there. Maybe there's some other places this rumor is kind of burying up out of, but it doesn't make a lot of sense to me. I, I don't trust him, Malik Willis. His tape was really rough. A lot of people tried to draw the comp between him and Anthony Richardson, which was just not a fair comp to Anthony Richardson at all. Um, his mechanics were off. His decision-making is not great. He's a guy that's supposed to be a real mobile guy, but he can't really rely on his legs all that much. He doesn't have a lot of natural skill as a runner with the football necessarily, uh, as evidenced by what is 3.2 yard per carry average last year when he did try to run it past the line of scrimmage. I don't see a whole lot there with, with Malik Willis, but I've been down on him for a very long period of time too. So maybe I just have my built-in biases with him. Nasir says, have you seen the black jerseys? They look clean. I haven't, man. Uh, that's stoked. I like the all black jersey. That, black jersey would look tight. Ryan Emmerich says, Brandon, can you make a response video to the beef? I didn't get, nobody's beefing me, man, Ryan. <laughs> I don't want to be in the beef, man. I don't, that's, that's the antithesis of what I want to do on, on YouTube. You know what I mean? Um, so I, it's, I don't even know what I would say with it, Ryan. You know, I'm not going to take sides on this and say, well, this is, you know, it's, I, I don't even really understand really the issue at play. <laughs> I, I really don't to the degree. I, I get a little bit of what's going on to somebody here, but that it blew up that fast yesterday and it got so kind of heated a little bit. I, I was just kind of like, uh, um, but I wouldn't, I don't know if I'd want to try to promulgate it or push it. I'm not a drama guy. You know what I mean? And uh, it seems like the conversation as much as ever right now where it stands is a little bit more in that drama kind of phase of things. Yeah, it's the other way to wait. Waste of time. I stand out of that. I'm going to stay in my lane. My lane is talking football. What's up, Ethan? It's good to see you in the house, man. Uh, Lathal Lance, did you comment? Uh, did he comment his opinion on Dylan Moses yet? Dude looks like he has the pedigree to make the roster. 
I haven't seen any tape on Dylan Moses yet. Um, I've admittedly, Lethal Lance, I've been just kind of grinding through the prospect videos. And so I'm working through Mike Morris. Then I got Kenny McIntosh. Then I got Cameron Young. And then once I get through those, I'll go back and then really look at these undrafted rookie free agents. But we signed like 27 of them. So I've got a lot of kind of re-looking back at those guys to kind of make some assessments on them, which means there's just a little bit more work to be put into that. Um, not that I'm complaining, but just I, I wanted to get the draft videos done first because people are really responding to those. Um, but then I will get onto the UDFAs and start looking at those a lot closer um, as we go forward. I wish I could kind of work a little bit faster sometimes on those uploads, but they just kind of take the time they take a little bit with me sometimes. I'm a little too much kind of perfectionist about it, I think. What are you going to do? Nasir, I love it, man. I haven't seen the black jerseys, but I'm stoked for it. The black jerseys, the throwbacks, give it to me all. Lee Lance, I'd like to get it. I think I'm going to get a throwback jersey this year. I think I'd like to get, I think DK would be the one I'd probably get. I'm um, sorry, uh, Malky. I'm I, and I'm just hearing about the Dylan Moses guy. So I haven't even I had not heard name Dylan Moses up until you guys mentioned the chat here. But um, I'll take a look at him. Uh, check with me if you guys can on the next stream, um, and I'll see if I can get, have a take a look at him and do some do some breakdowns on him. Give him a little bit of a cl- uh, closer look. So looks like you guys are kind of excited by him, though. That's encouraging. Seattle Way says Wild Pig is the best, brother. Plus, you're helping keeping the numbers down on the islands. Oh yeah, no, I know those guys. Hey, look at the Southwest right now, Seattle way to way, and how they're they're wreaking havoc down there. Hell, they're rising up to the north right now. The numbers are getting so crazy down there. So you got to keep those guys in check. What they can breathe like three times a year, or something like that. And uh, I no, I um I, I I'm more um, it just more interests me the Hawaiian thing, the whole the culture with that there because I was kind of slow to understand it was even existing there. The hunting for the pigs and the the pit bulls that you guys have that are like the jacked up you know, Jose Consenco pit bulls, you know, you got them Mark McGuire pit bulls, you know, <laughs> you guys, you guys got those pit bulls that got muscles for their muscles and they're like twice as big as a normal pit bull. Like, what are you doing to these animals? But, uh, it, it sounds like it'd be a pretty incredible experience to go on a hunt, a wild hunt. Nicholas Noon, uh, ski nation. What's up, man. It's good to see you in the chat. Tommy says, I don't, I didn't uh, get to spend much time in Maui, mostly Big Island on my trip, but man, I miss the taro bread. That stuff is great. Yeah, they got their own unique food stuff there. It's good. Fun pieces. Uh, I love Maui. Napili's my spot. Napili's my spot as well. That's my area. That's where I go to. It's a good little area. Tommy says, I always wanted Harbaugh to force his players to wear khaki trousers and sweatshirts to the game. That would have been great. <laughs> I think he would have had a rebellion. Heavy, heavy rebellion. Coffee's pretty good there too, Tommy. Different tasting coffee than like your South America blends. Megan says I'm both a Leafs and Kraken fan, so I get both ends of it. B Hawks Nest, there you go, Megan. Uh, you went out either way this year, maybe, or you lose out both ways this year, maybe. Nick says, good evening, Brandon and fellow 12s. What's up, Nick? Motive, how you doing? It's good to see you. Motive says, ah, late as always. Was it funny? Was what funny? Motive, curious, uh, as Brandon discussed the beef between Top Bill and Stanton, funny stuff. It's very funny. Um, 
it got heated quicker. It got heated really quick. Um, so, and kind of, I was not expecting that one just kind of came out of left field motive. Um, I'm not, I'm not in a position of saying this person's right or wrong in this situation. I'm not going to draw any judgment between them. Um, I know that we have a lot of overlap in the audience from some people like billing and me and some people like top all three of us. Some of us just like standing me and not top billing. And there's every iteration that's in on this channel on that. And, uh, I think that there's, there's room for all of us to eat. Um, I think there's also a level of this with YouTube that, you know, the lay of the land is the lay of the land and, uh, the market realities are the market realities. And, um, if you want to put videos together that draw simply clicks and views and all that stuff, you can do so. Um, and you're going to have some success with that. I think that it's up to every individual creator to decide what type of content they want to create and what kind of, what do they want to be about and what do they want to accomplish? And I think in each in, and each individual one of us has a little bit of a different mindset in what we're trying to get done and what we're looking to 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 get through, um, and that can lead people at odds at times when you have two different places that might not operate from the same kind of standing of things. But um, I'm definitely uh, I'm definitely not going to be beefing with anybody on my channels. People can try to beef with me, but what you're going to find with me if you try to beef with me is that I'll just ignore you because I don't. I don't care about everybody's opinion of me. Like, <laughs> I don't care. You know, I, I got enough love and support off this channel. It's like, you know, go ahead. Haters, haters, hate, you know, hate is hate. Love is love. I don't want to do none of the above. I want to piss on you. <laughs> He's got that threat and rage. <laughs> Oh, goodness. Oh, goodness. <laughs> BT, uh, have you seen the highlights on CJ Johnson? If so, what's your take on him? I have not seen on the CJ Johnson. If that's, uh, I'll write him down here and I'll take a look. And again, sorry on some of the UDFAs, guys. I just, um, it's the, the draft videos are taking up a lot of my time just trying to get those done and done right and done well. So um, once I get through those, I'll definitely be on to the UDFAs, but I'm a little bit slow. Motive, I'm not, um, and yeah, motive, I've, I've heard others that have had your experiences, uh, in respect of that too. You know, I, I, I think that there's, um, yeah, it's, it's, uh, this is, it's tough territory to get into. These are some of those more sensitive concepts and things that I think content creators deal with, which is why I think this got so heated a little bit is that these are things that I think are at the forefront a little bit in what they deal with. Uh, and that's where a little bit of frustration comes in, you know, the critiques, um, and dealing with that. And, you know, you put your out of yourself on display, you're going to get critiqued and hear as much blowback as anybody. And then you get that over time and that can get you a little bit saucy and spicy and, um, sensitive to criticism. I know I get that place myself at times where when people push back against my opinion, you got to fight yourself inside a little bit, not to get just to where you show your, you show your a-hole a little bit and where you're like trying to be understanding of the different perspective and not just in the way of like nodding your head and being like, when do I get to speak? When do I have to stop playing? I just get to jump in, but let me take into account what this person's really saying. Um, but these are the, these are the tough places to land. And you guys have seen it here at times where we're always trying to keep the chat in the place of having good, intelligent discussion and everybody just bouncing ideas off each other. And even when there's debates that it's healthy debates, it's healthy discussion and nobody's taking shots. 
but it's hard hard to get as we're seeing in this beef where things can quickly erode very quickly down to a place of um, becoming embittered and battling and name calling and you know this type of stuff you know which we're not getting anywhere at that point BP 1989 says Matt Landers will make this team. I like this kid. I feel he will challenge Derek Young. I think he's got a really good chance to do so, BP. I do as well. And if I was to make the guess right now as a pecking order, I would say it's it's to me Landers and Bobo and then Eskridge and Cody Thompson and any other kind of receiver we have on the back end of this roster right now are going to be beneath those guys. So those are the ones that I think are really going to be competing for that basically last roster spot behind um Derek Young, because you're going to carry probably five receivers on the roster. But we'll see. Maybe we'll only carry four with that too, BP. Maybe we only sit on four as it is. But it'll be a good battle, man. Real good battle. Why do I says Tennessee had the best run D in the NFL? Yard per carry worst was uh, New York Giants and Los Angeles Chargers. Philly was 24th. Seattle was 26th. Running doesn't matter, mostly. Especially if you've got a team that can play up ahead, I think, why do I, to your point. If you can be, then you have an offense that can be um, almost kind of prolific at times, that that can get you around that issue. You know, if you're going to play a game that's going to be oftentimes really tight, or you're a slow, you're an offense that's a little slow to get going, like some of the Russell Wilson offenses could be, well, now, now it can be kind of a bit of a death knell if it's in that place. So it does depend a little bit what you have on the opposite side. But to your point on this, what we have on the opposite side is something that can get the job done to accommodate that defense in that very way and fashion that you talk about. New Black says, with drafting Witherspoon, I assume Bryant is now a full-time slot corner. Hard prediction here, New Blacks. A little bit tough because you could look at it with that theory, but then you could also look at it like, well, Julian Love's going to be your starting slot. And you're going to have Jamal back as your strong safety. But maybe they have Julian Love as the strong safety and they move Jamal down to a linebacker, which would then mean Kobe Bryant is your starting slot. So I could predict to you where I think this is going to go, but I think it's hard to necessarily lock in that prediction quite yet until we understand what the plan is for Julian Love and for Jamal Adams. He is at the very least your backup there at the slot. If he's not number one, then he's the number two guy to come in there and fill in for you at that point. Um, but I think that he's probably going to bounce between inside outside a little bit. And I don't know if he'll be a starter in either of them. Um, my intro, my instincts on this new blacks is that you sign Julian love to take at least some of those slot snaps away from Brian. You feel he'll be a better guy in the slot than Brian can be. And with drafting Witherspoon, it doesn't seem to be an indication that you have a lot of faith that Brian's going to be your outside starter in this league, uh, which does match up to quite frankly, the fact that, you know, he did have a little bit of the shorter arms that, this is why you moved him into the slot in the first place. I think a little bit is that there's some worry there with him on the length side of it that he's not going to be able to hold up. Now, I say this with while Witherspoon has just basically about the same arm length as uh, as Bryant, but uh, he's just got a different set of skills, of course, than Kobe Bryant does. But it's tough for me on New Blacks. I'd, I'd love to give you a more certain prediction on this one, but I find myself just kind of having to see a little bit of how this is going to play out with the whole Adams-Julian Love slot situation. Megan says the Hawks nest not telling not feeling the best to get nervous about the Kraken so may dip out and try to calm down no worries Megan we're only gonna be going about another half hour or so, so I'm sure we're gonna be okay in that respect of things um Janeth Kumar thank you for the five dollar donation Janeth I really do appreciate that says there was absolutely zero reason for top billing to get hard and imply the threat of violence amateur stuff cheers for staying professional 
Oh, well, thank you, Janet. And uh, I'm definitely trying to choose my words carefully over this territory because I know it's a little bit of a sensitive topic. Uh, I will agree with you on that. I, I don't think that there's any need. Um, you know, I, I think the top billing had a strong enough argument without having to go to that place of it. You know, if, if, if you know, he's, he's trusting that the criticism of by Stan is, is out of line. And I'm not, again, taking a stand either way on this, but just saying that like, just come back and say, hey, you know, these are the videos that I posted out where I have taken my shots. This is the spots where I have been critical. These are the places that I have, you know, um, posted this to. And I think that he he has a little bit more of an, an upper hand and kind of coming out there in the, in, in the way he might look in this argument versus when you go to the violent side of it and threatening in that. And it's just not needed. You know, I understand that it's not, you know, he, he spoke about it being that that's his, where he's coming up out of his background with it. But you know, violence is a little bit of the same place that I go to as far as when people start doing the name calling stuff in the chat, where if you got to go to name calling, if you got to go to violence, it means you don't really trust the strength of your argument. Um, and I'm not saying that even again, that he didn't have a, a that the top villain didn't have a, you know, strong argument to be said about certain things. Yes, most of his videos are positive on the Hawks, but he has been willing to be critical uh, at times the Hawks as well on the other side of it. And the, the lay of the land on this is when you do these content stuff is if you are a content creator that wants to try to leave, lean in that negative side and you've got you've to keep the balance there. And there's times to lean a little bit probably more positive, you know, and that, that's just, again, the lay of the land, the, the nature of reality and doing what we do on this. Um, but yeah, we don't have to get to the, the violence part and things like this can get amped up as we've seen in the past at times when you get start mentioning that stuff a little bit. Um, it starts raising the temperature up when it you know doesn't need to be but both of those guys when it comes down to the end of the day of this right stan's been working at this for a good long 10 years plus i think out there at seahawks draft blog top billing i think has way over 100,000 subscribers he's cooking along you know everybody's going to be successful at the end of the day on this everybody is both these two guys are are going to be able to continue to to um, you know, I think I read like, what you got like, uh, less than 2% or something of, of YouTube's channels even get over a thousand subscribers. You know, there are, they're both in a place that at the end of the day, it'll be fine. But, uh, right now it's a little bit, it's a little bit in that heated area of things. And boy, like I said, I feel like the, where's my anchorman meme, you know, where he's sitting back drinking the beer and he's like, boy, that escalated quickly. Rick, where did you get a trident? Like Rob, where'd you get that trident? Top billing, you might want to, you might want to lay low for a while. <laughs> oh man, but me no beef. I love everybody. Peace on earth. <laughs> uh, Garth Knight in the house. What's up, Garth? Craig's up, man. Garth, check it out, man. Got the Craig up. Got the Craig up. Thank you for the five dollar donation. He says, "Love seeing number seventeen on the wall." Hey. What do you think of that center by the last name Andrews that the Hawks were supposedly interested in per Brady Anderson? I didn't. Stood in Andrews center. Brady Anderson. Uh, let me go to Brady Anderson's Twitter here. Hold on. Was it a couple days ago there, um, Garth?
I'm not getting anything coming up for Andrews. I guess this would be um, the Patriots looking at, and what I'm looking up right now is whether or not it's David Andrews. Okay. So maybe that's where the, that's coming from, I guess. I, nothing was coming up for Brady Anderson for me that I was looking at, but maybe he's intimating a little bit here that the Seahawks would look at Andrews if he was going to be cut by the Patriots. The Patriots last year took Cole Strange, a center in the first round, and then this past draft, they took another guy by the name of Andrews out of Troy. Um, so I'm thinking you're meaning that, but I'm sorry, I'm not seeing anything mentioned from Brady Henderson's mentions in here about Andrews on this, but it, it is very likely at that point that the Patriots could look to move on from Andrews because Cole, Cole Strange is playing left guard right now. That's not his natural position. So then moving him to center, say nothing of the Andrews kid you drafted out of Troy. Um, and Andrews, I think, would be a pretty good fit for the Hawks, if I'm not mistaken. He is a mobile-based center, Garth. So you want to get a guy that can move. You want a veteran guy in there that can get the job done and get a hedge in there now for, you know, if Oluwatimi is not quite ready and, and getting a guy that is ready to go and absolutely can pick up this offense stem to stern very quickly at that point, then this is where you get that guy. So uh, it wouldn't cost you a lot. He would be cheap. thing we come back to on any of these additions, Garth, is that you're sitting on right now, if we were to spend all of the money that we have to spend on our rookies that we have to put under contract because they're starting to bring in these rookies right now on their deals. Mike Morris just got signed, I think, today. It's going to be that you're at about negative $3 million of functional cap room. And if that's the case, then who are you going to use? Who are you going to clear out? Who's going to be the person that we got to move off of, you know, or restructure at that point? And if you're talking about now accommodating a guy like Andrews on top of that, that's probably going to cost you $3 million, even on a one-year deal. Where is that now extra $3 million going to come from? And they're right up against the, that ceiling right now. And there's not a lot of deals that they can have to go be made in order to just trim a bunch of salary off in order to free themselves up. You know, there's, they've made those moves. They've cut all the defensive linemen they have to cut. They've cut all the people that there is to, to, make, to do anything with. So um, they're going to have to get kind of creative with this one, Garth. And I'm not sure that there's a straightforward place that stands out to me and how they do it. Um, but I wouldn't mind seeing it. I do like Andrews as a player. I do think that he could slide in here and be an improvement over what we've had. And I do like him better than Evan Brown, I think, as a player. If we're talking about him at center, if Oluwatimi isn't ready to go day one. But um, he is still on the Patriots, so he has not been released as of yet, Garth. But there's, I was just Googling it. There is a lot of chatter about Andrews being released as many of the Patriots fans are just kind of looking at the writing on the wall with that, with Cole Strange and then the Andrews kid that they took out of Troy this past year. IO, thank you for subscribing to the channel, IO. Appreciate you joining up here on the Hawks Nest. So we just did round 12,000 subscribers, shot right past it. Feels good. Feels real good. And we are right on mark, right online to get that 15,000 subscribers by the end of the year, which was the goal. And we're going to blow that one right out of the water by the looks of things and how this year has started out. Fun P, thank you for the $5 donation. Fun P, I really appreciate it. The double dono today says, uh, I like all the Hawks coverage I can get, but you stand above all with your long live stream answering everyone's question. Top shelf stuff, Brandon. 
Well, thank you, man. I really do appreciate it. I, I will say with it, it's it's something that people give me credit for on that with Fun P, but it's something that you know really shouldn't take a lot of credit. It's the credit lies in the chat, in the questions, in the comments, in the the thought process that exists on my channel here, where you know if you guys didn't have me laughing and thinking and considering different positions than I, I had thought about or, or different angles that I hadn't thought about. But every time I do a live stream show, I come out of this with a big, deep bag of things to think about and turn over in my head that I wasn't aware of prior. And I just come back thinking that in doing that and having these interactions as I do, as much as I do just love it on the surface of it, I do feel like it also makes me come out the other end of this better educated on this team. And I understand a little bit more completely the nature of this team, where it's going, what it is, and, and what to kind of expect on it. So um, I appreciate you, man. I love this. As I say it once, I'll say it a million times. It's my favorite thing to do in the world. And it's because of you guys. It's because of these interactions. And um, the streams go by fast. We've been doing three hours today. And I swear to God, it feels like I've done 15 minutes. <laughs> it's, it's the strangest thing. There's nothing like that I've ever encountered in my life where you, you, know, you, go, you guys probably have some kind of activity you've done in life. For some of you, maybe it's, I go out fishing. It's five in the morning. I cast my first line. I reel it back in and all of a sudden it's midday and you go, man, how did, it's because you're doing something you love and you're just lost in it completely. And it means that time doesn't exist anymore. You know, you're absent, you're outside of time and space. You know, it's a, a type of nirvana for me in that respect of things. Fun P. Thank you though, man. Appreciate the dono and all the support to the channel. Why do I, yep, love is the nickel cornerback. I think that's right. PT says, can uh, you and Brendan do an episode on cap space only? I'll check with him and see if he's open to that, PT. Uh, we're doing the show this week on the schedule, but maybe next week's show, we're looking kind of for the, the B&B shows we're going to kind of be covering here in the future of this uh, May, June kind of a dead season of football a little bit that goes on. So I'll bring it up to him as an option. See if he's down for it, for sure. Fun pieces. Tyreek Smith is friends with JSN, so that could help him. Maybe that'll help him out. James Valdis, I completely agree with you, Brandon. As I've said, we're two years away. I think we'll be markedly better this season and we'll only win six to seven games, but trust the process. We'll get there. It's beautifully put, James. And that's where this place comes from. It might sound like from people that I'm, I'm being a little down on the team if I don't say this is a 12-13 win team this year. It might sound like I'm in that place, but I'm really not. And it's, a, it's as much to get out ahead of those folks that if we don't get the returns this year of being an 11 or 12 win team, you all know there's going to be a lot of Seahawks fans out there that they had their expectations set to that having to be the place that we should be at. And I just don't think their expectation level is quite calibrated right in that realm. And so it's going to be as much to say when it does happen, if it goes down that way to say, look, we, I told you guys this was going to be a little bit of the way that this would go this given year. But to James' point on this, the team is on the right track. They're making smart decisions. They're setting their future up to have that ultimate success. And that's the part to applaud. That's the part to trust. You didn't, I didn't trust the process as much in the prior years and recent past. You're talking about 2019, 20, whatever, because you weren't making as smart decisions down the line. Your drafting was wonky. The way you spended money was wonky. How you were putting the team together was wonky. You couldn't see how the, the clear cogent, comprehensive plan, all fully work together. What is the vision here? It kind of seemed like you had too many chiefs, not enough Indians, you know, too many cooks in the, too many, too many cooks, too many chefs, not enough cooks, whatever you want to call it. Use whatever, you know, metaphor you want to apply here. Um, but now it seems like you've got an organization that really is moving with a little bit more of that single-minded approach is getting back to the designs by which that brought them that success 10 years prior. And to me, 
That gives me a lot of confidence for them moving into the future. But we've got to be patient with it, I think, James. We've got to understand the nature of the fact this team just turned over its whole roster over the last couple of years. Absent five, six, seven players, everything else is getting turned over. And in that process within the NFL, that means even in the NFL where things move very fast, you got to give it a little bit of time to fully bake out. Don't pull it out of the oven too early. It's going to taste, it's going to taste weird. It's going to taste not, not good. Let that thing cook all the way through. Uh, if I'd be, uh, anyone see the dual survivor, the car and pig and eight and why? Oh, I didn't see that one. <laughs> yeah. If they got a pig on a reality show, I'm guessing they, they had the pig like, like the scene in Jurassic Park where they give the sheep to the T-Rex so that people can see the T-Rex. Hey, that's what they did is they peg, they peg the pig down five feet from them. And they're like, okay, go over there and we'll just, we'll just angle it so you can't see the peg. One piece is, uh, hey, Oxnest, does Cameron Young remind you of any former Seahawks? Uh, yeah, he's got a body style that looks like the kid that we got out of North Carolina a couple years ago. Uh, who is that defensive tackle? Nazir Jones. He reminds me of Nazir Jones, that game wrecking force. I'm not high on him fun. I, I love this draft. I'm happy with every one of these picks in this draft, just about. He's the one that I would say absent maybe one. He'd be probably the one that I'd point to and go. I'm kind of holding my nose at that pick. I feel like that was the one pick where Schneider had so much pressure on him to go get a defensive tackle. He had day one where the media is hounding him about not getting a defensive tackle. He's got day two where the media is hounding him about not getting a defensive tackle. And it was almost like by day three, he was like, here, you happy? You happy now? Yeah. Ryan Emmerich, how many games you give Adams before he goes down with an injury? Uh, 10. <laughs> We'll get 10 good games out of him, Ryan. I don't know. It's it's a hard prediction. It's a little random on that one. You know, he certainly has got a lot to overcome at this point. Um, he's had a variety of different inju- injuries. The fused fingers aren't getting better anytime soon. We'll just have to see how it plays out. You know, I think if it had been, in a, if they had been in a situation this off season to offload him and truly save a lot of money by doing so, Ryan, the team probably would have. But uh, some of this is a little bit of them being married to the money and that we've got to go through one more year of this at least. Uh, let's, hope he can, let's hope he can get right in that year. But be, uh, I love the balance. I love the balance offense to keep running the defense, especially guessing, uh, keeps the defense guessing, especially with the stud running backs we got. You're right, fun. You can't lean towards any part of this offense anymore. You got to play it legit. Samuel J. Forsythe says Seattle's offense will be top five in the NFL. No doubt. That's just this year. Next year, it'll be number one. I love the confidence, Samuel, and I could absolutely see the same type of the same type of projection to the team in that offense and the way where, where it goes. That is what they're building up here. No doubt. If the Lance, it ain't, if it ain't the top three offense, it's Geno's fault. Well, you could certainly make the argument, Lethal, that Nobody, no quarterback in this league has more to work with than Geno Smith. He is absolutely the jealous 
apple of many a quarterback's eye in this league that's like, oh, you get a line, you get your tight ends. How about three of them, Gino? Here, take three. Take three legitimate ones. And oh, you want a running back? Yeah, I want to run back. How about four of them? And give them four. And oh, let, just they have a couple receivers on the outside. And here's a slot maestro. Woo! I'm Gino Smith. I get all the stuff to work with. whoop doo <laughs> So, you know, there's those quarterbacks in the leagues that are especially one, one man that resides in Denver that is certainly looking at him with steam coming out of their ears. You know, where they've got to beg for one receiver and he's got all that to work with. So uh, I can understand that mindset on it. DVN says KG Wright has a really entertaining YouTube. He really does, DVN. I'd like if you, you folks reach out to KG on Twitter and say, come on to the Hawks Nest. Oh, the Hawks Nest. We'll get him some subs. We'll get him hooked up over there. And I'm going to try to reach out to him again and get him over here. I'd love to get some more interviews with some Seahawks players this offseason. Those guys are just, they're, 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 they get a little dodgy, man. They get a little like, uh, can't get them out of the shadows. You know what I mean? Can't get them out of the shadows. Deron Everest, uh, when was it last year that Brandon was saying that Geno Smith might be surprise everyone and turn out to be good quarterback? <sighs> I think I was saying it kind of through most of the summer. If you want the technical place of where I posted the video, so I posted the Doubters Beware video of Geno Smith. And I posted that. When did I post that? So that was July 23rd that I posted. So I was kind of deep into the summer when I, I think I had been talking about it before then, Duran. So I thought I'd, I probably had been talking about it in June. Um, on the live stream shows, but I was getting so much pushback. I was like, I'm going to do a video on this because I want I want to have this on the record. <laughs> I want people to understand that Gino's got some support for me on this one. So it was, but that was the 23rd was when I put the doubters beware. Don't be surprised if he has a good year. Don't be surprised. Duran says, I love the JSN and Zach Charbonnet picks. They will make instant improvements to the offense. Absolutely, Duran. Part of what I like about this draft is you get some of the instantaneous returns along with the long-term returns. You know, the floor with the ceiling. Uh, and sometimes you have to make your pick between one of those two things when you're drafting players. Daniel W. says, Malik Willis's false off-season talk makes no sense. Drew Locke is better and not much older. And by the way, by the time Willis might be good enough, his rookie deal will be over. Amen. 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 Moto says, I'm real curious on how the Seahawks will distribute the ball. A lot of good runners and catchers. Got to keep them all happy. I'm guessing that will be a challenging task. What they call that is first world problems motive, you know, and uh, it will be a challenging task, but it's one that I think that uh, you have a capable of being able to pull off at the same point in time. Because if you're winning games, I think you've got players here that have shown themselves, including guys like DK and Tyler, that are not necessarily guys about numbers. They're guys about trying to go out there and win and do whatever it takes to win. And so uh, I think you're going to find your way to get the touches and the catches and all that stuff in there. I think the running back situation, for instance, somebody's probably going to get an injury at some point. You'll need your fill in like a Charbonnet to, to go in there and fill in, for, at least for a little bit of a given spell. And that thing will kind of settle itself out. 
but it's a fantastic problem to have. You know, that's the bottom line. Much better to be in this place than to be like, well, we got to get 170% out of our number one receiver and we got to get 150% out of our running back. Kind of like I'm sure the Raiders are looking at with Devonta Adams and Brandon Jacobs, this, not Brandon Jacobs, but Josh Jacobs this upcoming year. Too many running backs named Jacobs. Yeah, Nick Guzman, I don't want to give up anything for Willis. He didn't look good last year. Didn't like him coming out of college. No, 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 no. DVN literally it's in the title. It's just chatter. <laughs> exactly. Exactly. Crack and play in about 10 minutes, Ryan, I believe. Nick says, Top Bill made a video about it today earlier, Brandon. That's what I was talking about earlier. Oh, my bad. Uh, I made a comment that I wouldn't give up anything and Top Bill and responded. Ah. I see. I see. What a strange rumor, huh? Megan's chat sports are bored and writing for crap for clicks. They are the ultimate, the ultimate clickbait folks. That's the clickbait chat sports, what they really call it. Uh, Deron, I think the stats will be like DK 90 catches, uh, Lockett 90 catches, JSN 45, K9 1100 yards, Zach 9700 yards. That sounds about right to me, Deron. That sounds just about right on the button to me. I can see that. And by the top of the Seahawks fans, I used to follow him for years. He deleted all his posts about how much Seahawks fans make him sick. He only does it for the money. Don't ever give Top Hill money 100%. He's, I, I've definitely seen that opinion, Young Bido, from some other folks as well with it, you know, that they're out there with it. And, um, you know, it's... There's a lot of people love them. This is the nature of the beast out there, YouTube, you know, where it's just, there's people that, that, that draw passionate feeling on one way or another on certain players and people with that, you know. Um, but I do have uh, I do have some suspicion to believe that there's some maybe some of that in there with it, young Bido. And that's what's maybe going on. Duran says, funny how a lot of us watch all the same channels. Yeah, that's kind of what, I'm, what these two guys beefing with each other. I'm like, you guys... <laughs> Max, it's hard enough to to get people to sub up your channels and everything else. You know, you know why go after somebody that your audience loves on the other aspect of it, and you put them in a position of picking me or him. I can't. I just don't feel like that's. Again, I'm trying to stay out of this though. I'm not doing a good job with it. Probably <laughs> sticking in the middle ground. Aaron Donald, who cares? YouTube drama's waste of time. I agree. Well said. <laughs> Kevin Sorbo. <laughs> oh, Kevin, that's awesome. Oh. <laughs> uh. Uh, Christian Collins, what's your favorite pick from the draft? Uh, Christian, I know this puts me out a little bit on the limb, and this is probably not going to be an answer you get from any other Seahawks fan. But I loved the pick of Oluwatimi. I get a guy that I believe that is able to you're able to get as a starter from day one. You get a guy now at the center position who starts day one for you, who maybe all four years of his first contract is going to be starting for you, which is going to be tremendous value and cheap 
value that you have to spend in the offensive line. Now you'll eventually have three rookies even the next year that you're all paying on their rookie deals at that point. That's a very nice benefit to have in your back pocket. I love him as a schematic fit. I think he's going to be a pure fit to this Waldron scheme and the things that it's going to ask him to do is just what his skill set provides. And to get that in the fifth round, to get the value there in the fifth round on a player like that, I just love that value for it. You know, Witherspoon was going to be a top pick in that spot no matter what. Um, JSN was going to go in the first round kind of no matter what. But allowing to have the, the stones to kind of wait along a little bit from the Seahawks standpoint, to not reach on that guy in the fourth round to know, hey, we can get him in the fifth round. We can wait on this guy to get him around over into this spot. I just, I love the value of the pick. I love him as a player. I don't know if he's got star top end potential, but I just feel very much in that safe realm, a little bit like I did with Creed Humphrey, where... I never knew Creed Humphrey was going to get to a place of being a star, but I did think that Creed Humphrey could get a place where he could start immediately for you and be at least league level average of play immediately for you. And I think the same thing with Oluwatami, that he can, I don't think it's at the top end point of being a real upside player, but a guy that can immediately come in and play for you and play really well and fit perfectly to the movement-based requirements of this scheme. I feel really good about that. Next is if the defense is just simply mediocre, I confidently will say we should be able to outscore basically anybody. I could see it too. I mean, you're talking about getting to even a mediocre stage. I'd say mediocre be 15, you know, and 15, 18, 19, even if that's where your general rank is at, Nick, that's still a big jump from what you were last year. So if the defense takes that big kind of leap and then the offense takes even a moderate leap forward from what they were last year, just maybe remaining more consistent from what they were in the first 12 games, carrying that through the total full schedule, that should equal out to a team that is uh, a better team across the board. Yeah. Seattle 8 plus maybe he finds it makes more money on videos where he's more animated. Yeah. I think that's also the truth here, Seattle 8 I mean, there's got to be something that's built into this little bit of the nature of the YouTube is the nature of YouTube. You know, it's like getting mad at TikTok videos for, you know, keeping you within two minutes. You know, it's like you got to fit within the nature of the realm of what this medium is. And it's an ever-changing medium and it's a medium that is going to reward people for certain things and not reward other people for other things. And you got to find how to get that spot. If what It depends on what drives you. What is it, are you driven by just to give me as many subs as I possibly can get? Is it that I want to produce content that's coming at this from a certain angle and makes people think? I mean, we all have kind of different things I think we're trying to all accomplish through. And there aren't any bad answers here. What makes you successful is what makes you successful, you know? It's part of why I've, I often say YouTube in a lot of ways in certain respects it's almost like one of the last little bastions of entrepreneurial places you can go um, with how many places become closed down and how many obstacles there is to go over the top of it. You know, it is, it is truly kind of free market out here on this thing in this platform. Nicholas says, it's definitely hard to watch some channels and keep mouth shut because of things you see other people say. I just try to keep my mouth shut. I, I operate from the same place. You know, the old thing, if you don't have anything good to say, just don't say anything at all, you know, and just stick on your point of it. Though I certainly break that rule often still as of yet. Uh, Drew Blank, Blanick says, Billing was really going to fly to England to see Rob. Well, he didn't say that, but it was like, you know, it was getting into that come see about me thing, you know, come, you know, bop, bop, bop. It was, it was it just, it just went zero to a hundred real quick. <laughs> it went from, it went from, you know, you create clickbait to like, I'm going to beat your butt. <laughs> like, whoa. <laughs> Woo. 
all good though. Both those guys will probably benefit at the end of the day. They'll get their clicks from it and some more subs from it. And everybody will, everybody will benefit when it all gets said and done. I knew I was going to be asked about it today though. <laughs> I'm not going to say that was the reason that I didn't stream yesterday, but that might've been a little bit of the reason I knew people were going to be like asking a ton about it. We can see them on YouTube in a celebrity boxing match. Any bets? I don't know, man. Uh, Murph looks Murph looks pretty a pretty big boy. I don't know if I want to mess with him. Deadly says I read the same thing about the center the Hawks are interested in. That might be that might be Andrews then. Motive says Brandon uh, Pumpkin sure gets a lot of sleep. I think she enjoys Brandon's calming voice. She does, absolutely. She has to hear so much of it, you know? But yeah, I think it eventually does just put her to sleep. But she is, she's a good girl. Yes, you are. Yeah. You good lion roar. Give us a lion roar here. She's a happy girl. Look at that face. Look at how happy she is. Very contented cat. Tommy says, uh, Jake, uh, Jake Andrews is the pet center pats. Think I think the guy we had on visit. Okay. I didn't know he was released. I was just looking for the article. It looked like he was rumored to be released, but I guess he just got released. Maybe interesting. Uh, I like him though. That's, that's certainly a guy that would be that veteran guy, a little bit like what you had last year, but you actually have a guy with some talent still there to him. Kay says, John Boyle made an inside the draft room like last season. He did, Kay? I can't wait to read that article. Last year was like full of a bunch of just nice little nuggets. So I hope they let him do that again. That'd be great. Uh, Megan says, OB, I have another question for you, and it's nothing to do with John, uh, Jimmy Zornan and Dave Craig. I, I was to leave the stream. How many 12s in this chat would miss me? I think you'd have a lot of folks that would miss you if you left the stream, Megan. Your presence would be, your missed presence here would be felt. Austin Martin says, who would you put your money on in the cage fight between Rob and Top Villain? I need to see the tail of the tape, Austin. You know, for every boxing match, we get the tail of the tape. I need some reach. I need some, uh, I need some weight, you know? I need to understand where, you know, we got to bring in all the factors here, right? can't make those guesses blind. Especially when I don't have any fight footage of either of them to go off of. Uh, Nick says, the team is fundamentally better, especially on offense. Combine that with the NFC being the weakest it's been in years. Anything under 10 wins to me is a disappointment. I hear where you're coming from, Nick. Um, I wouldn't be super in a place, I wouldn't be a place of complete disappointment if you get under 10 wins. If you're nine or eight wins this year, you certainly are a little underwhelmed from what we've seen from it. But I do think some of the, the impact comes into play, Nick, is I do think the schedule is going to be mightily more tougher this year where you could be an improved, better team, but the schedule is just so much more tougher than it was last year. 
that in itself is something to kind of have to overcome a little bit more so than you had to overcome last year. The injury thing is the other thing I wonder about, Nick, where is there a regression to the mean historically with where we've been at from an injury standpoint? But if those two things can take care of themselves, then there's no reason to believe they can't get a few more wins than that at that point. Martin says, Dot Bill, an argument with me once because I said the Hawks should draft Richardson on one of his videos. Dude went off laughing out loud. Uh, yeah, I've, I've, there's been a few stories I've had of that, uh, that I've heard like yours that you dealt with on that Martin, you know, where it's like, geez, dude, you know, where there's a little, little touchiness there. A little bit, a little touchiness. Uh, Seattle, wait, wait, I'm dying B. Hella funny like Jurassic Park. <laughs> Such a cold scene. Uh, they even, they even put the goat out there and like Spielberg was so cold blooded with it. They don't just show the, they even get the little like, you know, the little like innocent, you know, noise they make <laughs> just, just so that when the T-Rex comes down to bite it, just to really lock that in. <laughs> Tommy says, John said this about Cam Young. He described him as having heavy hands. Once he gets your hands on you, you're done. I don't know. That was a big thing, like arm length for them but maybe it is. Arm length is, arm length is something that the team has definitely led into when it comes to defensive linemen. That's something that they definitely favor in their defensive linemen, historically speaking. Um, they've kind of favored it in other positions as well. I think uh, uh, for the most part, receiver arm length has been something that matters, that, that they don't tend to be looking at guys that are under 32-inch long arms with receivers. And the same thing is true, I think, with cornerbacks. Um, but I, I, Tommy, the, the last guy video I'm going to do as a breakdown on the draft coverage is going to be Cam Young. I'm going to go back down through and look at some of the tape on him to see if I see more of the evidence of what John Schneider described in his game. I've just, when I have, and I even flicked on another game the other night that I was watching of his to just be like, okay, let's, let's see here. What, what was I missing on this? Let me, let me re-lock back in on this guy. And it was still more of kind of the same where I just was still kind of missing it as far as what he was and you know, what drew them to him late in the fourth round like they were drawn. Martin says, it's, uh, yeah, it's nice. I'm going to be back in uh, Pacific Northwest in a few years, probably. I'm from Spokane, like Brandon. It's a beautiful place, man. It's just about to get so nice here. I can't wait. I can't wait. Jared Johnson, hey B, do you uh, play golf? If so, let me know when you come back to Maui and I would love to golf with you and talk some hawks. Uh, well, I'm definitely down Jared to go and uh, meet up a bar, get a drink or something like that. I had to give up golfing. I started out doing it when I was younger um, quite a bit. And uh, I got a pretty good swing actually. I can, I can drive it pretty far. I can't, I'm not accurate about where it's gonna go. So it might be three fairways over where that slice ends up because I got a mean slice. But I just kind of realized about golf, Jared, and you can certainly attest to this, is if you're going to play it, you've got to commit to really practicing to get better. And if you're just one of those guys that gets out on that course every once in a while, you know, uh, you just, it's, it ain't going to work. And um, that's what happened with me where I just was, uh, I would just get to that spot where it just, it would frustrate me. And then I would just decide by like hole 13, let's just drink, you know, let's just, let's just put the cart 
the cart girl out of business today for the day with the beers and let's see what happens from there, you know? And then it becomes about flipping a card and just becomes less about the golf game at that point and just getting into shenanigans. So it just, it doesn't quite keep my attention span, you know? I just, I get, I get checked out too much. I don't know why. I, maybe I should, maybe now that I've gotten older, I should try it again, Jared. But yeah, you have to, you got to practice with it if you're going to get good with it, man. You just pick up that club once every few times a year. It's, you're going to be, you know, tough shape. Maybe it says beef with B and you will be booted with no excuse to the Hawks nest. That's right. That's right. Moda says, I watch a lot of channels for knowledge and entertainment, so I can enjoy some of this as it's entertainment and interesting. I'm also a no beef guy. I can watch and laugh. Oh yeah, not do it. I mean, that's what it is at the end of the day. Just it's entertaining. Uh, it is content for both these guys on that. And uh, neither I think at the end of the day is going to be worse for the wear when it's all, you know, said and done on this. But uh, yeah, a little bit of racing some pulses, I guess. The power of myth, the top villain says, you're next, Hawks Nest. Watch out. I'm ducking, man. I'm ducking. I'm not trying to catch no strays over here. I'm not trying to catch no shrapnel over here. <laughs> I'm standing 10 feet to the side. 10 feet to the side. Get out of that blast radius. Why do I says I've looked at Merce's video. He's really never done. Uh, he's never down the Hawks. I found one from two years ago, and the next one is 180 from that. Rob is not really wrong, really. No, he's done positive videos. He is. Um, and it, it, I, it, my thing was, I don't think Rob's points necessarily out of line in general, and that there is a lot of videos out there created of folks that aren't necessarily Hawk fans that are definitely just going to create positive videos because they know it's going to draw clicks and everything else. Um, but that just, you know, that's the nature of the beast of YouTube. You know, that's the, it's an ever developing platform with audiences that are going to be ascribed a certain way. And, you know, it's like, that's the way the wind blows, you know, and you get mad the way the wind blows or go with the wind, you know, a little bit. So I get the criticism on that a little bit. And I think where Rob's coming from in really his, his big point, which is the spot, if I was to talk to Hawk fans and say, here's the spot that's really the most important point is not about, Murph or Stan, who's wrong or who's right or who's getting dunked on or who's not getting dunked on or anything. It's more about, you know, criticism of the team. And if you, if you hear a content creator that does speak to criticizing the team a little bit, and even if it's something that you do disagree with, um, the understanding that, you know, they're, they have to be doing it a lot of times from a place of being honest, because there is such that blowback to get into more of a negative stance at times. Um, and that you have to be aware of that sensitivity a little bit. Mr. Dog, do we make any more moves before the season? I think you got at least one more move you're making as far as some kind of trade before. This feels like a year, Mr. Dog, you make a move at the end of training camp, kind of like the Sheldon Richardson year, kind of like the Jadavian year, kind of like the Jamal Adams year, where you just sort of top the tank off right at the end of training camp. 
It's either that or right at the trade deadline, but I think there's still going to be another move to made or another two moves to be made along that defensive line. I don't think that they're quite done. AI says Gino took less money to get all that too. Indeed he did. This is the benefits of taking out less money is you can build and, and put together a stacked offense on the back end of that. Great point. Nick says, I wonder if Russ was sitting there watching the draft with his fist clenched knowing he never had an offense this stacked. Probably. And you know what? He probably had also the disconnect in his own mind about the fact that, you know, part of the reason we can't build this type of offense up is because of the fact you are taking the kind of money you are taking. Because there's a lot different, there's a lot different of a deal if you want to look at between the deals that Russell Wilson wanted to sign here in Seattle and the deals that he expected versus the, the money that Geno took this last year in his contract. There's a big difference in the cost and what it costs in the books to make those two deals run. Tribe says, hate to admit it, but thought the cards and Rams had good drafts too. I thought the cards did a great job, Tribe. I think they were absolutely solid. Rams were okay. There was a little more hit and miss for me with the Rams in their draft. A couple I liked, a couple I was just kind of like, eh. You know, a couple, they always got a couple of kind of no-name, small college guys that they're, you feel like they're just trying to take big swings on. Uh, but I thought the Cardinals was a solid draft all the way around. He actually says it feels silly for 40-year-olds to have this inflated egos. That's uh, the reason why Perna and Grassi are the best. Uh, yeah, agreed. Yeah. Take, it's, it's that old uh, axiom too, Akshay, right? You know, take what you do seriously, don't take yourself seriously. You know? And that's something that we all got to remind ourselves of when we're doing this type of stuff. Yeah. I was thinking of moving to Hawaii, but then I saw the highest points like 300 feet. <laughs> Not good, Seattle 808, for those, uh, for those, big, uh, those big waves or tsunamis, huh? I can see that. If you're off-road guy, yeah, there's no off-roading over there. Megan, I can't wait to move to Seattle when my nephew's a little older. Too much hold me back here. Uh, yeah, I know you're going to love it, Megan. Love it. Uh, Julian Garcia, Zach Charbonnet comp. Uh, I love this question, Julian. So this has been a comp that's been ever developing for me. I started out watching him and I said, oh, it's, I thought on the tape I was looking at a guy that was 6'2". And uh, so I was going, man, he runs with this upright running style. Reminds me a lot, but he's still very powerful in his upright running style. And it reminded me of Steven Jackson. So my initial comp was Steven Jackson minus two inches and 20 pounds. But then when he gets to the combine, he's actually about four inches shorter than Steven Jackson and probably about 25, 30 pounds lighter than Steven Jackson. So that comp didn't really work. I then went to a Nick Chubb and I went, well, Nick Chubb, that seems like the closest comp, but it still felt a little bit lazy to me, Julian. I finally have landed at this one, which is Chip Kelly brought this comp up and I think it's a fantastic comp. And that's Matt Forte, a very, very good running back, a guy who produced a lot of uh, all around yards in this league for the Chicago Bears. I think there's some, I think that there's some very much um, similarities between Zach Charbonnet and, and Forte. It's like a little bit of a combination of Forte and Nick Chubb. Nick, uh, oh, sorry, you're making ZZ makes more videos about the Seahawks than his own Eagles team. Well, Seahawks fans are engaged, man. We're as engaged online as any fan base out there that you'll find, in my opinion. I, I just think that's the nature of maybe it's our tech savvy nature to being in the Pacific Northwest, 
But uh, for the, ma the majority of the fans, I know there's a lot that are outside of that area, but I just think that we happen to be a very connected fan base in that way. I'd offer that's part of what makes us uh, unique and as special as we are as a fan base is that we do care so much and that there is so many people that have their finger on the pulse of the team at all times. Tom Eaton says, Zach Charbonnet, I think people were comparing him to A.J. Dillon, I guess, but I could see that. But to me, he's more versatile. He's so much of a better player than A.J. Dillon is. And it, it's just, that's, that's one of those comps to me that I just shake my head at. I'm just like, no. He, he runs stronger than A.J. Dillon. A.J. Dillon's a big guy, you know. He looks like Tarzan, plays like Jane. And I just don't think he runs anywhere near as physical for his build and his size of what people thought, what the Packers thought they were getting out of Boston College with A.J. when they made him a second-round pick. Charbonnet's way more explosive. He's got way more open field moves. He's got way better vision. Um, he's better as a pass catcher. He's better as a blocker. Charbonnet is, a, I think, a, a superior prospect uh, than Dylan. Dylan should have been more of a fourth, fifth round type of running back and got way, way overdrafted by the Packers. Megan says, okay, Hawks Nest, I'm out. Uh, out for the Kraken. Understand that. Definitely got the Kraken rolling now. Um, AI says, McIntosh in the seventh is a steal as well. Crazy. Our running back room is good. It could be one of the best. We'll know by midseason. We will, AI, and you're right. Macintosh is a steal. I'm really looking forward to I'm doing the uh, I'm doing the Mike Morris video right now for my draft video, and then I'm going to be doing Macintosh. But I really do like him as a player. I love his uh, I, I love what he's going to offer here, especially as the fourth running back on this roster. He's going to be able to give you some receiver snaps in addition to some running back snaps. Um, he's going to help to give us some insurance AI for the fly sweep bubble screen game that's been missing at times from their offense. But an absolute absolute wonderful steal to go get that guy in the seventh round. Uh, Kronos1009 says, Brady Henderson posted an inside look of the Hawks draft room is where the Andrews question came from. Oh, my bad on that, Kronos. Well, I'll go take a look at the uh, article on that. But it makes sense why the Hawks would be connected to Andrews. It makes sense why they would want to look at bringing him in. And, and I'm glad they are considering that. Addicted Hawks, Brandon, what's your percentage 0 to 100% to estimate the upgrade of Oluwatami Brown and Bradford Hayes versus the 22 Blythe and Gabe Jackson. So I feel I, I feel very strongly that you're going to have an upgrade over the center position, which I think was kind of lacking all the way around last year. Uh, absent that guy being a fit for us schematically and what he did, he just wasn't a good player overall. So I, I do feel like you're you're getting better at the position by probably about 15 to 20% minimum at the center position, whether it's Oluwatimi or Brown. When it comes to the improvements at the guard position, I think that's maybe a little bit more moderate. Um, hey, when you had Phil Haynes in there playing over the top of Gabe Jackson last year, he was basically 8% better, 10% better as an overall player than Gabe Jackson. It's pretty much where he lined in at. So if he was to play all the time, he gives you about 8% better than what you got at Jackson last year, but that's still going to be a little bit below league average because of how bad Gabe Jackson played last year. Uh, is Bradford ready to roll year one and step in there with some of the holes that he has in his particular game? I just don't think he's going to overtake a guy like Haynes who's going now into his fourth year, who's going to be kind of just, I think, ready to roll. So I think you get 20% to 20, 20 to 25% better at the center position, and I think you get around probably 10% better at the guard position overall, somewhere in that ribbon. So it's so moderate improvement, but not, not insane amount of improvement. I do think you're going to get more improvement though. In addition to that addicted Hawks from the tackles. 
I think both of those guys take steps forward as well. So if you get moderate improvement here, pretty good improvement here, moderate improvements on the outside in addition to that, and you were already a pretty good offense last year, I think that all e equates out to a, an offense that's going to be more productive on the other end of that. Still, what are we talking about today? Talking a little bit about this offense and all of its potential. JT says, Zach Charbonnet is a, copy, a carbon copy of Fred Taylor. I like that comp too, man. And boy, underrated back in NFL history, Fred Taylor. Very, very underrated. Yeah, let's go cracking. Let's get it, get it done today, crack. Get it done. Michael Myers says Rob Stanton will be like uh, Mickey the pick the 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 Pikey the Pikey from Snatch. <laughs> I could see it. What you don't know is Rob Stanton harder than a coffin nail. Mickey is trying to wonder if he's going to walk out. I can't do Jason Statham. <laughs> I gotta I gotta figure out how to do the Statham though. That'd be a good uh, that'd be a good um, voice to be able to do. Add that to the stable. Snail's got money on top, Bellin. Yeah. <laughs> Garth Knight, don't ask, don't tell. <laughs> <laughs> you guys got some good jokes in the chat. <laughs> you guys. Chat's on one tonight. John, are there any uh, sleeper offensive linemen that we could get as free agents? Well, there's some talk of Andrews. I, I, I guess he has been released. Let me confirm this. Yeah, they haven't released him yet, so he's still on their roster. But I guess they're thinking that he will. I got to read the article. I'm not. I'm not too sure on that. But there's no other lineman I would say that stands out to me out there that is that's available, John. Um, that I think they're going to take a look at. Guard would really be guard or center would be the two positions, and there's just nobody that is really an upgrade to be had. Um, everybody's been kind of plucked at this point. Mega says golf is the only game to cure my insomnia. Yeah, it's it's just hard to keep the con. I can my concentration's good, but it just I get eventually like oh. JT says Devon Witherspoon reminds me of Antoine Winfield. Well, that's a great comp, JT. He's uh, definitely a little bit bigger than Antoine because Antoine was about five eight, but Antoine was able to play on the outside for the majority of his career and eventually slid inside to the slot corner. But I do still feel like Antoine Winfield is the best tackling cornerback probably in NFL history. And uh, Devin Witherspoon certainly shows that off on tape. Those instincts, that ability, um, it's, a, it's a technique thing. It's a willingness thing. And like Antoine Winfield, who was not a very big man, he is still a very good tackler. Not always is tackling just built about how big or your size. It's sometimes about that, the, the, the size of the fight and the dog, right? 
Cases, Brandon, John Boyle already made the inside the draft article. I'm going to definitely check it out right after the stream then, Kelly. Thank you for uh, putting me on to that because I loved that article last year and there were so many nice little nuggets within it that talked to us a little bit about the Seahawks process and, and what they were doing and how they were going through it and how they came to the conclusions they came to. Tommy says, I have weekly golf lessons, progress, anti-progress. It's intense in tournaments though. Oh, it is. And I, I do love this sport. I have a lot of respect for it, but it's one that because I have that respect for it, you got to work at it. You got to put that time in. You got to go hit your bucket of balls. You got to go do your chipping and your putting and your, and you got to stay on top of it. Because if you don't, like you say, Tommy, it's like, you know, if your way, your game falls back, it's hard to keep it tight. Um, just requires a lot of time and energy, you know? But there's nothing like being on a golf course on a beautiful day. It's green grass. You got a cold beer that's sweating in your hands, you know? You hit a, you hit a, a one wood off the tee right down the middle. It feels pretty good. Same the great golf is a sport, laughing out loud. Uh, Jeff uh, Crackawack, Crackawack says, Brandon probably wasn't expecting to talk top billing all night. No, I was. I knew, I, I saw this yesterday and I went, oh God. <laughs> I, I, saw it go, I saw it all going down yesterday and I was like, I am not going to be able to avoid this one. <laughs> There's definitely going to be some flack coming off this, this, you know. So I, I knew it was going to go this way and it's all good, Jeff. I, you know, that's what happens when these guys open up this, this can of worms a little bit. So we got to, it's going to be an open discussion point and, uh, you know, I get it. Um, I don't have any dog, as I say though, I don't have any dog in the fight. So, you know, I wish them all the best. A Seattle way to wait. I wish we didn't have so much money invested in our safeties. It'd be nice. It'd be nice to be able to kind of offload a little bit of that. That's true. Uh, Stale says, Rob spends too much time attacking fans and internet trolls and not enough time talking football. It's not surprising. He's all in his feelings about another creator too. Uh, yeah, it's, I, and I'm trying, I'm trying on, I can on this snail to just parse my words and just be kind and just, you know, appreciative of what I've got. I, I'm trying to stay out of this fray for as much as I can. Cause I just don't, I don't want to delve in those waters too much. Um, I, I do feel where, you know, something I hear is a common sentiment. I think about both, both Rob and top billing a little bit is the, is the emotionality that people receive at times in interacting with them and sometimes getting their heads torn off or sometimes not feeling like there's a little bit of an openingness towards disagreement with whatever maybe their, their stance on a given issue. Um, and it is a tough tight wire act at times to walk as a content creator because you're not because you think you walk on water in your opinion, but because there's just so many people that will come at you. And at times people come at you and I, I can attest to this. There's a lot of disrespect that you get. You know, your comment may be the respectful one that comes across and you're just being completely nice to them and you're just asking them a question or you're respectfully disagreeing. Um, but you've just come on the other end of them having five interactions with people that were just completely toxic and people just took it to 11 instantaneous. Um, and I've had moments like that where I've had comments that I've, I've seen and posted to and I've responded to and it's gotten my blood up and it's got me enacting in a way that's not kind of even keel. And I think that's a little bit of something that you can run into just by the nature of the beast and being a content creator, which can amp up the emotions in your response. Um, so it's, I, I can kind of feel where they're coming from, both of them in that respect. From because I hear from, I hear from both from multiple folks on both sides of this and their interactions with this. And I'm sure there's plenty out there that would be like, yeah, I talked to Brandon about this one thing once, and he just lit me up for no freaking reason. So I'm sure I do the, I do the same. Um, it's something you can naturally fall into a little bit. You're always having to kind of fight against it. You're always having to be vigil and fighting against it and, and acting in that manner a little bit. Um, 
it's not to try to excuse it, but just to maybe explain it a little bit, you know, um, on that. So, um, but yeah, it's, it's been, the emotions have gone a little bit high over the last 24 hours. That's for sure. But I do, at the end of the day, I have respect for both those guys. They both done a lot of hard work. Before Stanton was over on YouTube, he was doing a lot of great hard work over there at the Seahawks draft blog. Um, you know, he covers the draft as well as anybody out there. You know, Top Billing can, puts out a lot of consistent content. And both of those guys work their butts off. You know, no doubt about it. Uh, DJ and Tay, is Grossi working with you when he comes to Seattle? I would love to work with Grossi, DJ. And maybe I need to reach out with him and uh, see if he wants to do a little bit of a syncing up thing. If, um, if he indeed, when he's coming to town. I know he's doing a whole uh, full tour, I believe, of all the... Um, NFL cities during this year. So uh, I'd love to work with Grassi. He does great work, funny guy. Um, and his content is really, uh, really top notch over there. So if so, the only thing with people ask me about with Grassi before, I've, I have been asked about before with the DJ is it's, we are getting bigger to like, you know, 12,000 kind of place area of things as far as subscriber count. But Grassi certainly in that realm, like with Perna, where they're in hundreds and hundreds of thousands of subscribers, um, which is a little bit of a different, you know, I don't know if I provide to them as much of the, of the saturation as they provide me if I go on their channel versus mine, but I'm definitely down to do it. No doubt about it. Jared McCann's back. Mike Myers, you like Mike Myers are also on the Matt Forte. We got some Nick Chubb comp from Ethan. I think those are all good. I think those are all good. John Holland's got the Charbonnet with the Roger Craig of John Holland. Okay, John. I like, I love old comps, John. I got a soft spot for old comps on new players, right? Very easy to do something recent. It's a little harder to go back in those memory banks and try to pull from one a little bit deeper. I like it. I like it. Yeah, I think the Chip Kelly on the Matt Forte, I mean, that's coming from a guy that coached this kid. That one got my, that one kind of got my attention. Scott Nina, how about putting either Jonah Tavai or Robert Copper, Cooper, I always want to call him Copper, uh, for fullback to improve our short running game? You could do that, Scott. Teams have done that a lot in the past at times and taking a defensive tackle and moving them into that spot. So uh, it certainly is a, a possibility, I suppose, that they could encompass. I can't remember if we've ever actually done that, though, Scott. I don't think under Carroll there's ever been a time that we've aligned out a defensive lineman as a fullback. I want to say, unless you, unless you count Will Tukuafu, who I think sometimes would play defensive line. So... But I do like Tavai a lot as a player. This is a defensive lineman. And don't forget, Scott, you always got Dariq Young. He played some fullback last year. Did a pretty good job, too. Erickson, best offense in years, 12s. JSN is the key to unlock. Love it. Love it. And you're right. Best offense in years is correct. Hard to find a place. We were talking about this earlier about, is this team more as talented than the 2005 offense, which was so good? I think it's more talented, purely. Even with that offense having two Hall of Famers on the roster at that time, this one probably has that beat. Lee Lance Forte probably better as a receiving back, but Charbonnet can catch up to that probably. Yeah, it's kind of, it's kind of, Forte was a little bit freakish in his element to be able to catch, but uh, Charbonnet is close, close.
Seattle Way Wait says, hot take. McIntosh will be our number two running back. Ooh, I like it, man. He just wins it out, huh? You just see him just being that that good. Hey, all right, let's go. <laughs> let's go. Flying Blind says, what have you seen so far from Mike Morse? Good to see you in the chat, Flying Blind. Hope you're doing well out there, man. Uh, what have I seen from Mike Moore so far? Well, I'm very deep in my um, my video breakdown, so I'm just working through right now, getting the cutups of the the film cutups of him kind of gone through. Uh, first and foremost, what Mike Morris gives you, and the the tough evaluation that's going to come into play on this one, flying blind, is everything that he's doing at the college level is him operating on the outside, and Seattle is going to simply move him right inside now from the jump. And so I don't have any of the tape to go off of on his college experience of him really doing much off the inside. I've got a couple of snaps in there that I can kind of include where he is operating off the inside and he looks pretty good doing so. But it just everything with him is on the outside. He's a lot of these edge rushers in this last draft who you had uh, Keon White from Georgia Tech, Adetwami Adewori, Carl Brooks from Bowling Green. Guys that at the college level, these colleges wanted them to play on the edges, these huge, massive edges that could set that, that, that could set the edge, that could hold up against the running game and provide a little bit of pass rush in addition to that. But all four of these guys are going to be moved flying by and instantaneously into the inside. And so it makes it a little bit harder, and you saw all those guys go in various places in this draft, it makes it very hard to project about where they're going to be as a pro exactly. Because with a guy like Mike Morris, he's 6'6", 295, is he going to be able to live, win the leverage war inside, which is really the biggest thing that you look to on those guys that are that long and that big inside because often they're going to lose the leverage war because they're going against a guy that's 6'3", 6'4", at the guard position, and the low man usually wins when it comes to leverage battles. That's the key with him a little bit, and that's the hard part flying blind to predict about if that's going to translate with him going to the inside. He does have a, that, that size is there and readily apparent on the edge, he absolutely bullied tackles on tape over and over again on the tape. Just completely bullied him. Um, he works basically significantly off just power and power alone. He's got one secondary pass rush move that he goes to, which is a swim move to the inside. And he goes to that counter inside quite often. So he doesn't have a lot of pass rush moves in his bag. He doesn't have a lot of counters either. It's going to be just that one move and that's going to be it as far as what he does as a player. That'll work a, that'll work a lot better kicking him into the inside than it worked trying to have him operate on the outside. He doesn't have a lot of natural quickness. I think he's going to be quicker as a player when you do move him inside versus being an edge where he just wasn't, you know, he was noticeably not quick, but that's him carrying 295 pounds. He's not going to be quick off the edge of that size. He'll be quicker when you put him to the inside. But um, love his effort, love his high motor flying blind. The guy plays uh, all, hard all the time, doesn't take snaps off. I think he got a lot of his production last year, interestingly enough, in an efficient manner. He only played about 363 total snaps last year, was still able to generate seven sacks, 11 tackles for losses, 23 tackles in total. Uh, you measure this up against flying blind guys like Will Anderson, who had 762 snaps to get to his level of production last year, which was increased off of Morris, but not that much more increased, like double the snaps increased off of what Morris had done. And so uh, I love what I see from him as a player. I just don't know how to exactly project him out flying blind, but I feel like he's going to be able to work on that inside. That strength and power is so legitimate and he's got 33 and a half inch long arms and he knows how to use them. He's not one of those guys that doesn't understand how to use the long, he'll use the long arms to his benefit and maximize out his power and his strength from that. So I think he does work into the rotation. There is some Real upside here as far as his potential now kicked inside because it's a guy that we don't know what his combine testing scores would have been. What would he have been at if he was at 295 rather than trying to get down to 280 as an edge 
And then also if he had been healthy coming to the combine. A healthy 295-pound Mike Morris, what does he test out? And did those testing numbers elevate him up into maybe the back end of the third round at that point? I think maybe so. I think maybe so. So the Seahawks could be getting very much a steal here. It's just a little bit hard to predict flying blind because of the nature of um, the, the nature of the move. You haven't seen him inside like that very much at all. Jack says, deepest running back room in the league by far. Agreed, Jack. Very much agreed. You've put the resources into the position. A, a second rounder on Kenth Walker, a second rounder on Charbonnet, a fourth rounder on uh, DJ Dallas, and then you got a guy in Kenneth Walker that's way better than his seventh round standing. Yeah, I don't know who, who would be better, right? Can't see it myself. Erickson says, Kenny reminds me of a Kamara style. I like it. I like it. I can see a little bit of that in Erickson. Kamara's got those real swivelly hips that were so unique to him. But uh, maybe a little bit in the way he slides off tacklers. DBN says, I don't get why sportscasters try to say we draft too many running backs. Did they not see our whole running back room get obliterated in one game or were they too busy judging our defensive line? Uh, something I was trying to, you know, definitely I've been making the case for as well, DVN, about the, the want, the will, the need to build up the running back room because it's it's not only that it's good to have a deep running back room, but it's also you acknowledging that you've gone sideways in recent history by not building up the running back room strong enough. And it's an elemental part of your team. It is, an, uh, we've got to have an offense that can be balanced. We cannot just become um, one, you know, one lane in our approach of things. So yeah, I, I I don't get it either. I think some of this comes back to DVN, the whole running back value thing. And you still, you got the analytic folks that have just really taken hold when it comes to running backs and getting people to really buy into the fact that you don't take a running back, but later, you only take a running back later. You only take a running back later. Um, but I think you also pay what you, you, you get what you pay for. You know, you get a late round guy with some holes. You get a late round guy that's had some injury history who might be really talented, but he has an injury history. Well, you get what you pay for. Um, you, you, you put in the investment, you're going to get the returns from it on the other end of it too, I think. We'll see. This year will be an interesting kind of view into that if, if they do kind of get the returns from keeping that running back room so deep and strong. Fun P, am I crazy to see a little Seahawks, Kurt Warner and Zach Charbonnet? I can't quite get there with it. Kurt Warner had the stop and start, which was so unique for his time. The, the, maybe the little bit of the shake and bake, the shake and bake that Jack Charbonnet has got, you know, where he's coming up to a defender and he's setting the defender up with the pitter patter steps. It's a little bit like a, it's a little bit like a juke, right? But it's almost not quite like a juke. It ain't that full Barry Sanders. I'm crossing you over kind of juke. It's more of that boom and then explode, you know, patter of the steps, patter of the steps, explode. You know, feel the defender lean to one direction, explode the other direction as you're approaching him heads up. Um, maybe a little bit of that with Kurt there, but Kurt was a little bit more, st the stop and start was maybe a little bit more special in Kurt. Um, part of what made him a top five back in that draft when he was taken. Bobby being back home, such a comfort as Erickson. Yeah, you better believe it. John Holland says, take a look at Roger Craig highlights. Charbonnet's a little carbon copy. Just needs to high step a little bit more. I was going to say, John, the hard part for me with Roger Craig is that just, I always have fit into my, fixed into my mind with Roger Craig, the high stepping, you know, those legs going up high. And I just, I didn't see that Charbonnet doing a lot of that at school. So it's, it's harder to make that connection. Well, I'll go back and check it out. I love the old, uh, I love the old comp though. I love that. 
Ethan says, Hawks Nest, tell us what happened when Jerry Jones found out one of his staff members' son was in the draft. Dude's phone. What'd you say now? What'd you say now? Your son's in the draft? Your son's in the draft. Well, now, we're going to draft a cowboy. If we got a cowboy in my administrative, I'm going to have a cowboy on my field. That's how we win. See, family makes family win. That's how that goes. That's how you build a Super Bowl team. See, that's why I got my son as general manager. Okay? I general manager and my son general manager. It means that you got the family. It means you care. And if you care, you're going to be better. That's how the Cowboys are America's team. That's how we're number one football team in all America. Okay? That's how we got here. We didn't get here by luck. We got here by family. Family wins football games. Okay? Some people think about talent. Some people think about coaching. I told Jimmy Johnson in 92, it is not about coaching. It's about family. And since I let Jimmy Johnson go, we've won one Super Bowl. I think, <laughs> I think that one Super Bowl win over the last 35 years has proven my case. Uh, Nick, we have, uh, we have to penny pitch this whole season, but there is a light at the end of the tunnel. Next year, we'll have plenty of money. Amen, Nick. The stage will be set. Tommy Eden, I like the Witherspoon Champ Bailey comps personally. Ooh, I love that comp. That's a great comp, Tommy. Hell yeah. I hadn't thought of it either up until this point, but that's, that's right on point. Megan says, as well, just got a shout out on the hockey telecast. Hell yeah, Megan. You know, they're definitely winning tonight. Jack, the article says the Hawks had a first round grade on Hall, top 20 player. Oof. Goodness gracious, Jack. That's interesting. That's very interesting. I mean, I could see it. I could certainly see how they can land at that spot. I would be interested, Jack, if they had Hall at that point, if they had a top 20 grade on him. Did they have Hall then over the top of Nolan? Nolan Smith? And if Nolan Smith was available in there between them and Hall, who would they have taken? Because if they got Hall top 20, that would lead me to believe that they would not have Nolan Smith top 20. Interesting. Snail says, disc golf better than golf golf. <laughs> Sam, Sam the Great, beer is honestly the best part about golf. That's my favorite part about it. The beer tastes really good. It's hot. Beer never tastes better when it's just sweaty and it's super hot out. And But that's the problem. Is I, I turn the bend. I get around hole 9 to 10, 11. It gets it gets real <laughs> it gets real lighthearted real quick. Seahawks Gaming, when are the throwbacks being announced? I'm not sure, man. Probably have to wait till a little bit later on in the summer on that one. <clears throat> Tom Eaton says, hey, maybe with your co-sell impressions, they could fly you to Philly to color commentate for the eventual Stanton Billing UFC fight. Well, today, folks, we have ourselves a battle. In one corner, Philadelphia's finest. A bloviating machine of positivity. An invasivator, an enaminator, an enumerator. Oh, Seahawk football, 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 college football. One Murphy Dot Billing coming in at 250 pounds of pure anger. He takes on in this corner 185 pound Rob Zinn. The beast from the British Isles is going to hope his jet can keep the big man from Philly at length in order to wear him down and take away that great power that exists 
<laughs> I'd do it. I'd do it, man. I'd be with it. Gemini glasses, super pumped about this season. Go Hawks, go Hawks, man. And you should be pumped about a Gemini. We're in for a fun year, another entertaining season. Jacob Haas, so do we have enough cap space now? Not at the moment, Jacob. We got to clear some we got to clear some cap space. We're about three three million negative as it stands currently. John Holland, did uh, Robert Cooper lose a lot of weight? Not that I've heard. I haven't done my deep dive quite yet on Cooper, John. I'm going to do my um, I'm finishing up my Mike Morris video. Then comes Kenny Kenny McIntosh, and then I need to technically still do Jarek Reed and uh, Cameron Young. But then I'll get to the UDFA's and I'll take a little bit of a closer look about where Robert Cooper is and kind of what to expect of him as we go forward. Sean Lee, how you doing, man? It's good to see you in the chat. Skill analyst, how's our tight end looking? Beautiful, man. As good as any situation in football currently. You've got teams that have one tight end. You might have yourself some teams that have two tight ends, but you're not going to have three times. You're going to have teams that have got three functional tight ends that they feel good about going out there and starting at any given time. And the Hawks do indeed have that at this point, skill analyst. Noah Fant has been absolutely consistent since he's entered the league. Maybe he's not a guy that's um, been equivalent to his top 20 status in the first round for where he was taken. But every year he gets his catches, every year he gets his yards, every year he has some kind of measure of impact on whatever team he might be on. Will Disley gives you a good all-around player who can catch, who can run block, who can pass block, just gives it good all the way around. In fact, I think he was the, the highest rated, if I'm not mistaken, guy by PFF for us last year of all of our tight ends. And then you have the riser in Colby Parkinson who really came on at the end of late season. He was taking snaps from Noah Fant at the end of the year. There were games where he was getting more snaps than Noah Fant operating as that inline tight end once Disley went down to the injury at the end of the season. So our, our tight end room is great right now as it stands. Michael Myers, Charbonnet, DeMarco Murray. I'm more to the forte comp on that. It's They both run hard. There's, there's a both maybe a little bit of the upright running style was there with DeMarco Murray too. So you got a little bit of that would be their equivalent. They probably move similar as far as their size, speed, dimensions, Michael, right? Their, their, their suddenness. Um, some of that's probably very much similar. There's, there's, there's some comparisons there. Jacob says, NFL GMs, you only take a running back in the later rounds. That's the going theory out there. James Falcons hold my beer. Uh, he says, thanks, Brandon. Love it. Absolutely, man. I got you. Got you. Snail, thank you for the $2 donation. I do appreciate you on that. This is one, one hot take. CJ Johnson will be better than JSN. CJ Johnson. Who's CJ Johnson? Sorry, Snail. I'm, I'm not sure on who CJ Johnson is. Maybe I'm just not getting the CJ Johnson. I don't know. No CJ Johnson, man. I'm sorry. I'm spacing on that one. I could be just not getting the initials off the top of my head with that, but snail. Can you type in who you mean by uh, CJ Johnson? 
Oh, is that one of our undrafted rookie for agents we got? Is that who he means now? I haven't had a chance to look at these guys yet. I know I got to get on it. <laughs> That's where I wish I had more th- days in the hours and days in the week because I just don't have enough time to get into the uh, UDFAs quite so quick because the, the draft videos are just taking up my time. You guys are a little bit ahead of me on that stuff. So I'll have to kind of catch up with that a little bit. But I'll remember you said that, Snail. I will remember. DVN, thank you for the $5 donation. Appreciate you, man. He says, how do you feel about the addition of pass rush specialist Brandon Jordan in conjunction with this year two defense? Sounds like an explosive defense. Um, yeah, Brandon Jordan's the coach, right, that we brought in? So many names. Um, right, yes. So... When you look at the last few years, this was one of the issues I had DVN with. I didn't necessarily hate the, the hiring of Clint Hurt. I just had some issues with it in the respect of you're hiring Clint Hurt to this defensive coordinator job, which essentially is kind of a misnomer anyway because it's Carroll's defense. But what has he done in developing these defensive linemen over the past couple of years? Where's the extra development from Puna Ford from what he was walking in the door? LJ Collier, Rasheem Green, Daryl Taylor. You know, go down the list of a lot of these guys you drafted throughout the time that Hurt was here, and you you didn't really see a lot of forward development from these guys necessarily that pointed to him somehow being a real a real um, expert when it came to specifically defensive linemen, which were kind of supposed to be his bread and butter. So the bringing in of Brandon Jordan, I think, is smart in the respect of it's an acknowledgement of the fact that you have not been developing defensive linemen as well over the last few years, and that that's a bit of a hole in your coaching game. Hopefully now he can come in here and provide a benefit to that and start taking these guys' steps forward so that you can have a guy in Daryl Taylor who last year doesn't look like he's still just relying on the same pass rush moves that he did when he walked in the door. You know, there should be some advancement that you see from these guys. Do we get those returns immediately in this first year? I guess you would hope so, DVN. Um, but hard to say because we haven't. I don't have any baseline to go off of. The good news for a guy like Brandon Jordan, especially when it comes to the edge, though, He's got a lot of talent to work with, you know. He's got a lot of the the raw stuff, the raw parts and stuff to work with. That that now it's just about you doing your job as the coach. What what we pay you to do. You're not going to have to get the most out of some guy with just a, a motochrome of talent. You got a lot of talent. He just might be really raw, and you got to figure out the way to refine that out. So it is on him to get that done. It should be a benefit. It's just hard to quantify DVN of where that benefit will exactly land and shake out this first given year. But it makes me feel better about them in their development now from where it was prior, where there just wasn't a lot of confidence for me with Hurt as a developer of interior defensive lineman talent. I know there's a reason that his star was bright and that he got, you know, signed as defensive coordinator in the first place, but got to have some kind of baseline there I can go off of where I can go player A, B, C, D, E that you took up another notch. You brought up another level. Kelly says, go Kenny. Both laughing out loud. <laughs> And Kelly, was it, maybe it was Kelly, it was you that left the, uh, the review for my book. So I don't know if it was you or not. I think it was the other K, but I can't remember if it was you, Kelly, or the other Kelly. A couple of Kellys in here. Um, but thank you if it was you on that for the review thing. Jackie Treehorn, would you rather have Pete teach Witherspoon or Sherm? Or how about Sanjay Lal? Or Angry Doug Baldwin teaching Ninja? Angry Doug Baldwin teaching Ninja would be great because I think he could definitely show him some things. I mean, Baldwin... Um, Definitely brings, I'm sure, some knowledge to bear in a football field that would be helpful for a guy like Ninja, though. It doesn't seem like Doug's been a big football teacher kind of guy like we've seen from Cam or Cliff or some of these other guys that have moved on in that respect. He seems to be pretty separated from football at this point in time. Um, I want Peach teaching Witherspoon. 
You know, we can knock, people can knock Pete on certain things and people can go after Pete on certain things and some of it's going to be maybe valid. But the one place that I don't think that you can attack Pete or go after Pete Carroll with is his ability to teach the cornerback position. It's his ability to, to get the most with less as he has throughout his whole time period here in Seattle. And now you're going to give him the highest pick at the corner position that you've ever given him. Um, let, let him go out there. Let him go do work. It's like giving a maestro this, this great percussionist you know, or, or, or a great wind, wind working instrument, whatever, you know, he's gotten, he's got a star now to kind of work with on that. I think Pete's going to be able to get a lot out of him, Jackie. I think he's going to be a kid in the candy store with Tariq Woolen and him out there in the safety position where it's at. Um, but I think Pete's a, a master teacher when it comes to the cornerback position. Certainly I'm hoping Sherman can come in and give some tidbits too, to these guys. But uh, Pete's the guy that to me is knows what he's doing when it comes to teaching uh, defensive backs. Cyrus, Cyrus Torgensen says, what are my thoughts on Matt Landers? I think he has a legitimate shot to make this team. He is a bigger wide receiver. He's also a guy that unlike Eskridge, JSN, Jake Bobo, he's a guy that can play on the outside. And so he's got a guy, he's a guy who could potentially come in here and really push a Derek Young on the outside as that backup guy. And he's a legit 4-3 guy in the football field. So he's got a lot of the physical... You know, stuff that you're going to look for in the position, especially guys that are going to play on the outside. Um, there's some things he's got to clean up in his game, struggling with a little bit of the physicality off the line of scrimmage, press, physicality through the course of the route, contested catch situations and whatnot. But he's a very good route runner, and he's got a, and he's got the legitimate speed. So um, there's a little bit of a point where he's got a leg up over a guy like, let's say, Bobo in this respect to things, where Bobo to me is just an inside guy purely at 4740. But uh, Landers is a guy that's got some real legit potential that you don't normally get when you're talking about undrafted rookie free agents. You usually have to just draft these guys somewhere in the draft. The, the four or three guys with the size and the length don't tend to slip through. JT says, I hope we have the depth of linebacker. It feels kind of thin. It is a little bit thin right now. I think you're, you're right to be worried about it. If I was to say right now, defensive tackle to me is the one that I'm most worried about. But then right behind that, I would put probably the linebacker position, the middle linebacker position specifically. Lethal Lance, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, are you trading or extending Fant for cap space? Well, if I've got to make the choice between one or the other here, Lethal Lance, then I would be trading him for cap space. I don't really want to sign Noah Fant to a contract extension at this point. I like what he brings to the team, but I don't see a guy that's worth me paying six, seven, eight million dollars per year for the skill set that he brings. He's an average blocker for the position, and he's slightly plus as a pass catcher. That's kind of his bottom line. Um, so I would go the other direction with it. I really don't want to go either route there, Lethal Lance. What I'd really like to do is take one, take two of the contracts that you currently have on the books, turn the base into bonus, right? free up the money in that fashion. Don't make your team weaker because you got to free up this cap space. Just simply at that point, free up the cap space uh, and they could do it. You know, you can restructure a couple of deals here. The team doesn't like to do that stuff. The team's hesitant to do that type of stuff, but I really don't want to take a team right now. That's so strong offensively and now weaken it down offensively because we just don't have enough, you know, we don't have enough coins in the couch cushion. It's this is the $3 million in negative money is money. You should be able to overcome by just moving some contracts around and you're not putting your, future cap space in that great apparel. Thank you for the jar donation though, Lethal Lance. I appreciate you. Uh, Sean Lee says, hearing some good things so far about Derek Hall. What do you think so far? Uh, well, we haven't seen a lot of him necessarily in camp or anything like that. So I'd 
hard to say there. He seems like a guy that's wired right. I watched some of the stories on him and his upbringing with being a baby and being a, a premature baby and having to kind of, um, you know, fight through early on in his life and overcome. Um, and he seems, that seems to have kind of created a little bit of a dogged mentality in him, the exact kind of mentality you want on a football field, especially from a defensive player. Uh, I love him as a pick, Sean, and it certainly sounds like the team had a very high grade on him being a top 21st round grade on Derek Hall. So they seem to be very high on him as well. Um, he is, to me, missing a little bit of the first step, quickness, dip, and bend if we're talking about a guy who could eventually become an elite pass rusher. I think if you're missing those three base base uh, skills as a pass rusher, that even with exceptional power and some explosiveness, there is maybe a little bit of a limit, to, in my opinion, at that point to your top end. But I do expect him to be a guy with a pretty safe floor and a guy that could round out to becoming a player who's a real plus run defender in this league who also then can give you some pass rushing in addition to it. Like Boye Mafe, end up rounding out into becoming a very complete football player. Um, Connor Washweigler says, Quentin Johnson, maybe? No, I think they meant, they meant CJ Johnson, Connor, but it was an undrafted rookie free agent I guess we brought in. I just didn't... Uh, I, yeah, so the it's it's what happens with me on this, folks, is that the draft ended, and then from the draft, every single day I'm working on the channel right now, I'm just, uh, it's laser focused in, and it's literally just trying to push out as many of the draft videos as I can. And it might seem like, well, it was just a 12-minute video, so you probably just, that probably just took you like three hours to kind of kick that out, and you're just done, right? So why not just have these all done one day? These take a very long period of time to put together. So these draft videos, when I'm doing them, they're going to take me three, four days at times to get all the footage put together, to cut everything. What that means then is I don't have the time to then go and scout UDFAs. So I'll get to the UDFAs. I promise you guys I'll get around to that. But just please be patient with me on this as I'm putting all the time I can into the channel and there are only so many hours in the day. I can't get to every single individual person. I just have to kind of go through these bit by bit. But we will get to the UDFAs. We'll just have to get along to that. And I love that you guys are really excited by these UDFAs in the way, but let's also keep in mind, the excitement should be for the drafted guys. Be excited for the UDFAs as well, but the drafted guys are the guys that are going to make the hay here. You know, we're talking about UDFAs. We're talking about back-end roster guys for the most part. Sometimes there's some guys that can surprise. I know the Hawks have had some reasonable success over the years with a Lockett, with a Baldwin, with a Puna Ford. But let's also consider that for those successes, you have a lot of dead areas and dead years where you got nothing really out of the UDFAs, past back-end roster guys and special teams guys. Yeah. Kelly Cat schedule one of one. <laughs> Kirk Stemmer says, thoughts on John Schneider's comments about wanting extra draft capital for next year's draft? Well, I think he spoke to and confirmed what I had been thinking was very much the case in the way that the team was going to view that this year. And what I thought about this draft was that this was a weaker draft. It was a naturally weak draft that was already made the weaker than by the NIL. And what the NIL did is it removed out about 60, 75 names from this draft of guys that would have normally have entered the draft if this was a normal given year, if the NIL didn't exist. But it does exist, and this is the year that you kind of felt the, I'm not call it fallout, just the market correction in the amount of talent that was available in this given draft. It will eventually stabilize itself where the drafts will go back to a normative process but this particular one just happened to be the one where extra guys are going back for that year. And so it weakened it down. And Schneider did talk about that and saying, you know, this year there's not as many guys entered the draft. And what he's sort of inferring in that is that there's not as much talent in this draft. And so he wants to look to get the extra draft capital next year because he thinks it's going to be a more talented draft. The guy that he's going to be picking in that third round point that in next year's draft very well could be a guy that they had a second round grade on in this particular draft. 
And I think that that's, I think that's kind of the case. Tabby says, what about a young Arian Foster comp for Zach? Honestly, it's hard to beat the Forte comp. It's perfect. It really does feel perfect to me too, Tommy. I mean, I, I struggled going away from that one. Once I heard Chip Kelly put it on that, especially Chip Kelly being his former coach saying this, right? It's not just a random guy saying it, but a guy that watched this guy in practice and games over the last couple of years and got a really close look at him. So to me, Forte is the guy. I, I have heard the Arian Foster comp. I can't quite get there to it. Foster was more of a, a glider at the running back position. A guy with that easy speed and that that easy burst in the way that he leaned on his running style to work. Um, you know, he was more of that kind of slicing, dicing running back that's just, you know, they're just, they're almost like on a wave the way that they run across the field and just how they're flowing, right? And with with uh, <clears throat> with Zach Charbonnet, I think it's a little bit more of the, the explosive style, you know, where you feel how hard he's running. You know, where, where Arian Foster, Arian Foster at times could run hard, but it didn't always look like he was necessarily running hard with his style. Uh, DVM, I liked Brandon because he has a history of helping develop a lot of stars, including some of our guys. He does have the pedigree in the background, DVM. And I think it's going to be an, it's going to be a bump and an improvement where you've been. And it's been a kind of a negative for you. I mentioned those guys I mentioned that you didn't really develop. It has been a bit of a negative for you. Your lack of developing defense, lack of developing defensive linemen over the last couple of years, getting them to progress, getting them to realize the level of talent you thought they had when you drafted them. You know, did, did Rasheem Green really ever take any real true steps forward here throughout his time from what he was walking in? Did LJ Collier, uh, has Daryl Taylor? No, uh, not, not a lot. Not as much as you'd probably like. Steven says, and we got a lot of talent from now to work with. Who knows? If anything, I know he can help with the tackling situation. Certainly could help there, DVN, definitely. And it can't, can't be worse than some of that development aspect of things, right? Nowhere to go but up in certain respects of things. You know? uh, bear with me one fo- second, folks. I'll be right back. All right, thanks for hanging in there with me. Fun piece says, you see some similarities with Kenny McIntosh and Jameer Gibbs? Yeah, I think they were very much two of their own kind of players in this last draft. And that 
they were two true running backs who, to me, fun P, you can line out as slot wide receivers, and they could look very much receiver like in uh, their play on the football field. And you had guys that they could line out as wideouts at times from the running back position, but nobody that looked quite like a receiver running routes like those two particular guys did. Gibbs was a little bit better at it than uh, McIntosh. He was even a little bit more pure in being able to do that type of stuff, but McIntosh was pretty close to him. Um, I do think that Gibbs has a little bit more of the get up and go on tape, more top end speed, more natural, you know, juice burst. But uh, McIntosh put a one five four ten yard split up as well, so he's got his own kind of you know legitimate burst that he's able to utilize even if he doesn't have that top end speed. But I do like him. Press on predictions for what Seattle does at the defensive line positions before Week One. I think there's another trade that gets made. Press on. Um, you know, who's your starters? Who isn't your starters? Uh, obviously, Draymond Jones, probably one of your guys starting right now. Cameron Young would be your de facto zero tech. Um, and you'd probably be starting Jaron Reed right now as your as your three four end. Um, if not, maybe Mike Morris um, might be that guy for you. Um, where does Miles Adams kind of factor in? I still think that Prezon they're going to make another trade though. There's going to be some other move that they make to reinforce the ranks on that defensive line, uh, specifically a guy that's maybe a starter. Um, so. Yeah, I, uh, I I do think. Um, sorry, I was reading something else there in the chat. <clears throat> I think it's going to be something like that. I think they make some Sheldon Richardson, Jadavian Clowney like move right around the training camp um, to kind of reinforce the ranks. But I think that the team does seem to want to fit into doing the three four stuff based on what we're seeing. It's going to be three four. So Doug's interview about facing Pat Peterson's gold. He's faster than me. He's not quicker than me, though. <laughs> Few people were quicker than Doug. Megan says, uh, who are you trading Fant for, B? Who would be your target for him? I don't think the team would be looking to get back a player in return, Megan. They'd be just looking to move him, get some late round pick next year, uh, a fifth and sixth, or fifth, fifth or sixth round pick in next year's draft. Um, it's what you're trying to do, Megan, is clear out the $5.85 million that's due on the books for Fant, which then would take Seattle into a place of being, essentially in a place of being negative $3 million as far as their cap space currently stands to now they get to be, what, $2.5 million in cap, functional cap space. So it solves this big major problem that's currently hanging a little bit over the team. Connor says, if you heard about Quinn Williams not being close to an agreement with the Jets, that could be a great target for Seattle to go after. It'd be a beautiful target to see them go after Connor. Um, it's in, interesting to hear they're not able to come to a common ground. I'm sure he's probably asking for over $20 million a year, and that's got the Jets maybe bristling a little bit. Uh, they seem to be in go-for mode, though, Connor, with this Aaron Rodgers trade. I would be very, 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 very surprised to hear them being in a position to, you know, um, essentially um, weaken themselves in a year where they're really truly trying to go for it and losing Quinn Williams would there's no way you could you know take that and look at it any other different way if you're the Jets or a Jets fan that you're definitely weakening yourself even if you're picking up a future first round pick at that point uh, from a team like Seattle um, on the flip side of that I'm down to look at him I certainly would love to make that kind of move if that was opened up to happen Connor but I would just be very I'd be very skeptical to believe that the Jets would be willing to do that 1-0 stars Darn it. Come on, Kraken. Mr. Dog, uh, who are you most excited about? Matt Landers has have a good chance. He's got a good chance to make the team. Um, 
Who am I most excited about of the UDFAs? Um, Landers would probably be that guy. If not him, it would be Jake Bobo. And if not them, then Jonah Tavai. Those are the three guys that are really, I think, having the most possibility of making an impact on the team. Um, but Landers has got, he's got everything you could want in a wide receiver. He's big, he's long, he's fast, he runs pretty good routes. Um, he's not got a, obviously he's got some holes in his game too. This is why he drops and drips out of the uh, draft in general. But to get a guy that's running 4-3, Mr. Dog, that can take the top off the defense like he can, um, hard to usually find that in the UDFA territory of uh, drafts. You usually got to at least make a pick of a fifth, sixth, seventh rounder on it. But um, there's also a thing that we got to look at this and, and view as a little bit of, you know, the wide receiver position is not going to be an easy one to make the Seahawks roster on, not like prior years. DK, Tyler, JSN, those guys are locked in. There's really only about two other spots available beyond those guys. And Derek Young is a guy that Sean Schneider and the team feels very high on. I, I think though Matt Landers and Bobo are going to push him, I don't think that there's anything that to be said that, that they're absolutely locks to overtake Derek Young at this point. So um, that last, you know, that last wide receiver roster spot's going to come down to Bobo, Landers, and Eskridge. You know, let the best man win. <laughs> But yeah, I'd say of the UDFAs, Landers, it's probably Landers or Tavai, Mr. Dog, that have me most excited. I think Tavai could be a real interesting guy down on the defensive line. Um, but if you mean by just just rookies we drafted, probably Oluwatimi's the guy that'd be the, the guy I'm most excited about, just of the guys we picked. Kelly says, congrats, B. Uh, if you don't mind me saying, my favorite Seahawks moment ever, in honor of your 12K, me buying a Bobby Wagner jersey during halftime during a game, which I never do, and then returning. Uh, then returning to my seat to see him return his first ever career pick six versus the Niners. Boy, isn't it sweet. Got to see them, Sherm, got to, got to see them uh, poking fun at Sherm. <laughs> nice. And also, uh, you know this one, but meeting Jamal Adams at training camp and watching him sign for every single person who wanted his autograph, I went over when not many people were talking to him after I already got my autograph. I just wanted to talk to him and be around him more. And I said my dad was a Jets fan and I thought he wouldn't respond, but he paused, let out a huge barking laugh and then pointed at me and said, you tell him hello for me. Jamal seems like a good guy. Seems like a good guy. I do remember that. And that's a hell of a story. You helped to make that Wagner pick six happen by getting that jersey at the time you did. Kirk Stemmer says McIntosh catches, catches the ball more like a receiver than JSN. <laughs> well, he's very receiver-like. I don't know on that one. Maybe. Maybe on that one. Omega says, oh, that all oh, right, that makes sense. Uh, Refant B. Didn't think of that. Yeah, it's just the pickle they've gotten themselves into, Megan, with this money situation. It sucks a little bit, but this is the, also the downside of signing so many one- and two-year deals. You ate up all that cap space really fast. And then there wasn't enough to kind of get all the stuff done you need to do this offseason. Whereas if you maybe had signed a couple more of those three, four-year deals and moved a little bit of that money around, I mean, hell, if you just signed essentially Dremont Jones to kind of the same deal Javon Hargrave signed with the Niners, 
you'd be cap plus right now. You know, you'd be on the plus side of things. Uh, Connor says, I agree. I was referring more to the 2024 season when Williams is a free agent, though. I think, Connor, they would do a lot of the same thing, though, that the Washington team just did with Deron Payne. Technically, he'd be a free agent, but why wouldn't they just franchise him twice at that point? I think you're having to, you'll have to make a move for him and trade for him. I don't think you're going to be able to... Now, maybe they make that move to trade for him at that point, but I would be very surprised if a guy like Williams actually reaches free agency absent him being hit with the franchise tag two years in a row. Justin says, how much does Quinn Williams want? He's not asking for more than what Deron Payne got, is he? Yeah, he would be. And he can get it. He can get it. And that's probably why the Jets are being hesitant to pay it. They don't want to go up that high. But, you know, the market rate is the market rate. And uh, there are not many dominant defensive tackles in the sport. It's one of the few ones. Paul says, how long till the schedule drops? Who y'all want week one? Give me, give me a nice, easy, uh, let me see, let me see. Who do I want week one? How about we just get the Cardinals week one, you know? Get a nice, easy 1-0 spot right off the jump. Just feel good about ourselves. Start this thing off right. Mr. Dog says, yeah, I thought that was crazy that a 4-3 went undrafted, especially in this draft, um, because when you look at Matt Landers, not only is he 4-3, but you have a draft where there's so many guys that number one from the receiver position struggled to run 4-3, right? How many guys like couldn't even run 4-3? And then these guys couldn't run 4-3 and they're all 5-9. 5-9, 170, 170 pounds. You go, what, what is going on here? You guys are gonna be that small. You need to run the 4-3. You can't be up at 4-4.5, four, 4-5. Four four, um, but indeed, he ran a 4-3-7. He had a 1-5-1 10-yard split. Which, Mr. Dog, 1-5-1, 10-yard split, is, that's faster than Jameer Gibbs. That's faster than Kenny McIntosh. Uh, on a 6-4 frame with 32-and-a-half-inch long arms. He also posted up 37-inch vert and 130-inch broad jump. So the testing numbers were ridiculous for Matt Landers. Um, and you just don't find that usually in UDFA territory, you know, where they're at here. Um, I don't know if it's just that maybe the league doesn't feel like He's going to be able to hold up from a physicality standpoint because that's the thing that he did struggle with on tape. But I, I, I like I liked the potential there. Ethan says, oh my gosh, I didn't notice. Happy 12K subs, Brando. Congratulations. Well, thank you. And thank you to Kelly as well for your congrats on that. I do appreciate you. It's a, it's a good feeling passing by that 12,000 mark. It feels mighty, mighty, mighty fine. Yes, it does. Kelly's is also the quandary pick to seal the Rams game. Was awesome. Saw that live. That would have been a fun moment to watch live. Bobby getting the ball. How you like that, Bobby? How you like that? Megan says, in honor of your 12K celebration, my favorite Hawks moment, I think you all know full well, 16th October, 22. Lumen Field against the Cardinals. You know the rest. That's right. Uh, that's right. It's a good day. It's a mighty fine day. Jacob Haas, is our cap situation the way it is because of the sale of the team coming up? Thoughts? Yes, I, I do believe so. Um, it's a little bit of an unwinding and a kind of a, all the way around the woods kind of thing here, Jack, Jacob, because I believe the last couple of years you're giving out one and two and three year contracts because you're essentially wanting to show the fans that you're going to use up all of the cap space in a given year, but you're not trying to get yourself into a given state where, may, where um, Jody's got to go out there and 
and put a lot of money into escrow on guaranteed and bonus money deals. Because when you sign players to three and four year deals, there's going to be that much more bonus and guaranteed money. And that money needs to go into escrow immediately, as opposed to a yearly salary, which you just pay throughout the course of the year. So if the caps, if the Seahawks were in a cash strap situation, they wouldn't be giving out a lot of those kind of deals. And that's the evidence of that that we've seen over the last couple of years. Um, I don't see many other teams operating in this fashion with this many one and two year deals like they have been doing. Um, it's, it's almost been like absent a player here and a player there. They're just, they're, they're just about um, allergic to giving out anything more than a two-year contract at times, you know, and or, well, a three-year deal, I guess, is what I should say on that. So uh, it, what that does, Jacob, is that then eats up all that cap space really quickly. Because if I have a three-year contract instead of a four-year contract, there's that much place and period now for me to stretch out the bonus money, stretch out the guarantees, lower down the initial parts of the contract. And that is indeed where the team kind of finds itself. You know, I mentioned the Javon, Javon Gar, Hargrave contract. I think nothing crystallized this more further than the Javon Hargrave contract versus the Draymond Jones contract. Because they both got paid right around the same place as far as their yearly average goes. Right? Both of them paid right around the same place. The key difference here, though, is that because Javon Hargrave was on a four-year deal and Draymond Jones was only on a three-year deal, Hargrave's first-year cap hit is $5.5 million. Draymond Jones' first-year cap hit is $10.1 million. So almost double. Almost, you could almost have two Hargraves for the cost of one Draymond Jones. And it's one of the things that has kind of at times baffled me and frustrated me with them in free agency because they're not being as efficient in their spending process and how they dole out their money to then build out the most maximized roster because of it. You're sort of, ca- you're sort of counting yourself a couple roster spots every year by taking this method of approach. Um, and it does bother me just a little bit with that. But yeah, I do think, Jacob, it comes from a place of the team sale and the fact that right now Jody has been mandated by the trust to get everything into a liquidated state. If you're getting everything into a liquidated state, that doesn't mean you're spending money out of pocket. That means liquid in hand, money in hand, not spending. And so they're going to try to maximize, in my opinion, out the amount of money in hand that they can get as the trust does tell them to do. A snail, he didn't play three games last year. We took him as a first receiver. Yes, I'm pessimistic on that pick. (laughs) No worries, snail. I understand, man. I understand. Uh, Kurt, uh, what if we went and got either Floyd, Clark, or Clowney? Uh, Those are guys who are edge guys, really, mainly. Um, Clowney can play some three, four end, but Frank Clark and Floyd, I don't think either of those guys are going to play inside as an end, Kurt. So you're already really stacked up on edges as it is. It's more interior guys that you need more than anything else. Clowney would be a possibility if he's willing to play a three, if he's willing at this point in time of his career to no longer be an edge and just be kicked inside as a three, four to end at that point. I don't know if Clowney's willing to do that. Um, but I'm, I wouldn't be an on Floyd or Clark. You're fine on the edge right now. You're stocked. You're six man deep right now on your edge where you really need your help is on that line at this point. Isaac M, my dad used to work at Amazon and they had picnics at CenturyLink and I was able to meet DK. He was awesome. Well, that's cool to hear. I love to hear that. I always like these stories. These guys are good, seem like good people too, you know, treating people right. Sam the Great, my favorite Seahawks moment was meeting Sidney Rice, one of my favorite Hawks because of that conversation. Well, hell yeah. Jamal signed everybody through his hand was in, even though his hand was in the cast. That is cool, Kelly. You know that's that doesn't it makes it a pain in the butt to do it. 
Megan says, can you explain the reasoning behind one and two year deals? We always seem to do makes no sense and, and never has to me. Um, well, I can, this is why I, it doesn't make sense to me, Megan, which is why I make the guess that I think what's going on here is the team is essentially trying to eat up again. Let's take this down to the simple place of this, Megan. Okay. I'm an, I'm an owner in a place of, I have to sell the team. <gasps> I got to sell the team. I got to sell the team. This trust is saying, I've got to sell the team and I can't spend as much money because I got to liquidate everything. Every, think of it like everything in the store must go, Megan, right? And if everything in the store must go, that doesn't mean that we're holding on to items and selling items. So um, I've, been ma- I've been mandated to go do this. So what that would mean to me then is I don't want to tell the fans that I'm not trying to compete. I don't want to show the fans that we're going to be in a sell mode. We want to show the fans that we're in on it. So I will technically spend all of the money that a salary cap has to utilize, but that's going to be for show. But I, I think it's an explanation for why we're seeing them do so many of these one and two year deals is that a sale would seem to be eminent because it doesn't make a lot of sense when you counter it with the fact that you're clogging up your cap space year in and year out by taking this approach. And it's been going on for now about the last three years. It's been going on since Paul Allen's death. And prior to Paul Allen's death, the team had no inhibitions, had no reticence to hand out three and four year contracts. They handed it out like Tic Tacs at times. You get one and you get one and you get one. And now suddenly they stopped doing it. And it just happens to coincide with exactly the time frame of Paul Allen's passing. And and the trust telling Jody Allen and informing her that she has to sell the team also after that, a certain amount of time period or, or that there's at least a general mandate in there to get it done. I'm putting two and two together on this, but I don't think it's driven by like, well, you get players in on one and two year deals and now they're in more of a proven mode. So now that you get a guy who's like giving you more effort on the field because you, I, don't, I don't buy any of that stuff. Certain players, maybe that's the way you want them to operate. Certain guys are better on one and two year deals because their mentality keeps them more on edge and towing that line. But I just think that it does come down to not being necessarily in a place of being cash rich right now at the moment. Jacob says, uh, does that make it easier on the new owner when building a team? It does, Jacob. Yeah. Every new owner that's going to come in is going to want to put their own stamp on this team in whatever way they can, be it their own hires of coach and general manager or their own hire of a general manager who will then decide the coach or that they, that they get to come in and tell the team, hey, go for it. You know, I'm going to let you, here's the purse strings. I'm going to let, I'm just going to spend money. You guys go crazy, right? And Jacob, you saw this last year with the Walmart money coming into Denver, didn't you? Because the first thing they do walking the door is, hey, hey, Russell Wilson, you get a contract extension. And then this off season, did they stop spending money? Did they, did they dial it back? No, they were still spending a lot of money this off season for where they were from a cap standpoint, because now they are in a cash rich situation with that new Denver ownership. Walmarts don't care about escrow. They don't mind putting that money where they need to put it. Um, so yeah, it's going to make it easier on the new owner and the new owner is going to be well situated, Jacob, because he has such a young roster that he's going to inherit at that time to be able to spend that money any which way that he sees fit. But I would think it would make it a little bit more attractive. Cody M says top villain is so sensitive. Lap my ass off. Uh, anyone who doesn't agree with him gets publicly shamed on his next video. Very unprofessional and shows deep insecurity and immaturity. Thankful for your professionalism. Thank you, man. I, I I don't, I do try to take my lessons and learn from other folks in ways that I see it. And I, you know, it's a part that I probably annoy people with that I talk about a lot on this channel because I keep it at such the forefront, but it is so important to me that the discourse is just allowed to flow on this channel in a free and open way. And specifically, specifically in the fashion of those, po- those folks who might disagree with me, who disagree with me vehemently, you know, it's, it's the old thing we go back to the freedom of speech, right? And the, and the thing that always stands out to me with freedom of speech, and especially in this day and age we live in right now, is that 
When you talk about free speech and protecting free speech, it's not about the speech that you agree with or that you like. That's not the point of free speech. So if we all, it's all just about what we agree with, then there's no reason to have free speech. We just all agree with each other. That's it. Just say things that are agreeable. It's about having that lane open for those people that there is disagreement and knowing that there's value in that disagreement. That because there's some friction, because there's a little bit of us locking heads and going at it a little bit, that that's not the worst thing in the world. And I think that that gets lost in modern age, that somehow disagreement is this, this horrible thing. It's this great pall that's cast over everything, and it's not. Places are better. Communities are better. The conversation is better and more expansive when we can talk about any subject without anybody getting their panties up in a twist. And uh, I love that about this channel, and that's one of the places I'm always going to try to stay on top of Cody because I value it so heartily. But it's, it is in this online world. You know it. You probably see in other places. There is a draw to get to being in a, more of a toxic state. And I could feel at times it get drawn to me. I could feel at times when I'm on a live stream where I start to feel myself slide that way. It's just it's like, a, you know, like being a Jedi drawn to the dark side of the force or something, I guess, you know? And you just you feel that Sith-like pull on you. Um, but I appreciate that, man. And, you know, try to... I, I always want to be able to to have that be a part of this this channel. And as much that I say, I'm, I want to be, you guys be open to it. And I need to be open. I want you guys within each other to be open to it. Hey, I disagree with this guy, but let me hear him out. Let me see where they're coming from. And let's have the debate back and forth. Let's, let's have a, a meeting of the minds and see where this thing stands. And I'll trust, I'll trust the strength of my argument and my position because I've thought about it. And then that means I don't have to go to, um, you know, saying, being childlike in my, in my ways with it. Appreciate you though, man. Henry Mars, four hour stream. Damn, you are an Iron Man. The Seahawks Iron Man. Thank you, bro. I left three hours ago and I'm back. You're still going strong. Still going strong. Justin Goins, how much the Seahawks ownership asking for? More than what the Washington Commanders just sold for? Yeah. I would have estimate that the final sale numbers will come down somewhere in the neighborhood of six billion dollars when it's all said and done. Riverside says the Hawks will cost double the commanders. <laughs> well, you do have to wonder if Schneider might have depressed down that, uh, to your point on that, Herbicide pushed down a little bit of that value because, <laughs> well, because he's Dan Schneider. Sam the Great, did Elon actually buy the commanders? No. I can't remember who it was, but it wasn't Elon. It was, it was a group like, uh, I, I think the commanders went for 500 million more than the Broncos. And I think the Hawks will be the next team to sell in the NFL. So it goes up. I'm doing some basic math. I think it goes 500 million more. Great camp. Brandon, did you see the DK route running video posted by the Seahawks? I noticed that DK changed from a long to shorter stride length. And it seems to have helped DK with staying low in routes and making cuts. I did not check it out, Greg, but I will, um, I'll take a look after the, after the show's wrapped up. I'd love to see it. Um, and it would make sense. Those bigger guys are going to have those naturally longer routes, longer strides that does make it harder when you're trying to be exacting in your, uh, in your routes and being able to cut it off at the perfect right time and not rounding out your routes, um, not losing speed when you need to come out of the break. So getting a little bit of the shorter strides makes a lot of sense for them because that's going to help you to do that. Um, it's part of also why I've said that I, I didn't notice it as being that necessarily exact detail in my view of DK, but I definitely have just a general feel like DK has gotten better in two different aspects specifically since coming in the league. I think his hands have gotten better and I think that his route running has gotten better. Um, and two things that it feels like every year gets just a little bit incrementally better from what it was the prior year. Um, so I, I, I'll check it out, man. Thanks for the suggestion. 
I said the great, I'll always respect freedom of speech. Me too, man. I, I will as well. I, I just, but I think that the place that it comes from is that place of, it's a value when there is disagreement. It's a value when somebody's saying something that you don't necessarily want to hear, you know? And that's the same thing I think is proven true with doing these kind of channels in that way. Kurt says, my Ionitis could be a good ad. Thoughts? He could be a solid player. Uh, just a, he's going to be kind of just another rotation guy to add into it. I don't think he's going to be highly impactful or he's going to be, you know, a, a ton better than what you might get from a Mike Morris or a um, Miles Adams, um, who's guys that could be ahead of him on the rotation. But a guy that's played a lot in this league and a very seasoned guy that, under, you know, pros pro type guy that understands how to go about his business. He could be an okay addition. I think he's a pretty good all around player, if I'm not mistaken, too. Where he gives you pretty good run, pretty good pa- pretty good as a run defender, pretty good as a pass rusher. So he gives you a little bit of juice there from the inside, but I just don't think that there's there's a lot there for me. You know, I, I'd almost Kurt, if I'm going to be going for a move now to add to this team at this point, I need to have it be a guy that's more than just a body in there. I do want a guy that's actually going to pl- provide some actual you know plus side is in his snap count when he's on the field. And Matt might provide you a little bit in that realm, but it's. It's kind of be a very moderate increase from where you're at right now on the roster. Thank you, Jack. That's very kind of you to say, man. Uh, Megan, I may not agree with what you say, but I will fight to the death for your right to say it. Winston Churchill said it brilliantly, and I love it for the Hawks Nest. Hey, man, I love it too. I love it too, Megan. That's exactly right. And he put it very well. It's in that same, it's in that same kind of way, that same kind of manner of, of belief and um and it's one that's not easy. It's not easy to allow to hear people that you disagree with. I know that's tough, especially in this day and age. But there's so much value within it, in my opinion. So much value. And it'll make this channel so much better if we can keep it op- open in that realm. Justin says, well, the highest ever sporting transaction was Denver Nuggets at $4.5 billion, And the commanders just broke that at $6.05 billion. And now you think the Seahawks will double that at $12 billion? No. No, no. I, no. No, I don't. I don't think so. I think it's $500 million more. The Broncos went for $5.5 billion. The Commanders just went for $6 billion. The Seahawks will go for $6.55 billion, right? It's just like with football in a lot of ways, Justin, you know, like the next contract goes a little bit over the next one, next one, a little over the next one. You don't see an NFL contract where one team just suddenly doubles that of the next value behind it. I thought it was $5.5 billion, Justin, on the Broncos sale. It'll be a lot, whatever it is. It'll be a lot. Uh, Connor says, who do you think will emerge in Seattle's top corner after the 2023 season? Woolen or Witherspoon? I think Woolen will, Woolen's on a superstar rise, Connor. I think Witherspoon will be on more of a star rise. I don't know if he gets there in his first year either, but I, I think I look more to Woolen being that that real difference guy over there. Um, like potentially one of the top two, three corners in the league. I, I don't know if Witherspoon ever gets to quite that spot of things. But you have Tariq in as a top three corner, and then you have Witherspoon as a top 10 corner. They're shutting down a lot of guys on the outside at that point. Megan, for me, I have not, uh, Megan, for me, I may have not agreed with you, B, on the whole Carter thing before and during the draft, but I respect your opinion, B, as do I yours. As do I yours, Megan. And uh, it's better when we don't always have to agree with everything, right? It's better. Big country, any chance for a baseball stream this week or next week? Yeah. Uh, maybe tomorrow night, big country. Let's let's shoot for tomorrow night getting a baseball stream up and running. So uh, I should be I should be good to go on something like that. So we'll try to do tomorrow. 
and more this week. But we're going to be picking it up more now for sure. John says, hey, Brandon, would you consider would you consider this the best offense the Seahawks have ever had, or at least the most weapons? I certainly think John Acevedo would be, this is definitely the, the, the team that has the most weapons offensively that I can think of. Um, and I think that it has a very good argument to be made that this is the best offense beyond just having the best weapons overall. I can't think of a team that had three wide receivers that were this legitimate, three tight ends. I mean, hell, we've had any given time in our history, it's really like we've had one tight end at any one time that was good and then just a couple of guys behind him. You're three stacked at the tight end position. Your offensive line should be pretty legitimate now. You have a stable of four running backs. You have a guy in Geno Smith that you know easily should be a guy that's on par. Somebody was mentioning earlier in this stream, John, of a guy that'd be like a Matt Hauselbeck type in his productive level, uh, if not a little bit more mobile maybe than Matt. Um, I think I, I can't say that the 2005 season was more talented or was better just because you had Hutchinson and Jones as Hall of Famers on that on that offense. Um, I think the, the the gross totality of this offense is probably stronger than that particular offense, John. So yeah, I think you're right. I think this is the best one. Drunk says, "What are your thoughts on Jordan Addison and Zay Flowers?" I think Jordan Addison is going to be able to play on the outside at the NFL level, despite the size limitations that he possesses, the same size limitations that Zay Flowers possesses. He is such a great route runner, and his technique is so clean off of the line of scrimmage, and he's very efficient getting off the line of scrimmage in his releases, despite being a little bit of an undersized guy. I think he plays faster than his tested time is. He's a guy that does, I think, put a little bit of fear in cornerbacks' hearts as far as having to you know, give cushion for that speed and and be a little wary of that. With Zay Flowers, he took so many steps, drunk Squidward off the line of scrimmage on the outside to get off the line of scrimmage and get free. It was like he was having to like break dance in order to get a free release off the line of scrimmage when operating off the outside. I think that Zay Flowers eventually only is going to be an inside guy uh, at the next level. I just don't think he's going to be an Antonio Brown-like guy on the outside like some people do. And I wasn't quite as high in Flowers as some were. He's also a guy that had like a 13% drop rate last year. So there's some questions with him as far as his hands go in addition to that. Um, so I am a little bit higher overall. I know that Flowers went ahead of Addison, but I actually end up thinking Addison's going to end up rounding out to being probably maybe the better pro if you factor in him playing on the outside. Flowers might end up putting more catches and touches up because he's operating from the slot um, a little bit more. Um, did Flowers go to Minnesota? I don't think he did, did he? Baltimore Ravens drafted him. So it was the the Ravens. Here. Sam the Great, I heard both sides of Murph or Stanton. They both are entitled to their opinions. Uh, 100%, man. 100%. Jonah Whale, how you doing, man? It's good to see you. Megan says, agreeing with everything gets boring real quickly, and I have a short attention span. It does. Boy, does it ever, Megan. Jonah the Whale says, our offense is like an Iron Man suit. All the ways we can hurt you. We got rockets here. I got my, I got my howitzer gun here. I got my one-off back here. You don't want to see the one-off, okay? The one-off is going to destroy, right? 
But uh, it is indeed, it's like an Iron Man suit. You can call upon whatever you want to call upon. Like I was saying at the top about this, our offense, the way you've constructed it is to be not only a dominant offense, but an offense that can attack any given weakness of any given defense. And you can change week in and week out to attack whatever new kind of weakness you're engaging. And that's what gives me a lot of hope for this team to potentially be really elite this year is it will be back. It'll be on the back of the offense being elite and productive. And that will happen if this offense can operate in this fashion to attack the given weakness of a given opponent week after week because they're structured with their strengths to be able to do so. Iron Man suit works good. I like that. So I'm wrong. On, I was wrong on the Broncos. So 4.65, you see now it's 6 million at about a million, uh, one and a half billion, I guess, right? 1.35 billion. And that's probably what about Seattle's going to sell for a year from now. I think that's more probably likely on the, on the mark. Connor says, I agree with you on that. The great thing about Woolen and Witherspoon too, is they have different skill sets and Seattle can have a good match for just about any type of receiver. Yeah. The remember the one thing with that though, Connor is that you don't have your cornerbacks travel. Coach Carroll is a believer in leaving cornerbacks to one side of their football field. So he's not moving guys around. Um, Tariq's going to be on the left. Witherspoon's going to be on the right. Um, and that's just kind of how they roll. And I, I do like that they do it that way, Connor. I know there's, there's a big reputation thing about cornerbacks moving around all over the field and staying with the best wide receiver. And, you know, there's people that really want to see their corners do that. This is the thing that we heard about with Richard Sherman for years. Well, Richard's not that good because he doesn't actually travel with the guy. It's a little bit of, to me, a kind of a little bit of a, nah, let's look past that. That's not right. Now, there's actually a greater benefit to be had from having your corner stay on one side of the football field. You know, um, so it's, you're just not going to have them travel around that much. But you still have two lockdown guys on the outside. You have two lockdown man-based corners now on the outside. That's going to open that door up for blitzing and doing a lot of other stuff. Things we'll talk about, Connor, on future shows. I'll have a whole show dedicated around the defense. This particular show is just kind of more on the offensive style of things. But in the future, I'll be getting into kind of how they can really take advantage of those skill sets on the outside. Because me, more than it is based around matching up to a wide receiver matchup, you know, let's get this guy onto this big receiver and this guy on the smaller receiver because, you know, Witherspoon's smaller, so we'll get him on the smaller guy and we'll get Tariq over on the bigger guy. More than doing that, really it's more based around the defense being more pressure-based in their packages, showing more blitzes, bringing more guys near the line of scrimmage pre-snap, trying to get a little bit more exotic in their process. And I think that could bring out the better results rather than moving kind of the corner around a little bit. Jose Rodriguez, what's up, man? It's good to see you in the chat. Hope you're doing well out there. This was supposed to be a short stream. Yes, I lied. Wish I wasn't a filthy liar. Wish I wasn't a dirty liar. <laughs> um, let's say Caleb blows out an ACL at the beginning of the year. Then do we have a chance for him? I'm I'm thinking about it, Herbicide, and I I just don't have a I have no track record in NFL history that I can think of of a quarterback going into his final year whose status was so cemented as to what he was going to be looked at and viewed as as an NFL prospect, who then tore his ACL at like even at any point in the year. 
I know that Hennon Hooker is kind of this way, but Hennon Hooker is different because he was so old and because, again, he's he wasn't quite as legitimate a prospect. He was just raising his prospect status really this year to where he was headed. Um, no, I would tend to think herbicide because the tape was so good from Caleb this last year that even if he went down the first couple of games, he would still be, I think, the number one quarterback because... Yeah, I kind of think no matter what, Herbicide, if he went down early in the year, the teams could say, we got his prior year film to go off of, he's magical, and he's likely to be fully recovered by this torn ACL by game, you know, by the start of training camp, all in the offseason, all that, we can go through the whole offseason, so he's not restricted in that gamut. And then even if he had it late in the year, he could still come back and they could still say, okay, well, that he had another year of great production at USC before he went down to this injury. He only more solidified himself as that prospect, even with the ACL tear. So I think still, no matter kind of almost what at this point, outside of Caleb falling off a cliff as far as his play, uh, I just don't think he's... Um... No, I just don't think he's... Uh... I, he's the number one pick, I think. Jack says Arizona could land the number one pick. Not great. Jack, the Arizona could land the number one and the number two pick. How about that? I got Houston's pick and they got their own. It could be a one-two combo with them. Could you imagine them having the number one and the number two overall selection? Like they're able to go get Caleb Williams and Marvin Harrison Jr. I wouldn't like that. That would not make me happy. Kurt, what are our biggest offensive weakness? Center, guard, Shane Waldron? I don't think it's Shane Waldron. I think Shane Waldron definitely solidified himself last year as you know maybe not one of the best and brightest minds at the off as an offensive coordinator of the league but certainly a strong offensive mind in this league um and we were going to start to folks just to let you know too we do we're getting to the five hour standpoint on this i do want to kind of put a button on this so let's get kind of just in the last couple of questions on this as we will start to kind of wrap this up just a little bit here <clears throat> i meant to do this as a quick show we're at five hours right now um I just, sorry, I was right in the middle of responding to you. I get a little rummy. Rummer. Uh, Kurt, so I don't think it's Walburn. I think our weakest spot right now as it stands currently is probably, probably right guard, center right behind it, Kurt. And you could almost go one and one A. Where there, I don't think there's a lot of difference in your, your level of concern for both of those positions. But as much as where the level of concern comes from there at that point, Kurt, is as much just everything else is so solidified on the rest of the offense. Those are the only two places that you have as far as any kind of worry whatsoever. Not only do you not feel like anything's even a quasi weakness beyond those two positions, everything else feels like very much a strength as it concerns this football team. Um, so while they are weaknesses in themselves, they're not major weaknesses. They're not gaping weaknesses. They're not, well, you have a black hole of depth at this death at this position that you have to get through over the course of this next year. Um, it's not going to be that. So even at being at that place of a, being a worrisome spot for you, Kurt, it's still not like it's going to keep you up at night kind of worry, you know? It's more of like a, a passing kind of concern. Like, oh, I'm a little bit worried about this. Long, dramatic drink of water there. Leave us in suspense. Uh, you learn about these type of things streaming through these years now, you know what I mean? Uh why do I says Pete did say that with spoon, he can go in and outside to travel with wide receivers if needed. Now Pete is changing so much. We could see more man and blitzing in 2023. We'll see. Uh, we will see. 
And uh, certainly something I'm going to cover on a future show with this. Uh, I just want to kind of keep it on the offense here today because we can kind of keep, we got enough topics that we're going in different directions on this type of stuff. But it'd be great if you changed in that way, I guess. Why do why? Um, I, I don't really see as much the benefit to it. There's been a lot of this talk and discussion that's gone on for years with traveling cornerbacks and the value of traveling cornerbacks. To me, it's been more about an ego thing than anything else. It's just an ego thing to me. I get to say that I traveled along and I did this, da, 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 da. It's like, uh, okay. Um, I, I don't really think it, it it's that important of a thing, having corners travel. That's just my standpoint on it. Um, it gets fans excited. They love to see it. The players feel good because they can beat their chest and like, I'm following you anywhere, blah, blah, blah. But I, I don't know that it particularly makes defenses better by having a corner travel. I, I haven't necessarily seen ultimate proof that that's really is the case. But we'll see, man. I certainly want to see them do way more blitzing this year. That's for sure. Drunk, what I... Who's going number two, right? Uh, Drake May should be going number two drunk, uh, but it's not as certain with him being number two as it is with Caleb Williams being number one. It's likely to be the way that plays out, but Drake is very much in that same stable of all the rest of the quarterbacks in this draft where um, that are considered guys that are going to be draftable guys where he still has to put another year of tape up. It's, it's not to that legitimate point where it's no doubt he goes number two. Sam says the NFC is really a toss-up. Talked to my Niner buddy about this yesterday. 100%. It's wide open. And the AFC is not wide open. The AFC is going to be a battleground. Battleground. Fat Daddy Stacks, thank you for the $10 donation. Fat Daddy Stacks, I do appreciate you on that for all the donos tonight, man. He says, I heard a lot about, I heard hearing a lot about top billing. I personally thought he handled it well. Me, I'm an old school ex-combat military in person. I would have thumbed him in the head. Weak men would not watch football. Uh, I mean, I'm an old school ex-combat military in person. I would have thumbed him in the head. Weak men would not watch football. A lot about, I thought he handled it well. Hearing a lot about top billing, I personally thought he handled it well. Me, I'm old school. Uh, well, thank you for the $10 donation. Um, I'm not sure what you mean on the back. And, and please forgive me, Fat Daddy. When I get into, when I get into folks at the five-hour mark on these streams, I know I can kind of seem like I'm keeping it together, but if there's kind of comments where it's not really clear what you're saying, it gets really, really hard for me to kind of ascertain what I'm, what, what's being said. Um, I get a little confused sometimes. Um, so I'm, I'm not really sure... Uh, Fat Daddy, can you re- do me a favor, Fat Daddy? Thank you for the ten dollars donation. Rephrase if you can in the comment section what you're kind of meaning to say there. I'm not. I'm not sure what your question might have been or what you were trying to quite say there in the chat. It's not. It's not quite clear to me on that. Um, both of the guys handled it fine. Nobody didn't. It's beef. It's stuff that came up. It's um, quite honestly with it. Like uh, it's why I didn't go live yesterday. You know, folks. I wanted to go live yesterday, but I knew I was going to be inundated with the with the Rob Stanton. Uh, top billing talk. You know what I mean? And it's like, for me, like, this is why I don't want to talk politics, right? Like I hate talking about things that are outside of football. It just doesn't interest me. I know it's, it's people love both of these two guys and there's camps that are developing and there's people that are like, I'm a top billing guy and I'm a stand guy and I love all of them. And I only like this guy and only like that guy. And I, I don't know what to respond with. I, I, I don't know what to really say on any of it. Um, I knew I was going to get asked a lot about it. 
I hate this type of drama stuff that's just useless and doesn't do anything and doesn't do anything to push the ball forward in any manner. I'm so glad these guys had to get into this right now and go to this place. It does feel to me a little bit childish at the end of the day on this. And let's just act like adults, right? Let's just act like grownups. It's not that hard to do. Um, but it seems harder for others than it is. But I've definitely reached the pot at five hours and, and probably having asked or had it brought up probably now five dozen times over the course of this stream and talked about the Rob and the Stan thing. Um, I, I'm, out of, I'm out of opinions on it or out of takes on it, I think, at this point with it. It's, it is what it is. You know what I mean? It is. Um, uh, Fat Daddy says $5. Also, uh, if you are bringing drama on this channel, I do think... Um, Fat Daddy, thank you, for the, uh, thank you for the $5 donation. Says also, if you... If you are also, if you are bringing the drama on this channel, I do not think much of you as well. Have some respect. Absolutely, Fat Daddy. It's not a place. It's why I'm trying to not take a stand on this with either of these two guys. I respect both of these guys' work. I expect both of what they do. They both are very hard workers. They both really work hard to get their channels and get the most out of their channels. And I can attest to this. When you run a YouTube channel, it's hard. You got a job here. You got this job here. You got people saying, hey, have you watched this? Have you done this? Are you on this? Or you did it? There's people always with a foot right up in the backside. Go, 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 go. So it's stressful. It's hard work. And I, it's more respect for these guys, which is why I don't want to take much of an opinion. I know what it puts and what these guys take to put into the work they put into with it. So it's, um, I do think that it's going to be a place here that I always do insist upon though, to your point on that fat daddy, where I look at the situation and I say, Hey, we're going to be respectful in here. And if I've got people coming in and they can't understand that line and you get people coming in and say, what? I just call them an idiot because his standpoint's stupid. Well, bye. You're, you, you can be gone. It's not hard to be nice. It's not hard to just keep things in a respectful fashion, but you do see a lot of people struggle with it. And I keep coming back to when I look at a fat daddy for people and why they do it and what drives people to do it over and over again, what it comes down to is one bottom line thing. People don't trust the strength of their own argument. They don't trust the strength of their own standpoint on a given issue. And so the second they don't do that, they become childlike. They become, they start to hurl the insults. They start to hurl the threats of physical violence because those are the refuges for people. Those are the last refuges for people that don't have that strong argument to lean back, you know, in on. Um, but yeah, it's, uh, it's, it's, uh, it's created a little bit of bluster. It's great, but a little bit of bluster here over this last day. Thank you for that, Rob. Thank you for that top billing. Appreciate you guys creating this sort of thing that us other content creators now have to talk about it. I hope you guys got all of your clicks and all of your subscribers from doing that and it got you the content you needed on that. Um, but I will just reiterate once again for the folks that maybe are hoping that this is something this channel is going to do at some point or I'll go in that way. Uh, never, 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 never. I don't, I don't like doing useless things that just, and that's, it's just, it's useless. All this stuff between those guys, completely useless, not pushing the ball forward at all. Not in the least. Uh, Jonah, I had a great conversation with the 49er fan. I had to defend Richard Sherman. Niner fan told me Deion Sanders was the greatest cornerback of all time. I said, no way, Richard. <sighs> uh... Uh, Jonah says, Niner fans stated that Dion had 57 interceptions to Richard Sherman's 38 and then over th uh, and over 1,000 yards uh, interceptions. Um, and I had to remind him Dion had 34 tackles to Richard Sherman's 385. Um, did Dion Sanders only have 34 tackles? Of course, they're not 
show me the tackles. Oh, he's got, uh, I mean, he had five, he had 500 tackles in his career, Jonah. Um, I don't know. I might be more on the, I might be more with the Niner fan on this one. I, I know Richard definitely was a good tackler, but Dion had almost double the amount of interceptions um, in his career. You know, I mean, it's kind of hard on that one. You're picking in Dion, one of the best, best of all time, in my opinion. I love Richard Sherman's career, but I, I do think Jonah, it's a little bit with, when you look at the 34 interception or you look at the, what is it, 34 career? Yeah, I, I just think when you look at the 38 interceptions with Sherman in his career, Jonah, that places him like 107th all time. It, it's hard to say a guy that's 107th all time is the best cornerback of all time or one of the best cornerbacks of all time, even being a really good tackling corner at that point. That's, that's such a disparity between the other guys as far as where he ranks. It's a great career. It's, it's nearly a Hall of Fame career, probably a Hall of Fame career at that. But is it at a place where you go, he's the best? I, I, don't, know if I, can quite, I don't know if I can quite get there on that one. Uh, Daniel Bailey, thank you for the $2 donation. Says, love the breakdown. Also, Gino reading D pre-snap. That's where he definitely had a lot of his success last year. And when you give him a team that has the strength across the board in so many different spots to attack a defense, now you just tell the quarterback to read it pure. Don't lean to having to force feed DK Metcalf. Don't lean to force feeding Tyler Lockett. Read what the defense is giving you. Read what the personnels or personnel groupings are giving you on the football field and then operate from that in that fashion. And so um, Gino does that. He did that really well last year, Daniel. I think that's really what brought upon him the back and benefit of throwing for that 70% completion percentage was because he wasn't overthinking it. He was going to the pathway of least resistance. And I think that's the strength of this offense is that it can go into the pathway of least resistance, which happens to be the weakness of any given defense, and then take the take advantage of that in the in that fashion in the most of ways. Uh, thank you, though, for that $2 donation. Fat Daddy, thank you for another donation, man. This is like your seventh donation on the channel today, man. Thank you so, so very much. Very, very kind of you. It's folks like Fat Daddy that help this channel be able to be as productive and, and prolific as we are, as getting as many videos as we do out because you guys do put the support to the channel in this fashion and the way you do. And I really do appreciate it. It's what lets me do this full time. I was sitting today before the stream and I was just working nonstop on the Mike Morris video, just tearing through the tape, putting through the cutups, getting the stuff set up. I was a kid in the candy store. It makes me so happy to be able to do this because I can get the support from you guys. So thank you so, so very much for that. Fat Daddy Stack says, word to what you said. Anybody that I meet that comes to me with that kind of crap gets the boot. Me too. I, I've got no patience for it. I got no time for it. If I, got, if I get crappy comments and I respond to basically, as you guys see here in the stream, I'll respond to anybody. And it's not just on stream live right now. If you post a comment, it's a really good chance that I'm going to respond to you under the YouTube uh, comment section too. I'm, I'm going to try to stay engaged with everybody at all times. But I've reached the point where I pass by people. If all you've got is just to throw crap around, then bye. You, know, you can miss me with that and I'll never speak to you. I, I just don't have any time for that, that stuff where it's, you know, life's hard enough. Life's already an uphill battle. Life's already can be a trudge at times. You know, let's not make it worse. Let's not make it harder where it doesn't have to be. Um, you know, it's the thing I do appreciate about Seahawks content creators in general. Um, I know Rob's going maybe a little after uh, uh, top billing here, but the Seahawks content creators don't go after each other. 
and that we have our all our own little different separate realms that we operate in. Some of us have overlap and 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 whatnot, like me and Brendan do. But there is none of that, you know, bickering or going out. And you do see that, for instance, with the Niner content creators. Those guys will go at each other and create that drama. It's like, though, for what? For who? You know, we're all on the same team. We're all trying to see the same thing occur. You know. But uh, thank you, Fat Daddy, for that five dollar donation. I really do appreciate it, man. For all your donations on the channel, man. You help me allow me to do what I do on this. It really does allow me to do this. It's allowed me even in this off season to stay on top of this and this channel in this way. And um, it's why we were able to round 12,000 subscribers because I can keep posting out those videos consistently on the back of this. And it doesn't go unnoticed um, as we go forward here into this future. And uh, I really appreciate it. It's allowed me to essentially get ahead of this channel and be able to put the time I've been able to put into it despite only being at 12,000, you know, in, in relative. Uh, as I've said often, I don't think there's a lot of guys at 12,000 subscribers that are able to do this full-time in the way I'm able to do it because I get the support that I get from you guys. Absolutely uh, unbelievable. Uh, Neil Stoy, Goff and Jimmy made it to the Super Bowl with a great team around them. I don't see why Seahawks can't replicate that even if Geno somehow regresses this year. This team is gathering talent. It's the most important part, man. Get to the Super Bowl, you need a, a very highly talented team across the board. And that is indeed what they're building. And you're right. Goff's got there. I would even argue Hurts this year was able to, despite maybe some limitations of him as a passer, they're able to overcome that are the Eagles because they have built such a great team around him. There's a lot of cases of this, in my opinion, being tr proven true in recent history. It's not just about getting that prime time quarterback that's going to carry the day. It's not just about, you know, having a couple of players that are your superstar guys. There's other pathways to creating an elite football squad. Herbicide, do I think we extend Brooks? No. No, I don't, Herbicide. I think the team told you with the lack of activating the fifth-year option of what they thought about Jordan Brooks and where he is in his career right now. Um, he's going to be coming off that torn ACL next year, probably not going to be at his best. Um, usually the guys coming off one year removed off of it aren't. Uh, KJ Wright talked about this a little bit about where Brooks was going to be in his recent you know, deal talking about that um, on his channel. So I think that they just let him play out this year and see where he lies at the end of that. Uh, but I think the team is probably more looking for the exit here more than they're looking for onboarding Brooks anytime in the future. Another guy whose games just hasn't really expanded or grown since he's walked in the league. He's pretty much the same player he was from day one. The, the same benefits, the same negatives. Yeah. Herbicide, do you think a lack of middle linebacker depth is going to be an issue this year? It has the potential to be so. Yeah. I do think that because it's also, though, a devalued position that especially if you have something happen to you before the trade deadline that you can go out there and find a middle linebacker out there in a trade deadline that can come in and fill in and that it's not a position that you need to have in training camp that you can have the guy come in and he can take to it pretty quickly. Look at Roquan Smith last year, for instance, and the difference in how that Ravens defense played when he came to the Ravens defense first when he wasn't there on that Ravens team. So you can go find that immediate impact for the middle linebacker position and other teams at that point if it goes that way. Um, could it be just a place, though, that you get screwed if it's late in the season that you have the injuries? Maybe. Yeah. It's certainly going to be one of the risks of this team. It's why I say that behind center and guard, it's one of your true worries that you have on this team, offensively speaking, in addition, you know, to the defensive tackle position as it currently stands.
Moss Productions, Niners are the worst fan base in the league. I couldn't believe watching this offseason a couple times, like the, especially the quarterback situation just has them going at each other. It's like, my God, chill out, boys. You know? Daniel says, no, the moment ends, Rob Sanchez or Bob Scranton. Uh, Ethan says, Yo, Hawksnest, I'm a graphic designer and I've made a bunch of jersey swap uh, swaps of the news rookies. I can send you them on Twitter if you want to use them for thumbnails. Yeah, man. Send me send me on, on the way. I love it, brother. For sure. I'll try to see if I can use them on my, on my stuff. Kevin Robinson nicely said, B, life is hard. Life is hard enough. Unity, people. Hashtag unity, people. Hashtag unity. We're all in this fight together, man. Life is a rough one. The more let's work together, not against each other. You know? Let's love. I'm a lover, not a fighter. Drunk says, uh, should we pick up Malik Wills if he gets cut? No, we should not. Nope, 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 nope. Mm-mm, mm-mm. Whitey says, top five, why do says top five offense, 30 plus points a year? Book it. I have faith in the O-line. I love that faith. I hope you're right on that one. Jonas says, Top Billings, weird how he talks about the Seahawks and not a Seahawks fan. That's my opinion. I get it. I get where you're coming from. Some of those other folks who shared it, and I think that was a little bit of Rob's point in raising what he raised in the situation on it. Um, and so I think that's a little bit of where the rub is on this, this debate a little bit. Um, and I don't, I'm not necessarily taking a stand on that one way or another, Jonah. As I said, I'm going to be like, I'm going to be like Switzerland on this one. You know, I'm going to operate my little bank. I'm not going to question where the money's coming in at. <laughs> <laughs> oh lordy uh, John Stilwell has been celebrating seven months as a Hawks Nest Ring of Honor also one of my patrons and one of the biggest donators on this channel thank you so much John for all of your support he says hi Brandon congrats on the 12k do you think the acquisition of the running back in round two says anything about the health and or attitude of Kenneth Walker I don't think it does. No, uh, there was the injury last year with the foot thing that what we were hearing about that time was this was something that he had been dealing with to some degree going back to even high school, which was of course a little bit worrisome, wasn't it, John? You're, oh man, you've been dealing with this since high school. That kind of sounds like chronic is the word that comes into my mind when I hear that, that you've been dealing with it that long. So maybe there is a little bit of them looking at the running back situation, building that into that a little bit um, and and saying, hey, we've got we've to be get some insurance here for this. I think beyond that though, John, I've talked about, there's this thing I've called the beast mode curse. And since 2015, every single year, you've seen your running back room absolutely positively decimated. You've seen your number one go down, your number two go down, your number three go down, your number four go down. You're signing guys off the street on a yearly basis. You're calling guys out of the grocery bagging line in order to go now tote the rock on Sunday and get themselves 15 to 20 touches. So what you've done now is you've said, hey, why don't we protect against that eventuality? Why don't we anticipate that eventuality? Why don't we get four true studs in this running back room? Four guys that can all roll the rock if we need them to. Four guys that can carry that rock on a consistent basis if we need them to. And build in to this thing that has failed us out for now six, seven, eight straight years. So I think it's all just extra insurance policies, John, for the running back situation that has been so decimated since Beast Mode left. I don't know why they can't stay on top health-wise. I don't know why it constantly becomes decimated in the fashion that it is but the only way to get out ahead of that is to stack more real real true talent in that running back room and guys that can sustain and handle that workload which i think they've tried to 
Uh, Daniel said, the problem I have with when I saw the Rob Stan video was that he was also kind of taking a jab at the Seahawks fan base, like we're super naive and simplified comprehension. That was a place that I did disagree with Rob in the situation on that. Yes, um, he did mention the Hawks fans were easy to get the clickbait stuff and and that they were easy to be sort of fooled by these videos, you know, calling Seahawks, the Seahawks team next year, everything, the, the, the greatest thing since sliced bread, essentially. Um, and I too did not think that that's really the case. I think what, what I think just at the little place where Rob's misunderstanding the situation and the respect of what it is, and that there's been a plenty of evidence to support this is if you look at, uh, if you look at NFL fan bases of who is the most active NFL fan bases online, whose presence is felt online. There've been some people that have actually studied this. And what you've come to find out is the Seahawks fan base has one of the most active online presence that you'll find out there. There might be more fan bases that have more of an offline active presence, right? In the other varying ways, there might be more, Buffalo fans that do the do the tailgating, right? There's there's all these little special places, but I think when we talk about the online sphere, there's just more Seahawks fans in general out there watching with eyeballs to be viewing things. And you've got a fan base right now that's very engaged because they have a team that's on the rise and heading somewhere. Um, I felt I thought the same thing on that, just not quite, uh, you know. And I don't know if it's if he was trying to take a jab at it, but just maybe not quite understanding really what's drawing and causing the traffic there. What, what is, why it is that the Seahawks fans are so engaged in this fashion of it. Drunk uh, JSN wearing 11, Witherspoon 21. I would think so. I can't see why they wouldn't. We don't have another 11 on the roster. And I don't think that we have another 21 on the roster at the moment. I would think so. Danny W says, could you imagine Todd Bell going out on Brandon? Our boy would be immediately hitting the neck workouts. Oh, not only would be in the neck workouts, Daniel, I'd be coming in with the like shrug cleans and stuff, man, right? You're trying to get that Tom Hardy Bane neck going, right? Trying to get that. Uh, who was that guy that had the no neck in the NFL? Takeo Spikes. Be trying to get that Takeo Spikes neck. Go look at Takeo. Go Google Takeo Spikes neck. And that's what I'd be trying to get. Be like, what's up? What's up with no neck on this? I got you no neck right here. <laughs> Herbicide, I'm not sure if four running backs is going to be enough either. You're only able to stack four legitimate ones. If you put a fifth one on the practice squad, it's going to get plucked. So you can only go really four deep. And if you want to go five deep, that's just hard to do because you're going to be really robbing from another position. But I would love to do it because like you say, I, I do feel nervous about even at four. I think they've done as much as they can do though with it. Jonah says, uh, yep, 34 tackles, Brandon. <laughs> I don't, I'm looking at his stats right here online and it says 500. He had 254 solo tackles. I'll give you that Sherman's definitely the better tackler. I, I wouldn't argue with you there. And I'm not saying Dion was a good tackler, but 34 tackles for a career, you know what I mean? Um, Drunk Squitter, it says, yo, Brando, are you going to do any interviews with former or current Seahawks players in the future? 
I think what I'm going to have to do is get a little toxic with it on some of these former players because they're all so very shy, right? They're just, I don't know if I want to be interviewed. I don't know. It's like, well, you're a millionaire. You got nothing but time on your hands. Come on, right? Uh, but I, I've reached out to a bunch of these guys on Twitter and then I just don't get any response. I try to DM people and there's just no response back. It's kind of frustrating, frankly. Um, not that they should, I mean, it's not that they, they got their own lives. They don't owe me anything, but um, it's frustrating because I would just love to get one of these guys on. And I feel like a little bit like with Chad, you know, Chad, I felt like when I was setting up the interview process with Chad Brown, it was a little like, okay, we're going to do this interview thing and it's going to be a bit of a bear, but I'll do it. And then I think when Chad got down and sat down with me and understood kind of some of the questions that we were going to talk about and some of the football discussion, the way it was going to go, I think it, it was like, wow, this actually kind of maybe a fun conversation, interesting conversation. Um, I think the players would feel the same way with the way that I'd go about it because I don't think I would attack it with the same kind of interview style that they'd be used to. I'd be adding, I'd be asking the questions that I would want to ask that I think the people would be interested in finding out about. So um, I want to, man, I'm trying. I might have to just have, I might have to like enlist all of you guys and we might have to just do like a Twitter pressure, high pressure, you know, have everybody atting these guys in their Twitter, like get on the Hawk's Nest at do, 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 do. Get on the Hawk, come on Hawk's Nest now at do, 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 right? We might have to go that route with it if I can't pull these guys into the fray. But I was, I'm shocked by how many are so just shy. I think a lot of these guys, especially with, you know, a lot of them having causes and things like that that they would want to sell and put out to the forefront would be one to go on the channel to be able to, you know, put that out there in that way. But it's been tough. Uh, Jonas says, I was joking on the 34 tackles. I was exaggerating, but you're in no way, heck, going to tell me that girly man Deion Sanders was better than the Shermanator. Sermonetta is not a good man. He's not a good eats Dion Sanders for lunch. The Dion can't even hold his jock strap. Yeah. Jonas says, Dion's not the best of all time. I would hands down take Rod Woodson over Dion. Shoot, I take Jalen Ramsey over Dion. Oh my gosh. You do have some hate for Dion, man. <laughs> um, well, I, you know, for me, I, I definitely grew up at the time watching Dion on the outside and what he did. And, um, you know, I think he was a guy in a lot of ways that has sort of invented the lockdown corner at that time. I love, uh, I love Rod Woodson's career. Um, hell, even had a, a career where he went eventually played safety, even you know, and play, became a really good safety on top of that. Um, but I may hold Dion a little bit higher esteem than than you may with it. I just think he was such a good cover man uh, that it did overtake some of those tackling uh, deficiencies. Um, but I appreciate where you're coming from on that. I get it. D-Boy, what's up, man? It's good to see you. Hope you're doing well. Jordan Squitter, yes, Rob Sanders calls. <laughs> Basically, it's his followers. <laughs> oh, drunk. Oh, drunk. Uh, Jonas says, but Brandon, uh, he would have had double the interceptions of Deion Sanders. They stopped throwing him just like they stopped throwing him my man, King Kirby Jr., when he would have had been the home run king. Uh, yes, but don't forget about this as well, Jonah, that teams also did the same thing with Deion Sanders. Teams weren't trying to throw Deion Sanders through his prime either. He had plenty of games where he didn't get one target thrown his direction. So it did work on the other foot with that a bit too. But you're right. Sherman had a lot of, a lot of the career there where he didn't, wasn't being thrown at, you know. Uh, Sam the Great, 12, Stan called the 12th man. I don't think he was calling the 12th man idiots with Stan. I think he was just, you, and, and look, Rob has, an, has a point here with it. 
you know, that there's, there is a, uh, there is a high proclivity of, of content creators on YouTube that aren't Seahawks fans that all they do is post at times, not all they do, but there's a huge amount of their videos where they're just posting nothing, but Seahawks are going to be insane. Seahawks are going to be unstoppable. This is not fair what the Seahawks are doing to the NFL. You know, and there are a lot of these like hype videos that are all empty hype for empty clicks and they don't not, they're not actually what the people will leave. They just know that they're going to get their views and their clicks. Um, and I don't think he's wrong in that respect, but I don't think that it's necessarily as well that um, what he was inferring a little bit is that, you know, 12th man is easily maybe excitable, easy to easy to get kind of roped into those kind of videos. Um, and I just think it's more of that the, the 12th man is just really engaged online in general. And there's just more of a general online presence of the 12s than there is other teams. And that's going to mean that there's going to be more clicks, more views and more action around those kind of videos, which is going to draw more content creators, even if they're not Seahawk content creators to create Seahawks content. Um, but no, I don't think he called us, didn't call us idiots on that. He didn't go that far with it. He was just, he was, it was mild inferences. Uh, Jonah, the whale, thank you for the $10 donation, Jonah. I really do appreciate it. He says, I have to defend number 25. He's better than Dion. They stopped throwing to Richard for years. Plus, Richard doesn't switch sides. If he had, he would have dominated the stats. Um, it's very well possible. Uh, I would offer to you, Jonah, that just because you have a guy traveling at that point, thank you so much. First, again, thank you for the donation. Um, and, and I'm a Richard backer on this. So don't make, I hope it doesn't come off that I'm trying to throw shade at Richard or not say that he was a complete player, more of a complete player maybe than Dion. Um, I'm giving Dion a little bit more of the bump for being as good at cover corners. I think he's one of the best all-time cover corners that's ever played the position. Um, but even if you have a guy like Richard switching sides, if you have a guy like Richard following a number one wide receiver at that point in time, that still doesn't stop that quarterback from then going different other places. That didn't stop teams when Dion was playing at that time from going to other places on the football field, from attacking other areas and ignoring him wholly for whole games, you know? Um, so it's, it isn't just, it isn't a new thing, I guess, to Richards is kind of what I'm saying, right? This is something that you see with all cornerbacks that shut down their side of the field is quarterbacks are going to then go the other way because it's always going to be a way that's going to be an easier approach. You know, you know, why go for the number one cornerback when I go for the number two and the number two is likely to be a huge drop off from the number one on most teams, Um, except for the Seahawks this year with Witherspoon and Woolen, of course. Um, But Richard is a really good player. I I love him a lot. Uh, Dion getting twice the number of picks, um, I think is noteworthy over the course of his career. That's a substantial number to be that much above Richard and taking the ball away as a cornerback. I just don't think, and I think you'd agree with this too, Jonah, taking the ball away as a cornerback is the most important thing you can do. And uh, Dion did it as well as I think of just about any cornerback in the league, in the sport. But I appreciate where you're coming from. And I thank you for the donation. Uh, I love Richard too. So I hope it doesn't come off like I'm hating Richard with it, but I just really like Dion's game. I also grew up with Dion. So it could be Jonah, just that special place in the heart, watching him play and seeing him in so many games. Jacob, uh, JSN should wear 15 if it's available because then we have DK14, JSN15, and Tyler16. There we go. <laughs> uh, Fat Daddy Stacks with another $5 donation. Thank you, Fat Daddy. I really do appreciate you on that. He says, uh, Corbin Smith is not a Seahawks fan either. Having a perspective from someone that is not is often the intrigue. It's not like TB is negative. Uh, top note. It's not like TB is negative. Uh, Corbin Smith is not a Seahawks fan either. Having a perspective. I didn't know Corbin Smith's not a Seahawks fan. Really? Huh. Uh, having a perspective that is not is often the intrigue. It's like 
uh, TB is neg is it's not like uh, top billing is negative. No, he's not negative. And yeah, I think that, like I always say, with a lot of the stuff, Fat Daddy, it's part of why I say the open, honest discussion in this chat is that when you get different perspectives and views, and if you have a perspective and view from somebody that doesn't have the dog in the fight, doesn't have the biases, doesn't have the built-in fandom carrying their day a little bit, that from that then comes an honest, true opinion. And that's what people at the end of the day, I think really most want from their content creators or what they get online is they want to be entertained, but they also want people that are going to be honest and true and real with it. Um, and I do think that he is trying to, to be that way. I think everybody's in this, in this situation is kind of trying to be that way. I think Corbin definitely operates from that standpoint too, trying to be accurate, trying to be right, trying to be smart in their approach. Um, but you're right, man. You you learn from other perspectives. And there's no pure perspective than hearing the opinion from somebody who would be a football fan, but that isn't necessarily a Seahawks fan. It's just their view from the outside and looking at your team, especially if you get a guy like uh, Top Billin, or if I guess is the case with Corbin Smith, somebody looking at it who's not as a much of a diehard fan, but is just invested, just as much invested like they were in how they watched the process play out. Um, there is absolute value within it. I, I do believe that. Um, because they're, and I can attest to this, you know, when, when you have the love, like I have for this Yacht team, it's going to put the rose colored glasses on at times. It's going to blind you at times. I mean, there was the, the going into the, the year with Russell Wilson, you know, where your final year of Russell Wilson, and I'm there saying, well, I think we could be a Super Bowl contending team here. And that team wasn't even close to being a Super Bowl contending team. And I got, I, I got at that time blinded by my biases, blinded by my, you know, love for the team. But you don't get that necessarily from somebody that's not as in that place. I think it's a, it's a well put by you, Fat Daddy. Uh, and I echo your sentiments on that. Uh, John Stillwell, thank you for the $20 donation. John, you are awesome. Uh Appreciate all your support, man. You're great. Uh, says, Devin Witherspoon sure looks like a safety to me, Brandon. What do you think? The next Earl Thomas? Well, there's been definitely, uh, there's been definitely a top five pick in recent years, in the last 15 years of football. As I always do with this type of stuff, John, you know, you go, is there any sort of historical markers here? Is there a historical marker for taking a cornerback top five and then eventually transitioning him to the free safety position. And indeed we do. Now, there is only one instance and circumstance, and that being Malcolm Jenkins. And Malcolm Jenkins played John for a couple of years on the outside for New Orleans before eventually he was transitioned to becoming a free safety. Um, that could very well be the case here with Devon Witherspoon. I don't think that that's where he starts out from day one, John. I think that they do try to get him worked in as an outside corner on this team. But long-term, it could be eventually the place that they transition him to if he's not able to round out as a corner. And there are a couple of things that you've got to worry about him as an outside corner that could end up impacting him. Um, doesn't mean that it's death knell for him on the outside, but just the impactful factors that could limit him down as his top end as a cornerback. First, he's got a little bit of lack of arm length. Next, he's got a little bit of a lack of size. Those that could show up in the next level where you've got bigger receivers giving him some problems, especially at the catch point. He's good at the catch point. He's got great ball skills, great leaping ability, um, great tracking of the ball. So those are things that are going to help offset that a little bit. But there's nothing he's going to be able to do. Uh, there's nothing he's going to be able to do about the lack of arm length and the lack of size. Um, so that's something that could push him out there to the free safety position. There's things that are talked about, like the um, I saw a breakdown by a cornerback uh, uh, by Rondé Barber. 
um, former cornerback for the Tampa Bay. A guy, if he's not a Hall of Famer, will eventually be a Hall of Famer, I think. I think he's a Hall of Famer, but I can't remember for sure. And a guy had a lot of, lot of picks, a lot of interceptions in his career. Um, and he talked a little bit about the need to, to clean up the back pedal of Devin Witherspoon. And I think that that's right. It's not as smooth a back pedal, right? The hips might be just a tiny bit tight. These are things that could eventually see him find his way out there to free safety, John. But uh, hard to make the prediction quite yet that he's going to make that transition. Now, if he did, could he become an Earl Thomas-like safety? Sure. Uh, he'll be a better tackler than Earl Thomas. I would actually argue, John, that there would be more upside from Devon Witherspoon going to the free safety position than what you got from Earl Thomas because he could give you all of the ball skills of Earl Thomas and he's going to be a better tackler than Earl. So there's a potential real bright side to make you have him make that change eventually down the line. Um, of course, the analytic folks, John, are going to bristle at taking a, a free safety for the future in the top five. But... If he turns out to be a tremendous player, he turns out to be a tremendous player. Um, and you can't argue with it at that point. So eventually, maybe, John, but not in this first year. You, now, you know, especially if you moved on from Quandre after next year, that'd be a little bit more of a likely time frame, I think, of uh, as a possibility at that point. Thank you, though, for the donation, man. I do appreciate it. You guys are absolutely tremendous on all the donos. I like Daryl Green too, Herbicide. He's a good player as well. And certainly a guy that could be in discussions for being one of the best corners of all time too. Like you said, very fast. Spencer Smith, hey, what up, Hawks Nest? What up, Brando? What's up, Spencer? Spencer in the house. Herbicide, I saw Green chase down Eric Dickerson. Looked like DK versus Buddha, only faster. Yeah, he was he was insanely fast on a on a football field. Was Green? I remember that player talking about too. Herbicide. Drug Squittered, If we could get any current Seahawks players on here, that would be so cool to see. It'd be awesome. Drunk. I would love to be able to do it. I, I, if I could have that, be a real common element of this channel. If I could pull even one interview a week. Uh, one a month, I would love to do it. Um, I, I have no hesitancy whatsoever. I think it would add to the channel greatly. I was um, I, I had so much fun on the interview with Chad Brown, and I was able to ask some real questions that I didn't think people had necessarily asked Chad up until this point. And uh, I think I could do the same with some of these other players. But I think I'm going to have to call upon you guys to put a little bit of the, the little bit of the slight pressure, like slight fan base pressure down on them because they're just so they're just so bloody shy. Mr. Dog, is Jody Allen invested enough to win a Super Bowl or is she just gearing up to sell? I think she's gearing up to sell. I don't know if that means then that she's not invested enough to win a Super Bowl, Mr. Dog. The only place that I really come into that I would really draw out and say this is the one spot which really is indicative to me that they're not necessarily in that spot is, um, is the fact that she's got to get everything liquidated at this point. The Paul, G, Paul Allen G. Trust Mr. Dog dictates that right now Jody Allen has to liquidate all of his assets that are not his pet projects so that then all of that money can then go into the pet projects that he has determined in his will. The Seahawks are not one of those pet projects, so they're not a team that he's looking to try to pour money into. He's looking to try to, they're looking to try to stretch that dollar out right now as it stands. 
So is it a little bit of an impediment? Yes. Are you able to, to go as for it like the Rams were a couple of years ago with Kroenke down there in his pocketbook? No, you're not. Is that going to mean that you have no way of getting to a Super Bowl and that's going to keep you from being a, a top-end team at this point over the next year, year and a half? Not necessarily. It's an impediment. But the Cincinnati Bengals went to the Super Bowl and almost got back there this last year with, with a, a roster that's not historically spent a lot of money. So just because you are restricted a little bit by your purse strings does not mean that it's, there's no chance for you to then become that elite team. It does just means that it's a little bit of a limiting factor. Uh, George Squitter, uh, Charles Woodson was pretty good, pretty good as well. He was pretty good. Yeah, he's a good player as well. Spencer Smith, are we talking about the Rob Stanton top bone beef? I've had to bring it up. We've talked about it a lot. I'm definitely five and a half hours into talking about it. I'm good with it. I think we've covered every angle. Big country, I love Sherman as a player, but I'm not even sure he's a top 10 cornerback all the time. I think it's, it, I, I, I know it's sacrilegious to say, but I think big country's got a point on this. I, I think when you start going through some of the names of great cornerbacks in NFL history, as great of a career as Richard Sherman did have, there, there's been a lot of really, really good ones that have come across. And I think we, some people are mentioning here just a couple of the names of uh, Rod Woodson, Deion Sanders. Um, I, I, you can make a strong argument with Charles Woodson, uh, Daryl Green. I mean, that's for a night train lane if you want to go old. Was that guy have like 95 interceptions in his career? Um, I, I think you could find some other guys if you went through and looked at the history of the cornerback position and who played the sport. Been really dominant. John uh, Stillwell, I have several complaints against creator uh, Top Dillon for a number of things that shouldn't be allowed in a forum like this. They are all still open. I think they're valid. And people have definitely, I've heard from a few folks on the stream that have dealt with that in their own, their own realm too and their interactions with him on that side of it as well. Um, you know, it, that's a guy 13 times bigger than me, essentially, I think, 12 times bigger than me size-wise. So you do go, well, who am I to question how he's doing what he's doing? You know, they're being successful at it. Um, but I think there's a way to operate in doing this, John, where you, you, you know, you can, you can deal with the opinions you don't have to hear and you don't have to, to launch back at them and get, get mean at them on it. Um, but it is one that does seem to be one that content creators struggle with. And I can understand that. I probably struggle at times with it myself, uh, in my own little given moments. Sam, the great says, Brandon, it's all good. Just not a fan of people disrespecting our city. I get it, Sam. And I, I, I wouldn't, I wouldn't tell you either that you're, you read it the wrong way. Because I, I had my I had my hankles on that one up a little bit as well. Like, come on. You know? Come on. That's not that's not my history with it. That's not my history of my interactions in the chat with the Seahawk fandom. And I, I know Rob's not dealt with that as either. He's done plenty of live streams to get a feel for what it is online with these folks. And I, I encounter way more intelligence way more of a thinking man fan and what I deal with in this chat, even the random folks that don't come in here a lot of times that aren't just regulars, I deal with it a lot. Um, and that's more often to me the rule of thumb than it is the fan that's just, that you're getting the impression that they're just empty headed clickers that are just sort of clicking on whatever video says Hawks. Hawks good, yes, me click. Reside Sherm is top five on my list. I certainly wouldn't argue against anybody that put them top five, but I certainly could understand those folks too that say, uh, um, I have them a bit further down. Real Talk TV. A lot of these guys are making videos because they know we're on the rise. That's where I think it comes from too, Real Talk. And I think that that's where I don't get mad at it from my standpoint because look, it's, it's the nature of the beast. This is YouTube. 
right? And if you have a team that's good and it isn't bad and it's on the rise and it's better and it has a fan base that's engaged online, there's going to be plenty of content creators that aren't Seahawks fans that are going to try to create Seahawks videos from that, you know? And good for them, you know, bully them. They're not taking, they're not taking food off my plate, you know? Uh, Michael says, maybe if you hit up, uh, hit up Chad Brown and see if he can refer you. I remember that stream. I might do that. I've at the very least wanted to have Chad back on again because I think it'd be an interesting discussion because he's, of course, covering the Broncos right now there in Denver. So I think we could get into some interesting, I think we could get some interesting folds on that one. But I think that's a great idea. And I think I got to start thinking a little bit more, Michael, to your point on this outside the box and getting some of these interviews in here. I've been just trying to reach out, but I got to go a little bit different, different realm. Moss Productions, borderline top to fit top 10, 15, even though he's my favorite player ever. I think you're being realistic there, Moss. I think that's where he would land for me too. If we're talking about his all-time rank. I think that's, that's more of where I'm going to be sitting at that with, with Richard. Um, love him as a player, but just, man, I, there's been so many amazing corners that have come through this sport. A Real Talk TV, they were, they were not making these videos when they thought it was a rebuild. Agreed. They're striking right now while the iron's hot. You know, they got their, they, they've licked their finger and they put it up into the wind and they know where the winds are blowing. And the winds are blowing for Seahawks greatness. <laughs> Daryl Green's a be, I love Daryl Green, Herbicide. I love me some Daryl Green. He would definitely be in my, he'd be my top five, I think. Daniel says, I think part of the reason the 12s will click more is because we're sometimes the ignored stepchild of the NFL and we get hungry for attention. It's a fair point too. Very fair point. Uh, Mason Dale, yo B, what's up? Missed the last few streams. So glad to be back. Was wondering if you saw the Rob Stanton top villain beef and uh, what you thought of it. Uh, yeah, I have. I have thought it. Um, you got to bear with me on this one, Mason. I'm going to kind of shorthand this one because... I'm five hours and 45 minutes into it. And I've probably been asked it about 35 times over the stream. So I'm definitely at that spot where I'm like, okay, I don't know how much more I can say on Stanton or, or Billen. Um, I, I have respect for the work both of those two guys do. I, I think that Rob has some points that I understand where he's coming from on it, which is what raised the initial issues up. Um, it's unfortunate. I think that you got to get these kind of things going on like this where we, we, we've got to have, reaction videos and beef videos and how about we just you know if, if it's if there's this much disagreement let's get on a phone let's just talk this out not text message you know if we're talking about there's a lot of talk in this situation about what men do and what man does and that men do is pick up a phone like, here's my number call me i'll call you let's talk let's well, let's get on the same page with this if there's that thing i, I don't think that that's what's going to happen here but um that's my stance on kind of with it but i i, I don't it's not my style. I don't, I would never do any of this kind of stuff with it. I, I get what's going on here on it. Um, it seemed like it escalated really quickly, Mason. It went from zero to a hundred. Um, but I think it's also done well for probably both of their two channels. Now I'm sure Rob um, gets, is getting a lot of views and subs from it. And I'm sure top billing as well. And so it's ended, it's serving its ultimate purpose at that point in time. Daniel says, it's funny how similar both uh, Bob and Top Billin are though, essentially egotistical YouTubers. Their channel is their holy land and you cannot question it. That's why you're awesome. Oh man, thank you so much, man. I will keep me in that lane, Daniel. You know, I think that that's always going to be, I, that's what I, I tell my brother often, if I start leaving the lane of not recognizing that and, and being on, on that and being diligent about staying in that mode of things, then I deserve to be slapped. I deserve to not, I, I do not want myself to drift into that territory of things. Um, 
because I know what kind of damage it can do to your channel if you're if you land in that spot. Um, so I'm I'm glad that I'm where I seek out to land with this channel hits in that way because that's definitely what I'm aspiring to be at, Daniel. And I do recognize that to kind of stay in this mode, it's going to take being diligent about it and and being you know aware of the fact that there's like that. I tried to reference it, Daniel, like the Jedi being drawn to the dark side of the force a little bit. And that in being a YouTube content creator, it draws you into those, that dark side stuff a little bit at times. And you got to be real active, I think, to try to push back against it. You know, realize the nature of the beast, realize what we're trying to do here, realize it's all at the end of the day and fun and, and not, not get too serious with it. D-Boy says, Brandon, I think Deion Sanders football IQ and uh, being a lifetime cornerback. Deion was a cornerback from the start to finish. Um, RS, Richard Sherman was a wide receiver. So I give it to Deion. I think that's a fair way of putting it, D-Boy. And yeah, you maybe wonder a little bit if Richard was a guy, you know, playing corner since he was essentially in junior high. Uh, is it different for him at that point? You know, is he, is he a more better, even better corner? He does not need as much of that developmental time once he gets to the pro stage of things. Uh, see if the geese, why wouldn't Corbin be a Seahawks fan? He, he probably wasn't one growing up. I, I I didn't know on that. I thought he had uh, been a local guy. So I, it was the first I'd kind of heard on that, but yeah, it's all good. Drunk Twitter, the only Hawks, Seahawks diehard fans on YouTube I know are, are the Hawks desk, Brandon and Brandon Nelson and Norb Cam, maybe more, but at least on YouTube. Yeah, I think there's a couple others out there that do do that are also in on it pretty hard hardcore as well as I know they are fans too. Um, but no doubt about Brendan. Brendan's definitely high die hard on his side as well. I can attest to that. I can testify to that. Mason, I remember you were relatively high on Will Levis this time last year. I'm curious if any of the next year's quarterbacks have caught your eye. I'm really interested in Quinn Ewers. Um. I kind of feel like a little bit of my view on them at first blush is a lot of them just sort of end up sort of landing in sort of the same territory for me where I just start to feel like second, third round guys. Spencer, Spencer Rattlers, Cameron Wards, Knicks, Bo Knicks. Um, I like Quinnier's game. And you go back to that Alabama game at Texas last year where they were giving Alabama everything they could take and more. And Alabama only really was able to win that game because of that crappy ass call where the defensive lineman got called for a, uh, a roughing the quarterback when he was bringing them down for a tackle on a safety. Um, but it was member Ewers was really balling out in that game and, and had that Texas team going until there was, I think Will Anderson injured him right down near the goal line. Um, so I'll be paying attention to him as well. I definitely will have my pulse on all these guys. Jefferson with Arkansas will be a guy that I see if he, you know, can he take some steps forward in his game? Um, you know, I'm, I'm obviously really high on Caleb Williams, but I don't, I don't have a guy outside of that kind of like Will Levis that necessarily I'm targeting in on and saying, well, this will be a guy who I, I really think can, you know, be a guy for our Seahawks to target a guy I'm going to probably really like. Um, love his background, love his physical makeup. I do have a lot of guys I do like their make makeup and how they're built and how they're put together and how they play the position, how they sling the rock. Um, Herbicide mentions Penix. Like I love, I do like Penix a lot. I think he's a good chance to turn himself into a first round quarterback. Um, but no guy that's kind of caught my imagination quite in the way that I was initially by Levis. Like, you know, playing in our offense, pro style system, 
not a lot of surrounding talent, toughest conference in the SEC. There's a lot there that sort of initially was drawing me to him. Um, and I was a little bit off on him as well at the end of the day. I thought he was going to be a first-round guy and slid to the top of the second. So um, that one, I was a little bit, I did not hit that one right. But uh, I'll be watching them all. I wish I had a guy I could give you that was one that had me a little more excited than the others. But I just kind of all, in my mind, they all just are kind of drifting into that same second, third-round realm. Right? I, there's things I like about a lot of them, but then there's detriments to their game as well that kind of have it offset. Pandemonium bad. Wish I could show you guys the video of meeting JSN after he got drafted. Oh, hell yeah. You can share it to me on uh, Twitter. You can eventually post it up on the channel, man. John says, TV contacts me up one more time and he'll get to meet my lawyers. <laughs> Oh man, I, I hear some stories. I hear some stories. I'll tell you what, uh, John, or just like, boy, there's some folks that are always on, always in the red in their race car, you know, always in the red. I'm like, geez, please. Drunk says, Kellenic is too good hitting like crazy. Uh, I'd love to see it. Herbicide, JJ McCarthy. That's another guy I'm, I'm struggling to... I worry about him on a size standpoint. I worry about him a little bit with arm strength stuff. Watched a lot of tape with him. A lot of tape with him, Herbicide, because, of course, Oluwatimi. And uh, I'm not quite getting the full hype, McCarthy, but you're right. McCarthy's going to be a name that's mentioned out there as another one of these guys. Hell, he's going to be probably one of the main Heisman candidates coming up this year. Nick Guzman, Witherspoon has a little Rod Woodson in him. I can see that. Rod was a hell of a tackler. One of the reasons he was eventually able to transition to safety. Um, but yeah, Rod had the ball skills and was a good tackler. I like that comp, Nick. I like it. Solid comp. Em's got the win. Let's go, Em's. Let's go. Why do why people are talking about spoon moving? You really need to see him play snap after snap. Waste of talent. Same uh, stats as Sauce in his last year against better competition. Kid will be great. Yeah, I'm not. A, I'm not in favor of the move around stuff. I hear talk of well, he's going to have to go to the slot, or talk he's got to go to the free safety. I'm. I'm okay if eventually they want to move him to free safety if that's where they determine his best position is. But let's get him to a first a spot where he truly does fail out at the cornerback spot to make that determination. Let's let's see that he's not able to make that go. Uh, Pandemonium bats is blasphemy. Earl was a phenomenal tackler. Earl could definitely lay a hit. He definitely lay a hit, but he's a little bit like Quandary Diggs, where it's you got a guy five eight, you know, five eight and a half ish coming up and trying to sometimes tackle guys downhill. It's just there's only so much they can kind of do, you know. He could, but he could smack people. That's for sure. Absolutely, Earl was a hitter in that secondary. I think zero is the right number for uh, Witherspoon, but twenty one looked looked pretty good on him in college. Look mighty, 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 mighty good. Dig Docs, Paul Krause of the Minnesota Vikings is the greatest safety of all time. Just saying, he, he, I definitely, he, the guy that, he, he was a dog in Madden too. He does Madden Ultimate teams. They, you got Paul Krause. He was going to, he's going to get you some picks. 
Uh, Greg Kemp, Brandon, if JSN is the receiver he's being hyped up to be, does he push Lockett down to wide receiver three this year and make it where the Hawks won't have to pay Lockett $16 million a year anymore when his contract runs out? Um, it's hard to determine, Greg, long-term what the plan might be with Tyler. He's preserved his body in a manner and a way which I think he'll allow him to play a couple extra years in this league. And uh, I'd be surprised to see him go anywhere else if he does elongate out his career. Um, I don't think that he overtakes Lockett on the outside this year. I don't think that, Greg, I'm buying into the fact that JSN is going to be able to operate on the outside, period. I think he's a slot-wide receiver. I think that's just what he is. Um, So he'll get his share of snaps from the slot. Um, He'll be excellent in the slot. But I don't think that necessarily his presence is going to impact Tyler Lockett or uh, if Tyler Lockett's going to, you know, remain here in the future. Greg says, if Brandon, if JSN is the receiver, he's being, oh, sorry, I read that. Um, having Witherspoon will force more balls to Woolen. You think it'll put him on a pace to surpass Dion in interceptions? It could. It very well could. And I would say that that's what's going to be the requirement for Woolen to get to a place where he could compete with a guy like Deion Sanders on interceptions is he going to have to have a guy opposite him who's causing enough throws to be thrown over to him to where he can make a run at that number. Um, but if you've got the two lockdown corners, if a, if a quarterback essentially understands, Daniel, that the, the price of admission is going to be equal on either side of the field that I got to go to, well, now there's less of that. I'll just avoid this one side of the field. And now you're going to play the game a little more purely, which is going to be more opportunities for Woolen at that point to go out there and uh, get the job done. Save the keys. Why is the media so high on the Rams when their, their roster is one of the weakest in the division and their best players are going, are all aging and coming off injuries? I'm not sure. I, I'd seen some talk about them being in competition for being the number one worst team in the league. So I don't, I hadn't, hadn't read that myself, but the media tends to be kind of lazy on these kind of approaches and takes anyway, don't they? Yeah. Brandon, uh, it would be fun to see how many teams, how many times teams threw against Dion versus Sherman. I kind of feel like quarterbacks were dumb to throw against Dion so many times. Well, to your point on that too, it was a different era, right? Addicted to Hawks because it was more about let it rip. There was a little bit more of a less of an onus on throwing interceptions. So like now it's you know, committing a cardinal sin to throw an interception. And go back to the 80 stats on quarterbacks and the coaches were a little bit more freer with letting them throw those picks, letting them, you know, take those risky throws. Uh, to your point on that. So Sherman did play in a little bit of a different time where maybe the interceptions weren't quite as free and easy. Um, part of what also impacts this with Sherman though too is he was a zone-based corner. And while they're, you know, man and zone-based corners are just different skill sets, you know, a guy that is a man-based guy is is going to always be in a position to be close to the given receiver when the ball is coming in. There's times with their Sherman where he's playing cover three over the top, allowing a little easy completion in front of him uh, where he's not competing on that ball because he's got to play to the responsibilities of the defense. It's not Sherman's fault, but it does impact at times, I think, how dominant you can be from the cornerback position. D-Boy, Brandon, what are your thoughts on Tyler Lockett to the slot or JSN? Uh, D-Boy, I don't believe that JSN is going to be able to play on the outside at the NFL level. I know there's a lot of people that do. Uh, A lot of people that aren't going to share my take on this. I do not believe that Jackson Smith and Jigba is going to be able to operate as an outside receiver in the NFL. He will be a slot-only guy. So he's not going to move Tyler into the inside because he's your slot. 
Um, he just does not have the speed, nor does he have the arm length on the outside to make it go. I also think he's going to have a hard time with his releases off the line of scrimmage, um, a place that a guy like a Lockett um, already had kind of mastered coming out of college, getting his releases off the line and getting clear off the line of scrimmage, even as a little bit of an undersized guy with shorter arms. Uh, so no, I think he stays in the slot. Pandemonium Hawks, good, yes. Ajota says, who's calling me an idiot with my chest out and beard in hand? Actually, I don't care. I, I can be an idiot, but that doesn't stop my love for the Seattle Seahawks, baby. Hell yeah! Nor should it. Nor should it. Kevin uh, chatted Brown Arrow was very fun, man. Very fun time. Daniel W. is a joke. Brandon, you and Brendan should now uh, make a fake beef video about each other. <laughs> Problem is people would probably take it seriously, Daniel. We'd have to type satire five times into the titles just to make sure people got the point. You know, just to make sure people got the point. Uh, John Stillwell, thank you for the $20 donation, man. Appreciate the double dono tonight. As always, you are awesome. He says, how about Lem Barney? He could backpedal faster than most guys that era could run. Lem Barney, you're going back on that one. You're going back. Oh, we got some Lem Barney. Lem Barney. Barney stats. Lem Barney. Six feet tall, 188 pounds. Lem Barney with 56 careers. So you guys even haven't heard of Lem Barney. 56 career interceptions. Seven touchdowns in his career. 25, or sorry, 17 forced fumbles. That's a hell of a career, man. From 60, some 10-year career, that is not bad. And that was back when they only played 14 games, by the way. That wasn't even having to say, he had 10 interceptions his first year, you know, in 14 games. Pretty impressive. Lem Barney, John. Going, going, that's a deep reference right there. I didn't even, that one didn't even jump out to me. And I usually know these old school names, but even that one caught me a little bit off guard. Lem Barney. There's a hell of a football name for you. <laughs> Thank you, John. Appreciate you, man. Kevin says, I think Rob could take him. Those Brits are sleepers. Hey, they, they, they come boxing out of the womb out there in Britain. I've heard. Drug says, did you hear the Vikings were considering trading up to pick two if Bryce Young never got chosen at one? How much different the draft would have been for the Hawks? Yeah, it probably also depends on what was going to Carolina do then at that point, Drunk. You know, if they win C.J. Stroud, and then Bryce Young trades up to the number two pick. I don't know on that one though, drunk. Like, how would that have worked? Because we know Texans were hot to trot on Bryce Young. So they were gonna they were gonna see the guy that they most valued land in their lap, and then they were gonna trade out of that pick at that point. I don't know. I don't think I'd buy that at that point. I think that they would have just I think they would have just taken Bryce Young. Jones says, uh, damn you, Deion Sanders. Damn your double double the picks of Richard Sherman. Laughing out loud, you're right. B, you're you're right, my guy. <laughs> <laughs> hey, I ain't going to undercut your love for him though, man. I appreciate that. 
You know, we all got our, we all got our guys that we favor and, and lean towards. So I get it. I get it. And like I said too, I got a bit of a soft spot for, for uh, Dion having kind of grown up and watched him play, captured the imagination a little bit. Just a little bit. Jonas is Champ Bailey. I dislike him so much laughing out loud. He's definitely up there in the discussion. Yeah, Champ, another guy that just, you look at his production, it's pretty eye-opening. Um, so Champ Bailey, you got a 14-year career. Longevity is insane. Champ ended up with 52 interceptions. Almost a thousand total tackles. Four touchdowns. Good player. Definitely top 10 all time. Champ was a champ corner, Sam the Great. Indeed, he was. New Blacks, there's a lot of people who are high in Levis coming in this year. Yeah. I definitely weren't the only one. And he definitely just didn't quite hit where you, you were hoping he was going to be able to tap into, which eh, this is happens. You know, sometimes that's why you need that last year of development. That's why it's hard for me necessarily to pick on one of these quarterbacks who's going to be the guy to step forward because having played this game in the last couple of years of this next year's quarterback class is going to be bent and then it turns into something else quite differently and separately. It's just tougher to do that. Jonah, the whale, thank you for a $5 donation, man. I appreciate that. Very kind of you. He says, next year, Levis leads all rookie quarterbacks. JSN is offensive rookie of the year. And Reek and Vaughn are the best cornerback tandem in the NFL. Ooh, I love it. Well, if you do that, so let's take that, let's take that reality, okay? First off, the Levis thing obviously doesn't affect us, Jonah. Um, but it would be cool if that was the case with Levis going there to the Tennessee Titans and pulling that off. If JSN is your offensive rookie of the year, which would definitely mean that he's probably right around that mark of 60 catches, 70 catches, and 1,000 yards, and then you have the best cornerback tandem in the league, and so you're getting that those two returns from just those two rookies, JSN and Witherspoon, say nothing else of whatever else the rookie class gave you. That, to me, is a team that's probably then out there winning 11 games as a minimum if they've got that kind of production just from those two guys. Um, there's some things that could offset that negatively to dampen that down a little bit, but to get that immediate return like that from Witherspoon and JSN in that manner, I, I feel like that would definitely take the top end of this immediate returns for this team. The immediate expectation that we'd have for this team next year, that should rise it to me a level at that point. But thank you for the donation, man. I do appreciate you. Mason Dale says, how do you think our front office views Jordan Brooks? It seems like Pete always talks glowingly about him, yet we declined his fifth-year option. Although his injury could have compl com complicated that decision. Yeah, I don't think that they wanted to be paying a guaranteed 
fifth year option on a guy that's given them a little bit of a mixed bag as a player. And yeah, Pete's big on him because Pete loves run stuffing defensive players. And he doesn't really care as much about guys giving up yards and against the pass, which is something that Jordan Brooks does at almost a league worst level from the linebacker position. So um, I don't think the team is terribly high on Jordan Brooks. I don't think he's part of the plans long-term in their future. I think they view him as a guy that has not necessarily developed in the manner by which they thought he was going to develop. That's part of the reason that you end up bringing back a Bobby Wagner here in the first place on this situation. So, um, yeah, I, I think that they're just going to let him ride out through the rest of this contract next year, evaluate it next year at that point, see if he's healthy. Um, if there's not a market for him, maybe you see him brought back at that point. But I don't think that that's an indication that this team is so in on him as a player and that they, um, uh, you know, that they think he is part of their future there at the position. Drugs says, it's crazy to think Jonathan Mingo is the wide receiver number one for the Panthers long-term. Yeah, it is. I don't trust that guy at all. You know that. Oof. Good luck count on that guy. Megan says, the Hawks Nest, I have a Lem Barney signed Lions helmet next to the Hawks Ring of Honor helmet. Nice. Nice. I can't remember the last time I heard that name. And I've heard all the football names. Uh, Jonas says, oh, you ever heard of, you, ever, you never heard Kanye West's song, Going Ham? You haven't heard, no? I think I have. B-Boy says, I love Spoon, and I'm happy we got some lockdown cornerbacks with our cornerback being really good. That just gives teams more of a reason to run the ball down our throats. <laughs> Indeed, they're going to go after our weakness, D-Boy, and it's going to be up to us to try to figure out a way to hem up those weaknesses you know, to force teams to pass to those corners on the outside. And that's where really the key of the defense lies right now for next year, of, of where our hopes can can land for this team defensively next year, is can they get that cleaned up or not? I'm not sure. We'll have to see on that one. It's it's uh, to, be, to be determined. Cameron Robinson, what's the body comp and speed between Tyler Lockett and JSN? Uh, JSN is much, uh, is much taller. I think that they both have about the same level of arm length. I think Tyler Lockett was more of a 4-4 type-ish guy coming out, if I'm not mistaken, on him. Let me speak for some... Let me try to speak with some knowledge of what I speak of. Let me speak of knowledge by which I talk. Yes, so he was a 4-4 guy coming out the combine. Tyler had a 1-5-5, 10-yard split. Um, pretty Pretty good as far as his vertical and broad jump goes on top of that. He was a six eight nine three cone, and of course with um, Jackson Smith and Jigba, he was I think a six five seven three cone. So Jackson Smith much quicker in that realm. Um, Tyler was a four oh seven twenty yard shuttle, and so so he had a three nine three. So. 407 was still pretty fast for Tyler Lockett, but Jackson Smith at 393 is a lot faster. So Jackson Smith, three cone, shuttle, way better. Tyler's got him beat on all the other, on all the other market markers. Um, especially speed. Especially speed. Mason Dale, what do I think the JSN pick means for Eskridge? Maybe he could carve out a role returning kicks. Honestly, wouldn't be surprised if they decide to cut their losses and release him before the season. That is what I think is going to happen with Eskridge. He's just not gotten healthy. He's not developed as a player. I think that he is what he is at this point. And he's not changing anytime soon. And I think the teams realize that. The drafting of JSN, I think, is an absolute indication of 
it's a course correction realization that Eskridge is not it. And I just don't think Eskridge is even at this point, Mason, as it is carved out any kind of role for himself on the special teams. To believe he'll do that now going forward, I don't, I don't know. I don't think so. Drunk says the report that came out today that I don't know it's 100% but true, but rumors like seems like the Vikings had interest in a quarterback or cousins. Yeah, they were, I was hearing that they were also interested in trying to find a QB drunk. Um, and they certainly have seemingly come to the understanding that Kirk Cousins is not going to get the job done for him. But the cost was probably too great to move up. I just don't know if the Texans would have even have been willing to really, you know, do that. Greg Kemp, uh, Brandon, I was talking more about JSN putting up the stats that push Tyler to wide receiver three, not JSN playing on the outside. Uh, it would be like how Doug played slot and was the top wide receiver over Tyler before he retired. It's possible, Greg. The thing that we've seen with these slot guys over the last couple of years, be it Cooper Cup, be it Justin Jefferson, be it Amon St. Brown with Detroit, if you're a slot guy that can be that, that effective where there are times it seems you're almost unguardable out of the slot because you get those free releases, because you're moving pre-snap in motion, which means you're not dealing with the physicality that the guys on the outside have to deal with. That's going to set you up and set the stage up for you to be able to have more of those catches and be featured a lot more often, especially, Greg, when you combo it with the fact that most times defenses are going to tend to want to lean into playing the single high, the double high safeties at the top, right? They're going to try to clamp down on your receivers on the outside. So if, if naturally Tyler and DK are going to draw those double teams, the teams are not able to apply towards Jackson Smith and Jigba at all because they have to, they have, they've determined that that's more of the outside threats that we have to worry about here. Well, then that's going to potentially mean more touches there for JSN. Absolutely. That could be the case, but that's then just more about having Gino leaning the offense towards that path of least resistance, that path that's actually wide open on the defensive side of the ball, rather than force feeding it to the double team on the outside. Um, that's more of, I think what draws that pick and what more of why they make that pick because now the benefits actually are going to be felt by Tyler Lockett because there should be less double teams now if you have the slot guy inside that can operate in the realm that I think Jackson Smith and Jigba can operate. Bad Daddy Stacks, thank you for the $5 donation. Appreciate all your donates tonight. Don, donations on the channel today. I'm getting six hours in. Can't talk here, folks. Says, bro, this is awesome. The pigs are making the unused chicken coop their home. This is a sign that the Hawks will have an impressive season. Laughing out loud. I think it is said. It is said out in Asia. If, if a pig makes a home in a chicken coop, then that will be a magical year. That's the Asian, that's my, that's the Chinese translation in America. It doesn't come off with the same kind of uh, charming illustriousness as it does, as it sounds in the, in the, in the language of that, of the old country in that way. But that is a saying, it is known fat daddy. So indeed those pigs housing themselves in an old chicken coop is an indicator of a, of a great fantastic Seahawks season. And it's only directly representatory of that. That's, you gotta, you know, you gotta read these signs correctly. You know, it's very easy to, you know, Oh, it means the Rams are going to do good. No. In Hawaii, chicken coop, non-native pigs to the island, living in that coop. That's Seahawks great season, 100%. <laughs> Thank you, Fat Daddy, for all your donations on the channel, man. I really do appreciate it.
Riverside, the Jets being sub 500 will be awesome. They'll be very angry. Yes, that'll be an ha unhappy fan base, I think, as the season goes on, especially in that AFC conference. New Blacks says, I think a lot of the fan base is higher on Brooks than the team is. I agree, New Blacks. I've dealt with that in a lot of discussions on Jordan Brooks where I do get a lot of pushback from some folks who are like, oh, you don't think he's just all? No, he's not. I, I've, I've scouted two years of this guy's college tape. I've scouted all of his years of a pro. You know, he is what he is. Um, some guys are that way. They just enter the league and you hope for development. You hope for them to increase their game and to get better. And some guys just enter and they are what they are. And, and that's been Jordan Brooks. You know, good, bad, and other. Good, bad, and the other. Cameron Robinson says, thank you, thank you for that info, sir. 100%, how fast was Doug Baldwin? Doug was probably a 4-5 guy. I think Doug, Doug ran a pro day. Let's see if I got it on the 2011 draft scout. So Doug Baldwin ran a 4.48 40-yard dash on his pro day. Uh, I do not have his arm length listed, but he did a 10-3 broad, 4.26 20-yard shuttle, 6.56 three cone. So his three cone was really good, really good, right? So we talk about Jackson Smith at 3.5. Um, at, at, what was he at? Three, six, five, seven, I think. So his three cone, Doug Baldwin, three cone was very close in comparison to Jackson Smith's three cone. Um, I do think Doug Baldwin was probably just a little bit faster, just a hair faster than Jackson. If I was to make a guess on that, that, that they're very close Cameron at that point in their 40 times. But the one thing about that Ohio state track Cameron is that it's renowned for producing faster pro day results because of the track surface and how quick it runs. So it, it does put a little bit of those, uh, you know, misnomer as far as what the guy's true times are. So if they run a four or five, it's really like, eh, you got to look at it as more like a four five, five more than a four five pure, I would say. Um, but appreciate you camera. Thank you, man. Uh, Mason says, did you see the report that we had our first round grade on Derek Hall? Also, would he not completely look badass rocking the the 99? Because I'm pretty sure it's available. 99 is definitely available. And yeah, I'd love to see him in 99. That'd look awesome. I did hear that. It's tremendous to hear that the team had that kind of grade on him. You know, I had a pure second round grade on him, but they seemed to be very, very high on what they saw. And look, he did the damage he had done over there. He'd done it for a couple of years out of Auburn. He had done it in the SEC. He had drawn a lot of double teams out there. So there's, I think, a good reason that they had that kind of um, grade on him. Um, that it's not something where they're just sort of getting very imaginative on this one in their evaluation. You can see how they got to that grade. 255 to go in the final period, Megan. Come on, come on, guys. Come on, Kraken. Uh, TGC says, would I have liked Tyree Wilson at five? No, I'm more in favor of going with Devin, Devin Witherspoon than, than Tyree Wilson. I, I don't quite trust in Tyree Wilson reaching his upside. I think he's got a long way to go. Uh, I like the immediate returns of Devon, Devin Witherspoon, and I think I get every bit of the potential future ceiling that you would have gotten with a guy like Tyree Wilson in an equivalency at the cornerback position in Witherspoon. So I, I, I more like them going with a little bit of a safer pick there at five in Witherspoon. And, and taking that safety, uh, taking the safety of that pick, I don't think that they took a big step backwards from where they would have been with um, Tyree Wilson. 
Drunk says, uh, you should get Walter Jones on here. He seems like a nice dude. Met him once at a signing event. I've reached out to Walter Drunk. I've hit him up on, uh, I've DM'd him on Twitter. Um, I think he even had a thing where contact these people if you want to reach out for bid with Bubba Bub, and I reached out. I got no response. That's why I say I'm going to have to enlist you guys in on this. WC, how about our D-line this year? Outside, it's good, WTC. Inside, it's a little bit questionable. It's a little bit questionable. I think Alex Brandon, Doug Baldwin was a pedestrian just teasing. Love that guy. I forget uh, what former receiver called out a receiver's pedestrian that year. That would have been Chris Carter. Hall of Famer, Chris Carter. But yeah, he called them pedestrian. Fun note, I was actually in, uh, went to a game in San Diego with some buddies and one of my friends had a shirt that was the, um, it was the Beatles cover of them walking across Abbey Road, right? But instead of Beatles, it was the Seahawks receivers and it said pedestrian over the top. It was a cool, it's a cool shirt. But then Richard Sherman's mom was in the audience and she drew back. She's like, ooh, I love that shirt. And uh, then we all started, then we were BSing with Richard Sherman's mom throughout the game. It's pretty fun. Oh, that was a hot, hot game though. Uh, Cameron Robinson says, the reason I'm asking is because I'm thinking JSN could possibly be a wide receiver if he learns to use his speed, uh, if he uses his speed to his advantage in his route running, possibly. It's possible, Cameron. Um, and there have been guys that have come in the league that many people have thought are just going to be slot guys that are able to make some hay on the outside and actually round their games out into being outside guys. Justin Jefferson, I think, even though he is really mainly only used on the outside, still does give his share of snaps when he's placed as an outside receiver in addition to that. So there is a possibility that exists within that, Cameron. I lean to historical norms on this. I, I'm a guy, I'm a big guy on don't count on the anomaly count on what tends to be the rule of thumb. And if you do that, you're usually going to be you're usually going to be guided in the right direction in your football outlook of things. So when it comes to Cameron, guys on the outside that have less than 32-inch long arms that are starting on the outside in the NFL, right? You can count that number on your hand. So if you've got let's say we've got 16 we got 32 teams in the NFL, right? And so that means that you're going to have essentially a de facto 64 wide receivers that are starting on the outside at the NFL level. How many of those guys have less than 32 inch long arms? And then of those guys that have less than 32 inch long arms, how many of those guys run slower than four or five? And so I think if you took that breakdown and you distilled those numbers down, what you'd come to find out is that there is no guy operating with less than 32 inch long arms on the outside that's running a slower than four, five, 40 time. And if there is one that exists, it's like one or two that exist. One or two. So do I count on that being the rule of thumb? Do I count on that as the thing that's likely to happen or I count on the actual other side of it being the thing that's likely to happen from that? And, and the reason this goes together is when you have a guy that is like he is, who's an, about an inch, inch and a half short long arms, and then he's at, Short, slower than you would like to work on the outside, that means that I can't count on him to run past anybody. And then when he's not creating that separation in his routes, that means he doesn't have the arm length where in contested catch situations, he's going to be able to reach around the guy and pluck it away from him, moss him essentially, because he doesn't have the build to do so. One, one detrimental skill set leads a little bit into the other. It doesn't mean that there isn't some plus sides to his game, but that this is the stuff that holds guys back from being able to operate say nothing for being successful on the outside. Um, so it is possible, Cameron. And there are some people that do have faith that he can play on the outside. I just don't lean into feeling that, I, that that's going to be the place. 
Uh, Connor, I was never a fan of Wilson at five. I would prefer getting a ten, uh, any trade back haul possible before drafting at five. I just don't view him as a top five prospect. Me either, Connor. I agree with you 100% on that. TGC says, are you happy with the interior offensive line and DL? Not, not with the DL. I'm fine with the offensive line at this point, TGC. But the defensive line could stand to be addressed. I would like to see them make another trade to reinforce the ranks. Get, get somebody legitimate in there. It doesn't have to be a star level, but legitimate. Mason Dale says, I also heard that we only had like 18 true first round grades. So that really speaks to what we think of Hall. Indeed it does. Indeed it does. And I'm not surprised that they only had 18. Quite frankly, I'm kind of surprised that they had even 18. I don't know if I had 18 first round grades. I think I ended up with like 13, 14 on mine. So uh, the fact they got up to that, I think is pretty impressive in itself. But it does also speak to how weak this draft was that you could only get to 18 first, first guys. I dig docs, Brandon, Chris Carter, Hall of Fame uh, type receiver, pedestrian analyst. <laughs> Indeed he was. <laughs> Is he even doing analyst stuff anymore? I think he's just retired. Ed Armitage, I'm getting major 05 vibes from this team. Ooh I love it. I can see it, Ed. That's, that's the last greatest offense you created in Seahawks history. Is that 05 team. That is your, that's your trendsetter. That's your high water mark. And you've built, I think, more of an, even now, more of a, stack team um, uh, than that one. And uh, for sure, folks, we're going to start to put a button on this. I'm six hours and 20 minutes in. I know you guys would have me go tonight, nine, 10 hours, but I've, I've already gone about three hours past where I thought I was going to go tonight. So we are going to wrap this up. Let's put the kibosh on the questions at this point. I, I said the last one, let's get the last ones in about a half hour ago. So <laughs> let's, let's close up the shop. Uh, I will save Brandon's voice because he's starting to get a little hungry. Uh, Brandon Megas is the Hawks Nest. Just to warn y'all, the Kraken were beat six and six to three in Seattle. So if anyone wants a piece of me now, I hope your affairs are in order. Now we're into, no 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 peace no peace tonight. <laughs> uh, I watch WSU up. Oh, what's up, people? I think JSN is perfect for offense. Still think the defense is suspect, but we should be able to outscore teams on paper. It's a good way to put it. That's the outlook I see as well. It's where I began with this show tonight. Was I watch and please go back, watch at the top on this I watch because that's where my beginning spot was. Says, hey, you want to get to the pathway of this team becoming elite? You truly have aspirations for this team being a Super Bowl contending team. This is what's going to need to happen to occur. I did a little bit of something like this last year, right? Those that were watching the channel as I went through the offseason, what did I do? Like a lawyer, I was slowly trying to build my case up. Slowly trying to build my case up of everyone saying this is a team that's going to win three or four games. Let me explain to you guys how there could be a way this team does get to being a playoff team next year. And it's not even a really crazy outlook on things. It's, it could really feasibly happen by this, by that, and by this. Um, and I'm going to do the same thing this year. And it begins with how, instead of how do we get to the playoffs, how does this team become elite next season? I think it's likely to take two years for them to get to that state of things. But if they could get there next year, what would need to happen? At the beginning of it, an elite offense. At the beginning of things, an absolute elite, elite offense. Um, Donnie Novak, you get to see any of the Kraken game Hawks Nest? No, I did not. I thought I was going to be able to bounce over there and watch it, but I guess we have people here that want, did not want to watch hockey because I kept stay, I kept checking the numbers to see if we're going to have a drop-off here, and we stayed at about 150, 160 people during the live session all the way through the game. So it seems that there's not a lot of hockey fans necessarily uh, on that stance of things, but this is why I just can't do short shows. You guys always keep me... Uh, pulled in on these long ones. I just, there's no way to do a short one. I'll tell you that. 
Kirk says, JSN's hand size doesn't matter. He's a body catcher. Uh, yeah, no, and I was speaking Kirk to his arm length, not his hand size, just the arm length. Um, but yeah, he is more of a body catcher too. I agree with you there. TGC says, how many primetime games do you expect for the Hawks? Four, TG. TJ, sorry, TJ. I expect four games. Yeah, that sounds good. D-Boy, uh, Brandon, do you remember when Jerry Rice played a season with the Seahawks? Did he play good with us or did he not fit good with us? No, he did. Um, the only problem came into play was really him pulling out the AD jersey at the time because he had said that Largen had given him permission to use the number 80 jersey and Steve Largen did not give him permission to use the number 80 jersey. So that's the one place where that was a little like ridiculous that the team unretired the jersey for Jerry. I'm sorry, Jerry. No, wear something else. Um, but as a player on the field, he was a good player for us. The problem that we were having at that time, and this was an issue that plagued those Seahawks teams for years, is that you had guys that had a hard time catching the football. Guys were just, there were so many drops, and you just, you could not get it cleaned up. You just, Matt Asselbeck would put the ball right on the money. Part of it was that Matt would just whistle that ball in at 100 miles an hour, even on like nine-yard in-cutting routes. Like everything had to be a fastball with Matt at times. And um, didn't always make it the easiest to catch because he also threw a real tight spiral. But um, no, Jerry came in and had some real big games. He had one game, I think in particular, where he had like 150, 160 yards receiving. Um, he actually was able to come in and kind of stabilize a receiving court that time that not only was dealing with drops, D-Boy, but you also had a lot of injuries that year. You were signing guys off the street. You were having to make do. It, it, was, getting, it was getting raw. Um, so he kind of came in and saved the bacon a little bit for the position and where it was at. Um, and he was pretty good for us. Jerry Jerry was able for even in the depths of his career still to be a really, really good receiver. You know, he never lost the ability to run routes or catch the football. I watch Alou and Bradford start. JSN, Charbonnet, and have six rooks playing equals great draft. Absolutely, man. Absolutely. And I think, yeah, you got Jan's going to be a starter. Witherspoon's going to be a starter. Um... And I think probably Olu ends up being a starter at least. And all those guys are going to get touches. All those guys are going to get a lot of playing time. You're going to have to, you're going to, have to sell me on Cam Young, I watch. That's a tough one for me. <laughs> Megan, uh, the Hawks does. I met Jerry Rice at the USC game and wanted to ask him about the 80. Uh, I didn't as I thought it would have been a rude question to ask. Yeah, and he's not going to have a good answer. He's going to give you on it, Megan, you know. He's not going it, to. It comes down to boil down to just like ego and like, you're coming to the city that's got a guy that's wearing AD and, you know, had set all the records prior to you breaking them. Show there's some respect for that guy. You know, wear 81. Is that that big of a deal? But, you know, I guess it was. A drunk says, if we were going to draft a wide receiver, I thought it would be Josh Downs. If you told me three weeks ago, I probably would have thought it would have been a little later in the draft, drunk. I wouldn't have gone around to the spot of thinking the first round was really a viable place for them to go get that receiver. That part caught me off guard. Doesn't mean it's a bad pick, just caught me off guard. D-Boy says, hey everyone, hit the like button before the show's over. It will make you feel better in the best way to wrap up the epic live stream. Just do it. Hey, just do it. That's right. Please do hit that, uh, 
please do hit that like that uh, like button as we do finish up here. It helps the channel grow. It's helped and part of been what's allowed us to get over 12,000 subscribers. So you guys doing that helps me show up on the algorithm, helps push YouTube and me onto their channel. Hey, this is good videos. Let's get this to other people out there, other Seahawks fans. It may not seem like it helps, but it absolutely does help and have an impact. John Holland says, I like the demeanor that all our draft picks seem to have. They feel like they have an intense love of the game. I get that feeling from them too, John. You know, if you want to build a team up that's a team all about ball, and I think that this is not to be undersold, one of the, the one of the real hallmarks of the Legion of Boom teams, beyond being so talented, beyond being so well-stocked in its talent, so deep in its talent, was that especially when it came to, for instance, on the defensive side of the ball, you had guys that were not only all in on the practice field to practice hard or all in to work hard, but these guys that were, were almost to a level of being obsessed with the sport and their level of de dedication and their want to be great. And the way that you find players like that is find guys that are all about ball. And if you can put a whole team of those guys together, you have guys that just have are, are nothing about all in their process, understanding that this time I have in life to play football is a very short span of time. I'm getting late here. I can't speak. Uh, it's a short span of time. And I got to take advantage of it while I can. And if I've got to sacrifice not going out to the club this time, if I got to sacrifice not going to take the trip to Cabo so I can work out this week a little bit extra to get myself a little bit better prepared for the year, I can see the long term in doing that. I can see the sacrifice in that today in the now for what that brings for the returns on me down the road. I think it's a very hard concept to teach to young kids coming out of college who think that they're going to live forever, who think their career is going to last forever. It's very tough to get it across. And if you can have that light bulb already turned on on these kids as they come right out of the box, as they come right to your team. It seems to only to me to be able to help your team out in the immediacy, but also helping them to reach the fullness of their potential. Um, Docs, oh my God, Cam Young, totally agree with you, Brandon, but I'm trying my best not to comment on the nose tackle side. Well, you guys, you'll notice addicted to Hawks. I went, you know, I went, uh, I went Bradford on my, on my draft videos. And then I went to Olo Atami and then I'm going to go to Morris and then I'm going to go to Reed and then I'm going to go to Macintosh. And then we'll make our way back around to Cam Young. <laughs> Cam Young will be early June. <laughs> I, I just can't get I, uh, I'll, I'll try to warm up to the kid. You know what I mean? I'll try. Uh, D-Boy, you're awesome for mentioning that as well on that for hitting that like button. I appreciate you reminding me on that stuff. I, I do get that uh, a little lost on that angle of things. Uh, I... Big Meat says, uh, I got a feeling we're going to face the Eagles in the NFC Championship. Who agrees with me? Hey, I love the confidence, Big Meat. I would love to see it, man. And this team has absolutely got the talent to get there. You know, the only thing that gets me a little bit reticent, a little bit hesitant, Big, Re Big Meat, is just the fact that the team is so young. You're, you're going to be so very much comprised of first and second year players uh, in this team in order to kind of get to that state. And then at least historically speaking, it's, it's tended to be pretty hard for teams that are that young to get that good that fast. But I will say this, Big Meat, we had the youngest roster in NFL history that won a Super Bowl when they won it. Pete Carroll has shown time and again, both in the pro level and during his college experience, that he can get the most out of a very young roster. So if there was any coach to guide this kind of team to that promised land, to get that team to that kind of elite status, even a year ahead of time, Coach Carroll could very well be that guy to get the job done in that way. I could see it. I could easily, easily see it. I did get says, uh, Brandon saving Cam Young for last. That made me laugh, laughing out loud for real. Thanks, man. <laughs> I, I was, I, I finished up with Bradford. I did get an auction. I'm like, okay, Cam, 
And then I looked at Cam Young and I rewatched uh, another game of his film and I went, okay, Oluwatimi. <laughs> it was a quick decision and I didn't, I didn't, uh, I didn't turn it over. I watch is Cam Young horrible or something like not even to make the team. No, 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 no. He's going to make the team. It's more of just, I watch in a draft where there was a lot of prospects that um, popped, sparkled, got your attention that captured the imagination of you being able to see where they were going to go as players. Just when I turned on the tape with Cam Young, there's just not a lot of there, there. You know, that's a guy on the field. It's a big guy on the football field, but it's a big guy on the football field not doing a whole hell of a lot. Snap in and snap out. And you watch that and you watch a couple games of that. And then you go look at the PFF and you see the grade is like, it's ranked like 640 out of like 800 defensive tackles in all of college football last year. I know I might be overstating it, but it's something like that. Um, and you just go, okay, I'm, I'm a little worried. I don't understand this one. And all the other picks I can kind of understand. Even if I'm not really super high and I'm like Bradford, you can understand the, the reasoning and the thought process behind it. But with Cam Young, it's just kind of like, I feel like that was the one pick where day one, Schneider got hammered for not taking a defensive tackle. Day two, Schneider gets hammered by the press for not taking a defensive tackle. When are you going to take a defensive tackle? When are you going to take a defensive tackle? When are you going to get a guy? Where are you going to get a guy? Why aren't you getting a guy? So I felt like he got by day three. He's like, here, take your defensive tackle. You know, it was almost like, fine, there. You guys happy now? I got you one. You know. Uh, D-Boy says, at Brando, if, at Brandon, if Sean Taylor didn't get his career cut live shot short, do you think he would have been a Hall of Famer? Oh, 100%. 100%. He was um, absolutely, um, I, I think he's up there. As, if he has a full pro career, he's a guy that's talked about in the same manner of, you know, maybe just a little bit short of a guy like Ed Reed from the free safety position. He's not going to overtake Ed Reed as an all-timer at that point, but as, as a guy that's spoken about up in the realms of, of up there with the Paul Krauses, you know, um, he's going to, he would be considered one of the best all time at that point. Um, the guy could hit like Cam Chancellor and, um, and he could pick off the ball all a little bit like Ed Reed, not quite to Ed Reed's place, but there were a lot of Ed Reed like instincts in Sean Taylor's game. And so you got a very, very complete player in that kid, an absolute, just, I mean, junkyard dog on the football field. Um, but yeah, he would have undoubtedly have, have gotten there. He would have gotten there. I, I tell you, he would have. Uh, Dick Docs, not a lot there, there. Have mercy. <laughs> I'm going to try to be nice to the kid on my, on my breakdown, but I don't have to get to him first. I can take my time with it. I watch this. When did, when did Keanu Benton get drafted? I feel like we could have gotten him drafted, but picked somebody else or traded the third and lost out or something. Uh, if I remember correctly... And I'm definitely trying to wrap this up. So no more questions. No more questions. Uh, Keanu Benton was the 49th selection. Selected with the 49th selection. So he was taken in the second round. Um, Midway through the second round. So, you know, you could have taken him. You could have, I think you 49, you took 52 is where you took Charbonnet. So he's taken in front of Charbonnet. So you just tried to wait that one out a little bit too long. You would have taken him with the Derek Hall pick if you're going to grab him. And the team just obviously I watched didn't quite value him at that place, which I kind of am surprised a little bit. But then we come back to I watch hearing that they had a t- 
top 20 grade on Derek Hall, and then it makes a little more sense because I guarantee you they didn't have anywhere near a top, top 20 grade on Keanu Benton. Yeah, we would have to gone early, I watch. According to what I'm just, the Steelers took him on this one, they're saying at 40, 49, and then we picked 52 in the second, which would have meant you would, you would have to either trade up or would have taken him in the early, you know, early, early parts. I think Docs, Brandon, uh, agreed. Schneider is a great general manager, but I don't think he enjoys having his choices questioned. Hope the UDFA nose tackle makes the team. Tavaya, Tavai, Tanai, Tavai. Yeah, I like that kid a lot, and I hope he does make the team as well. I think he's got some real true potential in him to get it done, addicted to Hawks. And uh, yeah, I'm I'm guessing he doesn't like the questions and uh, choices questioned either. Um, I'm sure many general managers would bristle at that. Um, and he probably was, it's probably frustrating too because he's trying so hard to lean into the value and understanding that recent history, it's been need that's caused you, that's led you astray in recent drafts. And you have the media here now basically pressuring you a little bit to go back into the need realm, which you just left. You know, you're not trying to get yourself caught back in that same territory. I watched his Hall top 20 interesting. Yeah, that's the report that came out today. I watched was uh, that they had a top 20 grade on Hall as a player in this draft. D-Boys, there's a lot of football channels on YouTube think that the Seahawks did really good with our 2023 draft. They did. I think you do have a little bit of a, you do have a little bit of a cheating kind of place in this way if you're a, a team that has, Debo, the 10 picks in a given draft and you got four picks in the first 52 selections. You know, it's, it's why, like, when you look at the teams that always end up winning the draft year after year and being the A-plus drafts, it's never the team that only has, like, one second-round pick, one fourth-round pick, and a couple. I watch uh, Tavai, Puna-like UDFA that contributes. He's got the potential to be, so I watch. I liked his tape quite a bit, and he was a really well-graded player um, by PFF. And we're not going to, by the way, that this will be the last question I'm going to do. I'm definitely wrapping it up on this one. I know you guys can keep me going on this, but... I got to wrap it up, folks. We're at almost seven hours in. I, I, I know some of you just jumping on late in the stream and you're like, but I wasn't here through the first five hours. I've been talking for six hours and 39 minutes. My voice is toast. I need to get some food. So I, 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 would, I know I appreciate you guys would love to do this all night, but I'm sorry. I've got to put a button on this one. Um, yes, Tavai's got an ability to definitely be that, that kind of contributor in that way. I think he's a little different in Puna and that he can actually give you maybe a little bit of pass rush where Puna was really a run-stuffing one-tech. But he is absolutely a guy who I thought stood out on his tape. I was surprised to see that he lasted all the way to the depths of the draft that he did, not even getting taken in the sec- seventh round in this draft especially. Um, I'm guessing people just don't trust his physical you know, um, measurables. But the tape is really nice. And he was really well graded all the way around by PFF, which I thought really did stand out. So I watch it. My bad. Thanks, Brandon, for all the hard work. No worries, man. I don't appreciate it. I appreciate you asking questions, man. I really do. I just, I have to reach that point where I eventually go, okay, lines off. I got to go. Cause if I just stay, okay, no more questions. Questions will just kind of keep pouring in. And I know, I, I know we could do this all night guys, but trust me, I'm not going to be, I'm not as entertaining an hour, six, six hours and 40 minutes in. I'm nowhere near, I'm sure as entertaining as I can be two, three hours in when I'm a little more fresher and able to do this. And, and the point is on this is eventually get this where we do these as shorter shows so I can do more of the shows. Um, but it's a process. It's a process. It's always a process. Dick Zox, no more questions. No more questions. I want to say one last uh, thank you here as we finish this up today to all of my subscribers, all of the people that watch the Hawks Nest from the folks that have been here since day one, like D-Boy, um, and the like to the folks that have just jumped on here in the late process. We just passed 12,000 subscribers on this channel. I have been, as always, absolutely blown away um, by how much we're able to, the growth on this channel, by how much support I get in this channel. 
And uh, it has been absolutely the truth throughout this offseason, not just the support from monetarily with the amount of donations in this channel, but just um, you get the amount of people watching, the amount of people that hear the call out there when I say, hey, get subscribed to the channel if you're not subscribed. It doesn't cost you anything. And you guys did. We not only rounded the 12,000 mark, we blew past the 12,000 subscriber mark. We are well on in line to get up into that 15,000 mark. That was my goal for the channel for this year to get there by February. And we are right on track, right on line to get to that mark. I want to say thank you to all of you guys that jumped on aboard. Appreciate all my longtime subscribers as well. Um, it's, it just gets me so excited about the future of this channel and all I'm going to be able to do on this channel um, with where we've gone and where we're going. We've gotten through the hard place. We've gotten through the hard part. We've gotten through that slow building phase where I can only put a couple hours here and a couple hours there into the channel. You know, we're now here fully rolling. We're going 100 miles an hour and we're not slowing down anytime soon. I don't care if it's an off season. I don't care if it's the middle of the season. We're going to go hard and we're going to go hard often. So I hope you're here to ride with me throughout this process as we go forward. We're just getting warmed up. I'm just getting warmed up over here. So ride with me, my fellow Hawks nesters. Let's get on to this bright, beautiful future where not only this channel's due to take off, but our Seattle Seahawks are due to take off. This team is ready to go. I don't know if they're going to get there exactly right by the start of next year, but they are on the path and they're elevating. They're rising. They're getting to that place where that Super Bowl window is going to start to open. The future is bright, my fellow Seahawks fans, on so many levels. Smile. Be happy about that. You could be in Indianapolis. No, no, I'm kidding. Indianapolis is fine. But we're in an even better stage. We're in an even better state. So love the future that is oncoming. Thank you for all the support from you guys. Nothing but love in my heart from you guys. You, you, it, it's like the Grinch. You, you grow my heart three sizes bigger with how much support you guys give, how much love you send my way. I could not have ever asked for more than what I get from this channel as far as that support goes. It's been just unbelievable. And in the four years of doing this channel, it has never failed. It has never been a moment that I've had to question whether or not the PPU folks have my back, or whether there's that support there. It is there at every single step. And I hope you guys understand that it is really appreciated. I recognize it and I understand how unique that is in this online world of toxicity and negativity and pessimism and all of that type of stuff. My fellow Hawks nesters, my fellow 12s, I love you. I appreciate you. Thank you for helping me get past 12,000 subscribers. Get excited about this team. We might just have ourselves the best Seahawks offense that we have seen in our entire history. Hands down. Hands down. No but what ifs. Just pure and simple, the best we've ever seen. Where that takes this team, what heights they can go on the back of that, you and I, we shall soon see. As we are now only just a couple months away from the beginning of training camp, we are rounding that bend. Get yourself ready, get yourself strapped in, and get ready for a wonderful, beautiful season. My name is Brandon Kane. This is the Hawks Nest. Hit that like button, subscribe on up, but don't you ever forget. Go Hawks!